Coco Talk would like to thank our patrons, the real sponsors of our show. So a heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Christina Armstrong, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Grant Leedy, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Edder, Malfunk, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Steve Bjork, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., and Tom S. Thank you very much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. It's time to drop your socks and grab your real-time clocks and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. All right, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Coco Talk. This week we are episode 154. You know what we got in in store for you today? We got news, news, and more news today. Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, one and all. All in one. We're here. Coco Talk episode 154. News, news, news. we got lots of news to share with you today. The past couple of weeks, we've had to, for a variety of reasons, not been able to cover news as much. So we got lots of news this week. Uh, get your news ready. Butter your popcorn. Grab your feet. Sat, fasten your seatbelts because the news train is going to be going soon. Let's say real quick hi there. Hello there to our panel, a man whose name is so nice, we must say it thrice. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about none other than... How you doing, Nick? Uh, hello, I'm a little concerned. My cocoa tea seems to be infested by the Nightmare Highway virus. Oh, so I'm, man. I'm hoping, to, I'm hoping I can get that removed if uh, Ken's able to help me. Yeah, we have to consult a uh, some, a pediatrician or something. Uh, our resident Apple guy is here, Mark D. Overholzer. How you doing? Oh, you know what? I must I must need to unmute everybody. Mute, Mark D. You're can you yep. hear me? I can unmute now. Thank you. Glad to be here, and I'm glad you like Apple people well enough to let me be here. Yeah, we're we're happy to have you. We also have another fellow with us here, Mr. Robert Allen Murphy is here. Hello, Robert. 
Howdy, howdy. How's everybody doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Thanks for joining us. We have a guy who's most well-known, not only for being the brother of Jason Reichert, but for creating uh, the phenomenal hit sensation, Nightmare Highway. Ken Reichert is here. Welcome, Ken. Uh, Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Brian, the music man, Shoebring's with us. Hello, Brian. Hey, hey, hey. The details. (laughs) Damon Beals is here. Hey, Damon. Everybody. Welcome to the program. Uh, Mr. Excitable himself, Alan Huffman, is here. Alan, you are muted, but welcome. And welcome. It's great to be here. Glad, glad, glad to have you. From O Canada, where weed is legal and he's a happy guy, L. Curtis Boyle is here. Could be happier, but hello, everyone. <laughs> From sunny Arizona, where they don't need no stinking daylight savings, it's Rondelvo. Hey, how you doing? How you We're doing good. The guy most famous for saying... Stop right there. Jason Reichert is here. Hey, Jason. Coco Talk, because you have nothing else better to do today. <laughs> That's right. Our backup streamer and engineer and all-around good-looking, well-dressed guy, Mark Bosley, is here. Hello. How you doing? Oh, we're doing good. A man most notably notably known for his phrase. Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. And thank you. Legendary game designer Rick Adams is here. Hello, Rick. Hello from an undisclosed secure location. Here we are. <laughs> it's the touching. It's the touching our face edition. Of that's Coca-Cola. right. That's right. The uh, six foot six inch distancing uh, from Strongware, maker of fine quality hardware and software products. John Strong is here. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello from. Is it is it Montreal or is it, is it Quebec, Eddie? Or Quebec City. Quebec City. Eddie Serbinski is with us. Welcome, Eddie. Hello all. We have a guy who gets excited. We have a guy who says... Uh, oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. It's none other than... David Ladd. How you doing today, David? Oh, I'm doing great, Stevie, and I hope everybody else is doing great. I'm ready for the show today. Is everybody else ready for the show today? I'm so ready for the show to get started. I'm just all hyped up. Let's get it going. All right. You are something. Yeah, you're hyped. You're you're whacked and cracked. Who knows what the hell you are? He's the first um, half of hyper, I think. That's right. David Ladd is here. The guy Earth, who... your meds? Yes, a guy who <laughs> likes to say... Oh, Rocky! From down under, the thunder, Nicholas Morentes. Good eye, Nick. Hi, good eye, everyone. And last but not least, at least the third or fourth Canadian on our panel, Mr. Dave6809 is here. Hey, Dave. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Good to be here. And I'm your host with the least, Stevie Stroh. Uh, welcome to the this week's train wreck. We're here, episode 154. As we mentioned, we got a lot of news. But before we get into the show, we have a special treat. We have a little special treat, a little something. And very few people are aware of what this special treat is. So what we're hoping to get here are genuine reactions from all of you. Um, so before we do the, how about we do this? So, um, w- there is a brand new nightmare highway. So why don't we not that nightmare? There's a brand new, uh, I'm getting all kinds of confused here. There's a brand new cocoa thoughts. So how about we hear the latest and hear and see the latest cocoa thoughts, and then we'll be back and then we'll talk about our little special treat you have this week. So enjoy this and your moment of Zen from Samuel Gimes. And now cocoa thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I wish the Time Bandit could go back and fix this mess. Oh, 
Samuel Gimes, always, uh, always there, always current. It's always uh, topical. Yeah. Always topical. Like an ointment. Always like an like an ointment. <laughs> he is always topical. All I right. H. So w- without any further ado, we will um, we will explain what's what has happened after it has happened. But I have us zoomed in right now, so we can all see our faces. I want to ask all of you guys to be silent during um, during this. But I'm going to mute everybody, and you're going to. You're gonna hear something, and just enjoy it. You can you can smile, but do a thumbs up, whatever. But enjoy this, react, and then we'll hear your thoughts when we're done. Here's your special treat, everybody. Got some time to kill. Might play a little Zaxxon. Might double back to play a little Temple of Rome. Dungeons of Daggereth, color baseball, but none can hold candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Sure, I love my sailor man and firefall. Go on a rampage for some super pitfall. Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack But sooner or later you know I've got to come back to Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway It's got a road And it's got a car Dodge the furniture And you'll be a pop star Okay, maybe I just stick to the facts. To tell this truth, this game really ain't all that. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. I used to bow down to the Donkey King. Grabber and Cash Man used to be my thing. Mega Bug, Buzzard Bait. Sea Dragon 2 But none of those can satisfy me Much as you do Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway Nightmare Ladies and gentlemen, that was it. That was the world premiere of the latest hit single, that song that will never get unstuck from your head, none other than Ken Reichert. What are your reactions to hearing that? With the same amount of feeling, please. So much the better. (laughs) What I was saying is I'm kind of speechless and flattered that anyone would uh, 
but uh, do a song about that this little game that I made just because I wanted to make a little game. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank everyone who's actually you know put down their hard-earned money and purchased their copy of Nightmare Highway. I, I'm Nightmare also humbled and, Highway. <laughs> thank you. I'm also <laughs> humbled and flattered that people would do that, and we've sold in the in the low double digits now. So I'm very 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 flattered and. Is that, that Rick singing, I assume? That is me, yes. And you have a very, very nice voice. I, he does. I, 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 <laughs> that's what I told him. I, and, don't, and don't be flattered. I mean, I, I really did point out, it's not all that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rick, who's your, who, your backup singer? Uh, yeah, he's uh, okay. He's okay telling you now. He just wanted the initial. Oh, okay, yeah. Surprise. Uh, that's a little magic from uh, D. Bruce Moore. Ah. Uh, I don't. I don't know if that's like uh, his voice process yeah, it or is. what. But it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Yep. I, I. I should have figured. Now, yeah. what was the instrument? That instrument sounded vaguely familiar. It sounded like something you can pick up for about five dollars. What instrument was playing? Oh, in the curse you! Pick <laughs> <laughs> on the uke. That was me. That's on the uke. uke. Yeah. So um, and and that was also Thank him doing doing the little sound bites there. Oh, uh, so D was my car? voice saying it's got a car. Yeah. Yeah. D Bruce Moore yeah. just chimed in live chat. He says that was me singing, not process. So that was the unprocessed oh. D Bruce Moore. Okay. Yeah. He's got uh, two ranges. He's got the falsetto That's, range and the, uh, yeah, he sounded awesome. Shouldn't we be giving thanks to the uh, car wreck that started this off? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All, 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 it all starts with Terry Steen, of course. Right. Yes, yes. So and that and that rogue furniture that some jack wagon in southeast Ohio <laughs> led on the highway. <laughs> jack wagon is the perfect description. Yep. Yeah. And he's in the chat too, so he can chime in too. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's, just, that's the irony of it all is that the video game was inspired by real life events and now the the song was inspired by the video game, inspired by real life events. So it's inspiration events. inspiring inspiration. When, when I when I first heard this I said, I didn't know Rick. I thought to myself, I didn't know Rick Adams can sing. And then I said, wait a minute. Never mind. Yeah. But I'm kidding. He's got, he's, he's got <laughs> no, that, that was voice. a really good job, Rick. I just, I, I couldn't resist making a joke. That's... I just expected to scream at the end. <laughs> yeah. So good stuff. Good stuff. So yeah, that was again, another, uh, and Terry Steen says, and Terry Steen appreciates your help to never forget the event. <laughs> <laughs> The amount of therapy we are all going to cost him is oh, astronomical. Yes. Well, nowadays we're all being group therapy together, so it won't matter. Oh man! <laughs> so, so this that started was really fun. I had, that was a blast to work. Where can we download this? So this uh, soon you will know. Um, so this all started when uh, I was getting ready for Coca Fest, and uh, I wanted to, you know, like compose a song for Coco Fest and like, uh, you know, when we do our little musical thing on Saturday night, I was hoping to whip that out. And uh, so uh, I started writing something and uh, then, you know, it got canceled and I said, well, I want to do it anyway. So it sort of proceeded from there. And so I got together with Nick and with Bruce and, and we uh, threw all that together, you know, through the magic of the internet. Uh, I wanted something that mentioned all kinds of games. I think I counted then we have like 20 games in there wow. that are mentioned. I wanted something uh, 
you know, something really like, like with a lot of references, sort of like uh, We Didn't Start the Fire or uh, The Day the Music Died, uh, you know, something like that. And just threw, threw a whole bunch of stuff into the same pot. And so that's what we came up with. And Curtis, Buzzard Bait was my contribution to the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. <laughs> yeah. The ironic thing is, is that Rick actually approached me about this like a couple months ago, and I, I've just been too busy with EOU and everything yeah. else. And yeah. I just, yeah. And I, I want to drag well, the project a, down. That's a good thing to be busy with. Yes, yes, yes. I heard an early Bruce prototype. I heard an early prototype with uh, Nick Marota on the vocals in oh, the ukulele. So. Yeah, thank God yeah. you guys didn't hear that one. <laughs> uh, play, Steve, play Steve. Play Steve. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, That's in the bonus were, edition. My, I, I sing well were, in spirit, but not, not in the <laughs> physical world. <laughs> but that was a, that was a, just a demo for Rick. Do you have a link for them yet, uh, Steve? Or are you still yeah, so what I did is um, the answer is yes. I have published this as an audio podcast on, on our Cocoa Talk site. So if you subscribe, matter of fact, since it's live, let me just go ahead real quick and live it on the air. I'm going to change it from scheduled to published. Let me go ahead and publish it, and then it'll be available, and I'll give you the link. Um, but, yeah, so I went ahead and I uploaded the MP3 file to the Cocoa Talk podcast site. So if you subscribe to the podcast, you're going to get it right away. It'll show up. So let me go ahead and do that, and let me just hit publish, and it will be published, and then I will um, – and then I'll share the link. Okay. So I'm so, going to copy and paste the link, put it out in the live chat right now. So if anybody wants to download the MP3, it is boom. It's coming from our Coco Talk um, site. If you already follow the pod- podcast and you get automatic downloads of the podcast, boom, it's there. Um, and there's a link. Sorry, Ron Delvo, you're getting ready to say something? Yeah, I think uh, the problem is now that it's published, uh, you're going to get a hit for playing it. copyright dings right Right. would be maddening yes yes (laughs) we got a request from de bruce moore to play it one more time so we did uh we just heard the world premiere of the new hit single the latest earworm coming at you on the top 10 countdown um so we got a request to hear it again i'm gonna go ahead and play it again and while it's playing i'll try to get it where you guys is uh, audio can come through this time so here we go oh so so bruce can hear it this time then uh he says get bruce online and let's have the unplugged version that's a great suggestion <laughs> there tim franklin <laughs> let's do right, so here we go it's a brand new hit single you got to hear it again it's in rotation here we go nightmare highway the single got some time to kill might play a little Zaxxon Might double back to play a little Temple of Rome Dungeons of Daggerith Color baseball But none can hold a candle To the greatest of them all Nightmare Highway Sailor Man and Firefall Go on a rampage for some super pitfall Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack But sooner or later you know I've got to come back Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway It's got a road Sure. 
That is just radio gold right there. That is radio <laughs> gold. Thank you all who did Thanks that. Thanks for involving me in that, Rick. That was really fun. I, I, I don't know if it was because I, I I did a stupid parody a couple of weeks ago, and Rick said it was uh, – Rick liked it. And then he asked me, Do you, can you uh, cover this song? So I, and, uh, I said, yeah. So that was really fun. So. Thanks a lot, Rick, for letting me be involved with this. Good times, good times, good times. My pleasure. Uh, Terry Steen says that song contains real digital to analog converted sounds. <laughs> uh, well, well just, just remember, if you subscribe to this podcast, you're going to get that song whether you want it or not. That's right. And you're really oh, like, like you too. Yeah. Yes. You can't erase it either. Oh. In eight vibrant colors. Eight vibrant colors. All right. So um, we're going to take a commercial break, and we're going to play the Nightmare Highway commercial break for lag. We've got to see which one that is, and then we'll come back. We've got, we've got lots to cover today. All right. So uh, we'll be back after these words. We're going to go ahead and play the Nightmare Highway commercial, and then we'll be back. We're going to have a host topic discussion, and then we got lots of news to cover. we got game on results to cover. We got uh, project updates and acquisitions. We got the caboose. We got a jam-packed show for you today. So this is going to be a nonstop thrill ride. So hopefully you got your seatbelts fastened, your popcorn buttered, and we'll be back after these words, boys and girls. We will return after these messages. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex. We think it works. So will you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's color computer three from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The color computer three makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word process. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced color computer three. Only at Radio Shack. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strope. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. 
defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. This is Ken Reichard, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing... Coco Talk? Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Coco Fest. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Coco Fest Edition? Still low resolution, still digital to analog converted sound. More machine language. And basic. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Now includes the power of Terry to clear the road ahead. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Available as a DVD-ROM with all my past games as an alleged bonus, including my unreleased fourth Rainbow Adventure contest entry. Unreleased for a reason. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Get your physical or digital copy at cancanmakeit.com. Now you've really paid too much. Nick Marionette on Electricity. Crikey! Electricity's a fan. The big market is just open flame. Brought to you by Nitro Stein, Ease of Use Edition. Hashtag OS9 Forever. All right, and we're back. Nightmare Highway, the game that's sweeping the nation, at least sweeping the highways. Nightmare Highway, bless you. Ken Reichert, bless you. Terry Steen, bless you. Nobody's sneezing, but we're blessing all of you anyways. Um, I, we mentioned we got a jam-packed show today, but I also want to bring up a host topic discussion, and no better time than to, to uh, do public humiliations and ridicule, but then live and on the air. Um, wow, we are getting... Okay, hold on one second here. We're getting trolled right now. Oh, we had to end the Zoom call for just a minute. We'll get it fixed. I, I was going to talk about that. So we're still live and on the air, but I've just ended the Zoom call. So we'll be back in just a second. We'll return after these announcements. What's going on, everybody? The Original Gamer Stevie Stro here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A. Coconut.com. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stro sent you. Coco forever, people. Hey there, it's Andrew here with the Tandy Speech and Sound Cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So uh, next time, make sure to tune in. It may change your life. Coco Tooth got... 
personality, lots of practicality, fun is sensational, learn is educational, Coco to is expandable, so easily commendable, it's programmable, so term exam grammable, just you and Coco to do what you want to do. Coco 2, the color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco to do what you want to do, just you and Coco 2. Boomerang Memory Board, BoysOnTech.com production. They came for us in broad daylight. Hungry. Watching. One member, they said, more power. Proper design at an affordable price. We took shelter. They were unstoppable. Coming back for more. In 2019, what goes around comes around. Boomerang 512 Classic, $15, 2 megabytes for $49. Available now. Boomerang Mania is real. Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as the Stevie Throw Devil and the SD Pack, and you are watching Coco Talk in three, two, go. All right, so we're back, we're back, we're back. So that's funny. The uh, the irony of it all was just talking about technical problems and things that make you want to go crazy, and <laughs> that was one of them. So we just got Zoom trolled, and the, and the funny thing is is that while this is a new feature that a lot of people are learning about now because they're using Zoom for the first time, uh, we got Zoom trolled a long time ago. We've been using Zoom for over a year, so we usually enable a waiting room to prevent stuff like that. And, of course, I did not have the waiting room turned on today. Shame on me. So we got trolled, and you know what? That's That's the fun and joy. Of I live think I'll, shows. I'll log off and update to the newer version. Maybe yeah. they fixed it. Mm, I don't know. Uh, what, what, yeah, there, seems, there seems to be a bunch of site out there. They're saying they're telling people how to do this too. Yeah, on yeah. On top yeah. of it. Yeah. So we're back. We're back. And of course, we've lost half our panel now because I ended the call and then came back. Yeah, there is a waiting room. I, I actually had it turned off. We have the waiting room turned off before we start so the regulars can get on easily. And then I forgot to turn it on. But that's okay. We're here. And, um, you know, th this, is the, this is the joy of humanity. You know, we're, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And this is what some people choose to do. Let's troll and let's be racist at the same time. So that's unfortunately the sad state of the mentality of some people on the planet. So, you know Nightmare what? Nightmare Zoom call. Yes, we're going to troll somebody's Zoom call. Nightmare oh Zoom call. Oh, my. <laughs> all right, so, Zoom call. So, before all hell broke loose, what I was... And, unfortunately, half of us are not here, but that's okay. Hopefully, you guys will come back. Um, I wanted to do a host discussion um, based on uh, a, a bunch of stuff, but... Um, 
what's going on right now? I do see people coming back in the call. All right, that's good. So, so just to let you know, so uh, this never made it to the air last week, but last week we actually had a really big panel. Um, we had a well, 24, 26 people on the panel, and right before the panel happened, um, I was trying to go over the order of the show or trying to have a pre-show talk, and everybody was talking at once. It reminded me of that that classic scene from the old uh, Cheech and Chong thing where the teacher's like, class, class, shut up, right? And so I basically had to have one of those moments where I had to tell everybody to shut the F up at the top of my voice before we went live because I couldn't get a word in. And so we even have problems, not to mention all the trolls who jump on the call. I had problems, we have problems managing ourselves sometimes when you have too many people on a uh, on a conference like this. Sometimes communication gets to be a little bit of a challenge, right? So anyway, so the, the host discussion topic that I want to bring up today is this has to do with, and this is, the, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase this by saying this. As we bring up this topic and as I explain this topic, the most important thing I don't want anybody here to do is to start to get defensive or uh, anything else like this, because this is this discussion has got nothing to do with accusing a person, singling out a person. We're not going to sit here and name names. But what I do want to talk about is just um, some good practices for speaking in general on a forum like this. There, there are a number of us who are here every week. We've certainly got an instinct for when to speak and when not to speak. We try not to step on each other's toes, although it doesn't always happen. So so the discussion topic is, and I'm not sure how long we're going to beat this to death is, but it's going to be with active listening. We want, I want, and, and the purpose of this, again, it's not to single somebody out or publicly shame a person. It's really about trying to plant a seed in your consciousness and get us to think about these things. So as we continue to do these shows, we'll become better listeners and we'll let the person speaking speak and hopefully not have these kind of communication collisions where we keep trying to speak at the same time and, and have these kind of verbal buddings of heads. And so that's what I want to kind of open up with. And it was brought up in our Discord server. We were talking about that. And this is all meant to be, um, you know, productive, constructive ways and how we can become better at doing this show and just better at communicating in general. So now that I've said that, um, feel free if anybody wants to chime in on the subject of uh, active listening and communicating. Go ahead, L. Curtis Boyle. Oh, the raising of hands, I think, is one thing. Then you can see who's about to speak or who wants to speak. And then whoever's the kind of the administrator of the conversation, which would probably usually be you, <clears throat> can say, okay, it's so-and-so, please do your reaction. Then you can kind of like filter it. Because we have enough time delays, especially when we're going across to Australia and stuff, where sometimes it's unavoidable to have two people talk over because they might wait two seconds and they don't hear anything. And they start talking and then somebody's further away with the lag comes in the exact same time, even though they literally did it, you know, seconds apart. And I don't think you can avoid that part of things, you know, just limitations of technology and physics. So I think having a, you know, I've got a comment to make or whatever, then we should do that. Okay. Now hold that thought. Now, here again, this is where irony comes in, right? So as when I w we were going to start this discussion five minutes ago before we got trolled. But um, again, and I'm going to point, um, again, the, this purpose is not to pick on a person, but if I'm going to out anybody, I'm going to out myself for two reasons. Number one, I'm the guy who literally lost it right before we went live and yelled at a bunch of people, which is unprofessional, but it was, for a lot of you, it was probably good comic relief. Um, but at the same token, there are controls in Zoom. 
right? And and I was going to be mentioning that. And one of those controls, which I did not turn on, caused us to get trolled by a bunch of uh, racists. And so Zoom does have controls. Like for me, the ability to mute the room. And that's one of the suggestions that Mark said. Hey, when you're doing your pre-show lineup, mute everybody. So there are some controls. And if I had muted everybody last week, I wouldn't have lost my shiznit. But that's okay. But um, rather than using technology to silence people, the goal of this is to get people to just consciously think about when we're speaking in a group, how can we get in and out without stepping on people? John Strong was the next person to raise his hand. Go ahead, John. Yes, we just... I uh, need a protocol, and that's never been mentioned before. And the raising the hand, if that's a protocol, and it just let people know the protocol, and I'm sure we're all going to try to follow it. And because that does a good idea, somebody does have to moderate and understand. I'm on, you know, during the week, I'm on meetings, you know, a lot of times, and then a lot of different people and different connection rates. And some of them I have to moderate because, you know, I'm dealing with my clients. And uh, others, I have to, you know, wait for time. Okay, to and, and uh, so I'm going to interrupt you. So here's a problem. I heard what you said, but another problem we have is that when people start to talk, sometimes we talk too long. And, and the problem we have, which people have mentioned, is I don't want to interrupt. And this is my problem. As the host, I don't want to interrupt. But what you said, you could have said in about 30 seconds raise your hand is a good protocol. Let's just define the protocol. So the problem that we're also having, and I'm, again, I'm not picking on you, but I'm using this as an example, is that raising your hand is one thing, but people, if somebody is talking for a while, then raising your hand, we're going to have a lot of people doing this. So another thing I want us to think about is the brevity of what we need to say. How can we compress what we need to say to do that? But yeah, John Strong mentioned the point, know the protocol, raise the hand. Um, uh, who else, who else raised their hand to that? They wanted to say something. Nobody now? Nobody? Anyone? No one? No one? Well, I'll say something. Go ahead. Uh, jazz hands? Jazz hands. Ooh. Yeah. Jazz hands. Is, isn't there isn't I don't there think we should interrupt people like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, isn't there a raise hand feature? There in is. Zoom there is. But honestly, it's hard to do that. Here, here's, 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 my, here's my hope, is by having this discussion and put planting this seed in people's minds is I just want people to think about this. I don't want us to have to I don't want us to have to start to mute and unmute and and press the raise hand button. I want us to think about when we're having a discussion and when we're on a panel and we're in a group that we spend more time listening and waiting for the person to finish what they're going to say, then you're going to chime in, but when you do also think about keeping that at, you know, kind of concise to we want to try to respect the air and give everybody else the time to speak too without talking too long, just finding that balance. Um, I, I really don't want people to have to press the raise hand button on Zoom and I have to look for those little blue hands to do it too. Yeah, go ahead, Mark Overholzer. Unmute yourself. Sorry, I can't find the raise hand button. Uh, there appears <laughs> to be a password now, so that's why people are not getting back on. You didn't just lock the uh, lock, uh, lock in the did I put a password on here? I don't That's remember. I don't remember putting a password on here. Let me take a look at the Zoom meeting right now. Require. I've got oh. two people saying there's a password. Hmm. Password is rage quit. Uh, okay. Oh, crap. Password I is nightmare highway. Uh, require meeting password. I don't want a meeting password, though. Why is that there? 
to set the waiting room, or is that one of the updates? What if that's part of the update for security problems that have been having? Oh, maybe that is the update. Crikey's. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, let me save that. I'm not going to say what the password is textually, but I will give you. How can I fix this? Required meeting password. Wow. That is a new feature. All right, so if you guys know the model number of the processor to the Coco, that is the password for right now. Wow, that is, man, Zoom has really um, done that. So we're not gonna type that out, we're not gonna say it out, but we gave you a clue. Um, and it's just the number. So anyways, um, wow, man, Zoom is something, huh? So well, right. they made national headlines here in Canada. I'm sure they did in the States too, because of the security mm-hmm. problems and wow. all kinds of things that happen. So I don't think they have much yeah. of a choice. Well, the thing we experienced was happening in, uh, uh, with uh, school kids trying to have a lesson. Yeah. 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 I've heard that. I've heard, I've heard the horror stories. Now, why is the waiting room not working now? I don't even have the option to turn on and off the waiting room. like <sighs> I used to, I have waiting room turned on. So they have really, Somebody's Locked got audio down. that's looping right now. Somebody turn on your radio. Turn down your radio. Turn down Listen the radio the when you call in, yeah. WNBC. Yes. No fixed time. We, I, if, I can't uncheck the require a password now. That is interesting. I can't no, that's, un- that's one of the fixes. They, they, it worked for me. That's yeah. one of the fixes. You, you have to have a password. I get. have enable waiting room checked. But the problem is, is that, well, I guess you guys who were already on, you're bypassing the waiting room. But as people are rejoining, they're not going to the waiting room. That's interesting. So here we are troubleshooting. um, Here we are troubleshooting Zoom. Zoom. Please tell me you could at least keep the first part of that show because it was good. Oh, we're still live. I didn't stop the stream. I never stopped the stream. Okay, you're going to get rid of that part. I I had to. Listen, there's nothing you can do. It's too much work to do that. It's, It's live. We do it live, right? So it is what it is. Um, anyways, what the hell are we talking about? So yeah, the, the topic today is I just want us to think about how to be better listeners, less of less interruptious, more listening and give everybody a chance to speak. And also when you do speak, keep it short. Who else wants to chime in on that? Anyone? Anyone? I agree. Okay. All right. Um, do we, does, so do we not need to discuss that any further? Um, I- I will keep my smart aleck comments as compact as I can. <laughs> yeah, somebody else has said in the comments about zip, right? So verbal zip, right? Using the zip compression. So, uh, yeah. And I'll still use the, the hand wave if there's a big discussion going where it looks like a lot of people want to jump in. I'll do that. And then if whoever's hosting the discussion can just select, you know, who's next up in line. So that yeah, actually, Brian, know, as soon as the host stops talking, not all of everybody waving starts talking at the same time. Right. And Brian Weasler is here. So Brian's one of the guys who, who brought it up. Um, so here's what we have to realize. None of us were not professional broadcasters, right? So um, a lot of us are super technical, right? And you're uh, when you're a techie, you're, you're, you, and people who speak quickly, it's usually a sign of intelligence and your brain is racing. Your mouth is trying to catch up. you got a thought you want to give it out. So we got type A personalities here we got some techie guys we're kind of geeky none of us are 
socially elegant. None of us are professional broadcasters. So it's not like this is a skill that you're born with, but it's just something I want us to think about, um, This the kind of the brevity and the breathing. Go ahead, Nick Morota. Well, I think one thing is last week it was the pre-show that really got ugly. And this week you went through us all doing sound check. And I thought that was really good. It was very orderly. Yeah. One person at a time. So I think you addressed the problem we had last week before this week's pre-show. Yeah. So okay. I really like that. Uh, that way you're not, you know, people are really talking. Like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? So like, today it was like really orderly. I liked it. Grant Lady's out there trolling. How about less Steve talking? Yeah, thanks, Grant. Brian Weasler. Um, you you brought this up in Discord. So again, we're, the purpose of this is not any public shaming. It's more about just raising public awareness. What are your Play thoughts on what we can do to <laughs> get better at communicating uh, in an orderly fashion? Yeah, sorry for being late to the show there. I had a little okay. technical issue myself there and uh, uh, just hopped on and I caught some of the little bit there. But the, the things that I have heard so far, I think that's great, you know, kind of having that uh, that little moment there in the beginning to kind of, you know, kind of get the lay for the show so that way we can uh, get started at the at the top of the hour like we want to. So I think that would be good. And I've heard about the, you know, kind of the little hand gesture if you want to speak. Um, I think that's good. But I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, some of us, we, we speak faster, our mouths are going faster than our brains sometimes and trying to trying to say things and, uh, you know, because we all have um, things that we want to add to the show and and to, uh, to say that sometimes, you know, things are moving so quickly, it's sometimes hard to uh, have that moment to be able to, to add to the show or to comment on something that uh, everybody's talking about or to have that, maybe have a question about what somebody's talking about. So, um, I like that idea of the of the hand gesture there, and to uh, yeah, just to kind of give everybody a, a chance to uh, to speak, so that before we move on to the next uh, the next topic. So um, I like what I, I like it, and uh, I think it'll be helpful. Perfect, perfect, hey, perfect. Quick, <laughs> quick comment for me. I, one one thing I've sometimes done, I haven't done it lately, but I should start getting back in the habit again. Is I have a pencil and paper nearby, so that if there's a fairly long discussion going on, and you know it's going to be a few minutes possibly to get into it say somebody's new explaining a whole topic is i'll just write down notes so i don't forget so i don't try to blurt in the middle of it and kind of throw the the, the show off a, a nice even keel type thing and and then i'll have those questions kind of queued up We've, i've done that a lot during interviews where you know something will come up oh i gotta ask him about that and i'll write that down so that that might be helpful to some people too so that you don't have to try to blurt it out before you forget you can just kind of hold it off write it down and as soon as you know the discussion pauses for a bit you can interject your question there I yeah. have a question. Uh, go ahead. Where do we put? Where's the hands up uh, button? Where do I put my hands up? Um, somewhere in Zoom, there is a thing you can click on that says "raise hand." But where it's it is? It's usually in the participants list. Is it in the? Oh, is it in the participants list itself? Yes, it used used to be to the left of the microphone. Um, your but it's not anymore. It's not anymore. <laughs> mm, so maybe so. So yeah, again, and I don't want raise hand. It's at the bottom of that list. It's at the bottom oh, of the it? list. At the bottom of the oh yeah, there it is. Right beside mute me. Okay. Okay. Well, and I'm going to be honest with you. I see Ron has his hand up. Ron has the gold hand. See the the problem. Yeah, the problem is it's it's as whoever's hosting the show, it's going to be really hard to keep track of these little hands. I think, and not all of us are on camera. But if you're on camera, just put your real hand up in the camera so we can see. Hey, I have a question. I want to say something. Ron now has given us a thumbs up. Did you did you have something you wanted to say, Ron? Are you just trying out the feature? Trying the feature. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Paul has a hand up. Paul has a hand up. Yeah. And John Strong does too. I think John. I was just trying it out. Okay. John Strong, go ahead. You have the, you have it. Yeah. 
you mentioned you had some uh, people asking, can you hear me and stuff. What I have found I need to do with Zoom with uh, my mics and stuff is I do a test before logging on each time. And so I do an audio and video test before logging in. And that might help in some of that problems that you guys had last week, too. Okay. Um, I think what we also need to come up with is a safe word that we can say where if somebody is talking and they're talking maybe a little bit too long, there's something we need to say to them that is not rude, that is like, hey, can you please wrap it up? Other than saying, hey, can you please wrap it up? Can we think of something to say? Um, and I, I think the the, 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 tar the phrase we came up with before was quoting the, um, the, the, the Star Wars thing, stay on target if we're starting to drift. But like when somebody's talking maybe a little too long, there's something we want to be able to say to not be rude, to say, okay, guys, I need, I need you to put a pin in that and then let everybody else digest it and then give us a chance to feed back to that. What, what can we do that's not going to be rude to that person? Sure. Cacool. How about a, asparagus? <laughs> People skills. People shut, skills. Shut up. Shut, shut up, up Clarkson. Now. Shut the front door. Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> 6502. Uh, <laughs> return. Like return from Ghost Up. Yeah. Return. Richard Lorbieski, are you doing good in quarantine down there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Doing excellent. I'm doing my uh, part. <laughs> yeah. Put a sock in it. So that we got. So are you the, my mummy? So, yeah, I think that I think that's part of the problem, too. When somebody's speaking, somebody might want to say something and we don't want to be rude and we don't want to interrupt, but maybe that person's never going to shut up and give us a chance to talk Plus so we gotta find we, we gotta got find that too right what's Plus the word the moderator has to come yeah in, right? stevie shut up okay there we go stevie shut up all right we'll, we'll go with that one i uh, do have one question for you stevie yes stevie can you hear me <laughs> yes i can um so yeah so really i just want us to think about that we will definitely try to use the tools within zoom which it seems like zoom is now changing on a on a daily basis with its security Jeez, i wonder concerns. why yeah so we'll try to use some of the tools i'll try to mute people at times when i need to have silence i'll use zoom to mute people um but other than that i want us to just think about it. one of the things that i that i heard about or read about or something is when people are talking if you do this and while you're listening you put your finger in front of your mouth that's basically you giving yourself a sign saying shush don't talk and you can like put your hands on your desk and do this put your finger on your chin or in front of your mouth but it's Something that's making you think about listening and making, you know, they say put a, put a thing on your finger so you don't forget something. When you do this, you're, you're kind of subconsciously telling yourself to shut up and listen, right? So that's something that I picked up. That's something I try to do to be an active listener. Um, Except so, now you're not supposed to touch your face. So Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mr. Dave's in the waiting room. We can let Mr. <laughs> Dave back in. Waiting remember, room is working again, right? Remember, children, God gave you two ears and only one mouth. <laughs> So that's right. why you can't sing in stereo. Okay. So we're not going to beat it to death, but I just wanted to plant that seed. I want us to think about it, right? I just want us to start thinking about being better listeners, trying not to interrupt, and then trying to find a way to have this kind of social discourse where we can speak in turn. Everybody gets a chance, and nobody talks too long, and everybody gets a chance to speak up, and, and don't feel shy about wanting to speak. Um, <laughs> Terry Steens, we've been trying to hint to Steve for years. Let's recycle the hints that we gave him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how about we do this? We are now going to get into the main part of the show today. Today's show is going to be all news, nothing but news, and a little game on. And basic, right? So L. Curtis Boyle, are you ready to do the news? 
Sure. I was just responding to some Discord questions about what is the password now. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot Oscar. of people that... Uh, yeah. So on, all right. So I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share the sound just for a second, so you can hear the news intro, and then I'll stop sharing, and you can take over. Okay, L. Curtis. Okay. Hopefully, uh, I haven't changed that. <laughs> all right. Here we go. We are gonna do our cue the news intro. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with L. Curtis. Hello, Muppet News Flash. All right, and we're here with news with L. Curtis Boyle. Take it away, L. Curtis. Okay, let me get uh, the right window up here. So we're doing news first. Scroll to where the start is. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing at how childish those trollers were with the this dropping end bombs. It's like, what? That's the first thing you can think of. That's the best you yeah. can do. Ron Delvo is going to raise his hand. Yes, Ron. If you need to go to the bathroom, you can, Ron. <laughs> no, I, I, I have nothing to say. <laughs> Excuse me. I have nothing to say here. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah Ken Reichert. Yeah, I'm really confused because I can't think of a whiter panel we have right now. If we never see sunlight, never mind outside. Oh, Lord. <laughs> He's forcing full screen on me. L. Curtis Boyle is sharing his screen. We are now looking at some news from the Color Computer Facebook group. Yep. And some of this stuff is up to three weeks old because we're, and this is our catch up episode because there's so much stuff been going on. So um, I also tried to amalgamate a few of them, but I didn't quite do a perfect job. So there might be some stories that, you know, might repeat with later updates. So. Anyway, to start it off, uh, Paul Shoemaker has made a Tandy-style full-color label design for Doodlebug, which is our game on Spotlight Challenge not too long ago. And you can see what the uh, label looks like here. And then when it's actually put on the cartridge, I think it looks really good. Wow. Yeah, that's quality. Now, I know some people said that some of these cartridges were actually sold in the UK, for example, that there was a Doodlebug cartridge they did that a lot more often in the UK because it basically sold cassette and cartridge more often than disc. Disc didn't quite take off as well in the UK as it did here. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see some of the designs here because I mean, uh, aside from the screenshot, which obviously is and the computerware logo, the rest of it, I think he designed himself and he came up with a very interesting graphic for it and a nice little font and stuff. So yeah. I'm impressed. Now, I'd like to see some more Just out of curiosity, how much is he selling these for? Uh, That's a joke. It's a really bad joke. You know, the whole copyrighted selling cartridge thing. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Did, did, is Doodlebug one of the ones I have permission for? Because maybe we could. I don't know. <sighs> Steve Bamford had told me that the disc system for the Dragon was very, very expensive. And so very few people bought them. There was yeah. mostly cassette and cartridge. That's why they're very in that mood. Yeah. I mean, it started expensive here, but it dropped fairly quick. Like, you know, the first... I don't know it was in the States. I can't remember it was about 600 in the States for the first generation disk drive. And it was 800 here in Canada. So, Next up is uh, Fred here on Facebook has posted an attract mode option for Coco games that uses Coco fonts as well as screenshots. And it's, a, it's meant as a front-end cross-platform. So it can launch, launch multiple emulators, including MAME and VCC, etc., He's got a little demo kind of showing it what it looks like here. No, oh, that's cool. 
you can see that it shows on the left in a cocoa font in the cocoa colors you know what game you've got selected on the right it has a screenshot from it that's our friend in brazil fred ricky i love the cocoa fonts he's got going on there too the cover art that looks like the 64 yeah it looks like the 64 column mode of the cocoa yeah. bga bga yeah. yeah it does it does <clears throat> i mean it's a really good idea i think it's uh like I've done screenshots on on Mame, but it's it's tedious, tedious work. And and then then if you wanted to run it on VCC, you don't have that option. Well, now you've got the option to cross all the emulators, XOR or VCC, Mame. And I think it's might might be shareable. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, or if anybody else here has, they can pipe in. Uh, if it's shareable, that if you have the game selected and you want to pick different emulators, does it show you the same information, the same screenshot? Which would be really cool because it save a lot of time. And then you can just pick the emulator. Like I like the colors for this game better on VCC than I did on Mame or whatever. Oh, that was really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Good job, Frederiki. Jim Gary, who was on the panel, I don't know if he's rejoined after our little uh, issue, um, but he had a blog post about his Type In Mania 2020 awards, uh, where people can compete with basic mini uh, games, and then he has this little trophy selected. Now, this was originally supposed to be part of the fest. And uh, there's a couple of contests that have been delayed from the, the, the fest actually getting postponed. So uh, he's got a sample here. This is a bit, ten line basic uh, minor game, which kind of oh, looks that's so cool minor. looking. Yeah, and there's a Atari Adventure clone, and and uh, this year he also has a second trophy that he was planning for the person that can win his his port of the classic Atari Twenty Six Hundred Adventure game pictured on the bottom of the screen there. Whoever competes completes it on the highest level, and you get a trophy as well. So he's got a couple of trophies, man mentioned there i'm not sure exactly how he's going to distribute them originally we're supposed to be at the show i'm guessing so maybe he mails them out or whatever i'm not positive uh both contests require that you send in a screenshot and he had a deadline before the end of april 19th now this was originally queued back up in mid-march so it's a bit tight on time now maybe he'll extend that because i mean things have happened around the world have kind of delayed things a bit so but his his his, his website's got a whole bunch of really cool stuff on it all of his, you know, endeavors into the Dragon, the Coco, and the MC-10. So it's a good site to keep up with. Plus, he always has stuff there like every week. And and by the way, at a time like this when Curtis is doing the news, it's going to be impossible for us to see all the hands being raised. So if you have something you want to say about his news thing, feel free to chime in. Just try not to step on Curtis as he's explaining it. Um, okay, word pack. This is the cartridge that you plug in to get a secondary composite screen. And Curtis, you're muted. It's a little bit more than that. It's uh, Paris Rat's been working on uh, using what is it, the VS or V9958 graphics update, which he put into a WordPack two plus board is what they're calling it for the Dragon. Okay. So the original Word Pack was sold on the Coco back in the 80s, and it was basically an 80 column card. It used a 6845 video would ship by Motorola. So it gave you 80 column, smooth scroll, inverse video, a few other things. This is actually a full-blown graphics chip uh, with programmable fonts and multiple colors and higher resolutions. And he's got this little sequence of videos here that he's uh, showing some of the demonstrations of it running. So I'll just do a quick little blips of each. And that's composite output? From the cartridge right now? Is that coming straight? From, oh, no, that's the cartridge there, huh? Yeah. Uh, that's a cool-looking font. Wow. Look at those. That's fast. I mean, in that way, it kind of reminds me of the Coco VJL, but that you can program your fonts. 
looks like Tamik Sinclair. And this is the 80 column version of it. That's cool. So it's got 40 and 80 columns. Yeah. Which is interesting, but I mean, we've kind of seen that kind of stuff before. Where it's interesting is some of the graphic stuff he's been doing. Yeah, because that's on a dragon. If you have a Coco 3, 80 columns is not a new revelation. Um, but on a dragon that's never had anything like this. Okay. Are these artifact colors, I'm assuming? because Nope, these opposite. are pure colors. Pure colors, huh? So it's got quite a few colors. I can't remember the exact quantity here. Um, so fast forward some of these. And different resolutions, too. Oh, look at that. That's kind of a nice dithering pattern there. Is this the chipset that supports the sprites and such? Yep. Okay. Also, the these, these are his earlier prototypes. This is from the three weeks ago news already. So yeah. go ahead. Also, the 9958-9938, they have their own RAM, too. So the, the video chip actually has its own RAM buffer. It doesn't use any of the, uh, the RAM in the uh, uh, whatever it's plugged into. Yeah. <clears throat> and then a little bit further along, he, um, he started working on some of the AGD games. Um, so he's got Foggy's Quest, which you remember way back on the first AGD stuff, the ports from the Speccy came over. Uh, Foggy's Quest is one of the few he actually redid in P-Mode 3 graphics. This is using the, uh, I believe it's a 640, 216 color mode or something like that. Yeah. Now that music is not coming from the game, I take it. No, I don't think so. I think he just had to play in the background while he was recording. Okay, those colors look really good. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that it has kind of a green border, but the black background, you know? Yeah, and then he's uh, doing some demonstrations here where he's actually been patching basic to uh, you know run the list command properly and stuff so you can actually use this for just you know your basic programming. <laughs> and the dirt command you had to fix that, yeah. you know, to get the formatting correct, etc. So, I mean this so should work with a cocoa too, right? This is not Thank only you. Yes. pulling in. Yes, it, I think it should. Thank you. And yeah. the fact that it actually has sprite chips and stuff, I mean, then you can start doing some pretty fancy stuff. I know Chet's been working on, you know, adapting some chips for the same purpose. Um, it looks like Pear's a little bit ahead of them. So hopefully we go, don't get too many standards again like we have with sound cards. But right. the fact he's already got basic patch, he's already got a, a game port working on it, or at least partly working on it, is is really promising. So I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on that because having a 16-color Coco 1 and 2 game running with you know real hardware sprites here, uh, with an expanded palette, we make some pretty darn interesting games. And if he gets the AGD engine basically working, that means he can port some of the Spectrum games we've already seen in black and white. Yeah. The full yeah. color. Yeah. And some of that probably first text reminded me of Telerider 128. Wow. Yeah, a little bit. Jeremy Landry asked about, uh, do you have to replace the ROM or can the basic be flashed? Loaded into RAM, or how does I'm not it go? sure how Pear's doing that. I mean, it's a cartridge that plugs in, so I don't know if he has a ROM on there that kind of adds on to basic, kind of like this basic does. I'm no, not sure probably, how that works. Probably what it do, or patch parts of basic or something. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft designed the basic to be expandable. They have hooks all over the place that you can expand the keyword tables and everything else, so you can add to it as much as you want. In fact, a lot of software patches, Coco, Coco 3 Super Basic is actually using those patches to you know, overwrite the ROMs because they weren't allowed to uh, modify the original Microsoft ROMs due to the contract with Microsoft. So 
it's it's definitely uh, patchable from the ROM cartridge, I would think. But Pear would be the one to ask to make sure. Yeah. And for you guys who don't know, Pear, Pear has done, well, he's doing this project. He did the AGD adventure game designer ports, and uh, he also does the CMOC compiler. And uh, so he does a lot of stuff, this guy Pear. So, um, and he's doing a lot of work with CMOC supporting the Cocoa VGA, too. He came up with a um, kind of like what Nick and, and Curtis did for the Cocoa 3 palette hacks for certain games, that games loader yep. menu. He came up with one of those for the Cocoa VGA. So this guy does a lot of stuff, and uh, I'm glad some people are getting to see it. You know, I know he, he posts it out there, but I think there's a lot of kind of like unsung heroes in our community that are doing some really cool stuff that I'm glad we're able to kind of share with everybody. Yeah, yeah. and even the six or nine patches I've been doing for Cocoa 1 and 2 games, he's been porting those to the Dragon, too. So, I mean, that you can have that yeah. to his list of things. He's a, he's the Jim Gary of the Dragon world. He's one of the most talented people that you'll hardly ever hear from because he doesn't toot his own horn other than just posting things, you know? So Yeah, yeah. Did that make me a sung hero? <laughs> well, you got sung on today. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. And these are some uh, still screenshots. You can kind of see the colors better. Yeah. The, the Foggy's Quest port he's doing here. So there's a few That's really screenshots. Neat. But you notice how the border looks kind of greenish? That, I think it's just artifact. You see it graduates down to white. I think it's just catching the scan line. Oh, okay. You took the photo. Okay. It looks like it could do some, some pretty, pretty godly work. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. And I, I don't know if he's got a price, you know, kind of set for it yet or what it might be. But Well, what would be cool is if, if you patch the engine and once the engine is patched, all the other games, they're just, you just drop them in and play them, right? And so... Yeah, and there's, what, 220 some odd games ported from and, the AGD and I already? think that was the the only criticism you could really say about that whole AGD to the Cocoa project was is hey these look great and you can have your choice of color black or white you know so <laughs> <laughs> so there was this we have 200 monochrome games that look amazing but you know monochrome is very limiting um, yeah. and so to have some actual colors in here um, is kind of nice color yeah and it I understand why like he did that I mean the resolution on the spec, the spec program was exactly the same well, as Cocoa 256 by 192 so it was perfect bit, bit yeah. for bit match yeah. but the spectrum doesn't do colors based on bit patterns it does colors based on a background tile that you set the foreground background color for each rectangular block on the screen mm -hmm. of, I can't remember the pixel sizes but that's why you get that that bleeding of colors yes, when you yeah. watch a Spectrum game because mm -hmm. it has to match the background tile color. It's, so it's, it's almost kind of like in the original Space Invaders. I had that clear film over it and whatever passed behind the film yeah. was the same color. It's kind yeah. of like that Just concept. Just a bit more high tech. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Star this looks really promising. Go ahead. Star Castle, Mark was saying. Yeah. Star oh, Castle yeah. had that. Yeah. Yeah. And another contest that has been uh, delayed is one by uh, Diego, um, and he has done this the last few years, and he says, just in case anyone's wondering, the Asimov Awards are not canceled. The deadline has been extended tentatively till September. Uh, that's obviously up in the air along with everything else, which it means you have the almost six months to create your greatest program. Mm. Ever. Yeah, I prefer we use the word postponed. Don't use the C word. Things are just being postponed. Yeah, I agree. So he's done that thoughts. a few times. He's he, he had a big gap there for ten years, but uh, it's back up and running again. So, hmm. 
Okay, now I'm going to see where I'm here. Okay, Super Jerry fun. Stratton has released Super Basic for the Cocoa, which allows using a modern-looking scripting language to create the equivalent basic code. And he's got an article on his site here with some sample code, etc., which looks very much modern compared to, say, basic, and it actually just generates into basic. So basically that program up here, done in a more modern style, gets converted in, by his program into this. Wow. Now, I, I've... Um, Alan Huffman had taken a look at this a couple weeks ago, too, on one of his blogs, I think March 18th. Alan, if you're still on, though, you can probably explain better than me trying to remember what happened a couple weeks ago on your blog. What, about about this? Yeah, like, what, what's your impressions of it? Because you kind of went into it with a bit, bit of detail more than I did. Well, the, the main advantage about it is uh, you could write, since a lot of us are choosing to write our code in a uh, modern text editor, this let you go ahead and write it using a more modernized script language. And when you do that, you can use long variable names and labels and things like that. So you don't really worry about um, line numbers as much. And then this will convert it over into basic. So you can kind of maintain your code in a more um, modern type of language, but still end up with regular color basic on the other side. And I think that's a really interesting idea, especially when you do anything complex and you can't remember the names of 27 single and two character variables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what was E2 again? That came right after E1. <laughs> I remember watching Stevie live blog his Cosmic Aliens trying to remember what certain variables did because of that exact same reason, because you're limited to two characters and he was having issues remembering that too. Or mixing a couple of them up. Yeah. And that has happened to me. That's happened, I think, to everybody. So, yeah, that's a very positive thing. Now, Alan, did you actually, aside from, you know, doing a brief thing, did you actually do any programming this way? And, and No, like not yet. It, it's on my list. There's a couple of uh, variations of this type of idea. And I'm uh, the more I get into trying to write larger projects, uh, the more interested I am in using some of these preprocessors. So I'm going to try to look for a way to integrate that into some editors like Microsoft Visual Code or things like that, things that I'm already using. And I, I think that uh, would really be a great way to mock up something in BASIC real quickly without having to struggle against BASIC. Okay. And it still requires you to run this in an emulator on the real machine because it converts it to actual disk extended BASIC. It doesn't have its own interpreter built into that that's my the... understanding. Yeah, it just it just processes it out to an ASCII basic file that you can then load like an ASCII program into an emulator or a real machine. Okay. And here's a nice shorter example that you did on your blog, uh, just doing a couple of loops and it you know converts it into you know a loop reading the keyboard basically. Oh yeah, look at that. That looks like uh, normal code you're used to writing, right, with your indents and your tabs and all that kind of stuff, huh? I think it sounds promising too. I can see it being used for large projects for the exact same reasons that Alan stated. So, any of the programmer types out there, if you want to give it a shot and give us some feedback, maybe we can kind of cover your projects or your your learning of the language on on Cocoa Talk in the future and kind of help. Maybe even have one of our interactive programming uh, shows again, like we haven't done for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, right? You're writing software to help you write software. <laughs> so, do you have to lay out a table ahead of time as far as what the different keys represent? As far as, or does it figure it out how to convert, you know, like the, the longer names into the shorter two, two character ones? My oh, I, understanding is it does that translation for you. 
Uh, it tries to use, it looks like it tries to use the first two characters, so it must have some way of handling uh, collisions if you have too many long variable names that begin with the first two letters. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine it probably does something similar to what, you know, the long file names in Windows did originally when they were converting to the 8.3s that have like six character tilde and then, you know, a number or whatever. I'm imagining it does some renaming automatically to kind of cover that too. It may not look the cleanest when you look at the color basic code, but you know, since you're writing in the other language anyway, you, you won't really care at that point as long as it works. So what do you, so it's obviously a cool tool that you can do that, right? But what are your thoughts on, um, I don't know, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but so this, this lets you be this open thinker where you can write out your code more mnemonically, more kind of english-like and then it kind of you know and then it converts it back into the literal language it's cool but is it is it helpful is it a hindrance or do you, is it a hindrance or maybe is it an enabler for somebody who doesn't know the basic structure you still have to understand some type of coding and some type of logic so yeah. as cool as it is i mean i'm i'm uh, for me i'd rather just write it in basic because i understand basic and i don't do real coding for a living so I think it, it depends where you're coming from. If you're somebody that has grew up with Color Basic, you might want to stay with Color Basic. If you're somebody that's kept up with modern languages like C and, and stuff like that or Java, yeah. you're probably more used to this mo newer syntax. Okay. And, and having enough. variable names, you can actually remember the names of you know what they mean because they're self-explanatory, I think would help too. Yeah, that, that I would agree. So for somebody who is more actively coding with real coding in the real world, this is a great tool to where they can kind of pick up and play. Um, but for somebody who's maybe not a, a real coder, somebody who's truly retro, like say Nick or me. <laughs> yeah. I, what I like, and hopefully John's, hopefully John's still here. The, the, my hybrid is I'm using John's editor where I basically have kind of like a notepad application on the PC that I type with and I can edit and copy and paste, but I'm still writing it like I'm writing a basic code. I'm just using a better keyboard and better screen, you know? So that's kind of my compromise and trade-off. Um, but there's no, there's no wrong way to do it. And it's a really cool project, but I'm just trying to see, you get some people's thoughts on this. Like, I, I think the two main ones are the people that have kept up their programming skills for modern languages because it's, and haven't touched color basic in 30 years, but want to get back into programming the cocoa. Yeah. <clears throat> and rather than having to relearn color basic and then go, Oh God, I only have two characters. What the hell does you two mean? Um, you, this way you have a way to just pick up a your skill band. set where it is now and go with it. And the other one would be the people that are just getting into Cocoa for the first time as part of the retro computer community. They can actually jump in now and, and keep the modern skill set and not have to go through. All right, so if you've never code. used Color Basic, this this then removes a barrier to entry. Yes. Where yeah. Yeah, On, Honestly, as a basic programmer, I would love just a preprocessor that lets me not do line numbers and use long variable names. That's okay. very simple. And okay. then it would pre-process that, figure out the line numbers, and uh, convert it back to small things. I think that would be what I would like more than anything, okay. because then I could write enough. the basic I know. Right, yeah, because like you say, trying to remember what's what's the difference, you know, what's the difference between E2 and E3? Well, it's one, right? So, yeah, but <laughs> uh, no, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. Now, James, James Jones has a, an interesting uh, question here that I think uh, we might have to look into on this language. He said, thanks, you didn't seem to get the message about how debugging takes you back into the horrors of color basic. Because if you have to debug it because there's a problem in your code and you want to rerun some you know, basic tools to figure out what a variable is getting set to or something, you have to do that in color basic still. You have to use the converted version. Yeah. 
I mean, if it's an obvious error, you can go back to the original script code. And, oh, and because if, yeah, if you, the, the, uh, your variable was called energy, but in this one it's E3 and now how do you, how do you pull up the runtime yeah. of that? Yeah. And that I'm not sure. Alan, have you looked into that at all or? No, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty much all my debugging in the editor and then I load it and run it, look at it, make changes in the editor, push it back to the cocoa, do it again. And then I never leave my editor environment. So if I was doing something like that with the scripting language and could get that turnaround time, the time it takes from where I say, put this code on the Cocoa to be really quickly, I don't think I'd do any debugging on the color computer other than maybe printing a variable name and that would be difficult. But then, you could make the yeah. front end give you a, a conversion table that says energy is E3. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. If, if you, you could generate a REM table or something. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. could generate a REM, a REM table. To <laughs> <begin>. <laughs> Earlier, Jer Jeremy Laundry said, there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? So I guess it's tomato, tomato, right? So, Well, you know, Stevie, this sounds a lot like the arguments people probably had when it came to machine language versus assembly language and uh, things. Right? Every time you add a level of abstraction, there's going to be people who are for it or who think, no, we should yeah, do things. Yeah, and, and I, I don't, I'm not on either side. I just wanted to get people's thoughts on it. Because for me, being somewhat of an outsider to that structured programming, um, I didn't see the immediate value for it other than the cool factor. This, this is cool looking. But now that you guys are talking me through it, I do see you know, there's a lot of benefits being able to use real variable names and, and not have to remember about line numbers. This go sub joystick routine, if that's what you, that's what, that reminds me of what I used to do in Quick Basic, right? In Quick Basic, every, you, you referenced your routines had plain, you know, plain English descriptors, you know, go sub joystick, yeah. you know, go sub. And like uh, basic nine, we do a run procedure. Yeah. Uh, John Strong, yeah. you had your hand up first and then Terry Stake. Oh, see, I'm not even seeing the hands. Yeah. Thank you. Well, just warn you, I'm long-winded. I'll try not to be, but if you <laughs> we'll, want we'll me on, you, you're going you're to have to have, you know, deal with that a little bit, okay? Because just the way I function, and I'll try to keep it short. But again, back to Alan's comment is, yes, I agree, being able not to do the line numbers and be able to have the stuff shortened. And this was actually uh, a project I had started work on and forgotten about because life gets in the way, moved and stuff, is... Uh, I don't know if you remember, I was talking about doing an optimizer for basic that would optimize it for you. And uh, that was some of the things on my future list to be able to write that without worrying about where the line numbers were at in the code. And then it would create the optimized version for you and then going on with basic. And uh, so that's some of the things, that, you know, I've considered along the line. Uh, back to the tool that you're doing there, uh, it'd be great if he had an emulator, but again, Alan seems to be able to work with it fast enough without emulating with it, or maybe not an emulator, but a simulator to the basic. But even that has some problems in the fact that many times with basic and the color computer, you're going to have to do certain peaks and pokes and, and things like that to get it to function, because basic just doesn't do this does 99% of what you want it to do, but that 1% or, you know, half percent, you're going to have to do some pokes or do them direct right to the screen. And so there's some issues there. Uh, and some of that I've considered about doing, you know, there's a lot of things I've thought about working with and writing and doing it, just have enough time to do. And, uh, but there's some options that he could go. He could write a simulator that handled 99% of the stuff. So you could actually run it in there, debug it in there, and then put, take it to the cocoa. But that that does up the work level that he would have to do tremendously to take the tool to that point. Okay. And Terry, you had a comment as well? 
Well, John kind of stole my thunder there. I agree with him 100%. <laughs> I, I think another part would be kind of cool if it had the ability to have profiles of each cocoa. So you could have a cocoa one, and then it would only have the certain um, characteristics oh, the- that it could run, uh, like a cocoa three with the Hitachi processor. You know, that's a whole different um, medium. That would be kind of cool if it if you could have different, I guess, constraints by the machine you're trying to program for. Yeah, and uh, Nick Marenti's has his hand up too in, in Zoom. Um, yeah. This is for BASIC though, right? So I don't know that BASIC is aware of the Hitachi without poking, right? Yeah, I mean, it would help between Cocoa 3 BASIC versus Cocoa 1 and 2 BASIC if you want to do 80-column screens, etc. cetera. would have to know that kind of thing. But yeah. Anyway, Nick, go ahead. Oh, learn BASIC 09. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, James Jones and a few others like me would probably say too, because a lot of the features are there as well. Well, it's all there. It's um, you know, no no one's been trying to use it, so it's got all those things that they're all talking about. Why don't we use it? Oh, because it does come with additional. I mean, it's part of OS nine. It's not a standalone thing. So if you want to learn Basic O nine, you have to learn a bunch of other stuff with it. Which could that be is true. The learning curve is steeper. So yeah. this is ba- this is a basic 09 wrapper for disk extended color basic in a sense, <laughs> right? So sort of, sort of. It doesn't yeah, do, yeah. It doesn't optimize. Not quite, to, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's RSB going the other way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying OS9 isn't worth learning. I'm just saying it is yeah. an additional. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It Especially is when you get beta five year later this month, but yeah. that's coming up later in the news. <laughs> beta, beta five. <laughs> hey, Stevie. Yes. Asparagus. Oh, is that the safe word? By the way, Curtis mentioned EOU to the Asparagus. I'm way ahead of you. I'm drunk already, but anyway. <laughs> Shut up, Steve. Do you have to raise your hand for smart ass comments? Like, how does that work? No, I sure hope not. <laughs> well, in that case, Nick, you never have to raise your hand. Yeah. Oh, I uh, owe. <laughs> Okay, uh, is Dave on the call because he was on earlier? Yes, I yeah, think he is. I'm still here. Yeah. Okay, because uh, this is your video, I believe, uh, yes. showing you using the Wi-Fi. So I'll play it. I'll mute the sound here if you want to just kind of describe what, what you did and what it's doing. Sure. Okay. Uh, so as most people know, I have a Raspberry Pi that I use as an interface because I needed uh, something to interface the USB keyboard. Um, for the cocoa. And since I have a Raspberry Pi there, I decided to start to take advantage of all the different features it can do. And one of them is the uh, Wi-Fi. So here, I wrote just a little basic script that takes uh, what's coming in on the keyboard input and displays it to the screen. And um, what's happening here? Yeah, so what I'm going to try here is just a quick example of parsing a web page. So I'm typing in a website URL, and my little program is going to go sniff through it and find the characters that I want and display it. Now, it's coming in slowly because um, I'm just inputting it through the keyboard. I didn't decide to backdoor it through the uh, serial port or anything. That makes sense. So explain to me what's going on right now. You're typing on the keyboard straight to the Raspberry Pi, and then that's feeding it from the Pi to the Cocoa? Yeah. Anytime when I type 
something on my keyboard. It's going through the Raspberry Pi and it gives it to the the Coco as as uh, you know keyboard data, but. The Raspberry Pi is also sniffing what I'm doing and looking for some keywords and command words. So when I type something, it might say, hey, that's for me, you know. Mm -hmm. So it will run its own little subroutine. So here I decided to, well, let's see if I can pull off data off the Internet, type in a web page and get me the data into into the Cocoa. Now, of course, I'm going to be I'm going to be passing it you know, through parallel data later on, uh, which I'll be able to bring up the web pages faster. So you told your Coco to basically fetch a web page. The Raspberry Pi is fetching it and then feeding it back to the Coco like as a, like if it was on a bulletin board, just feeding it through serial? Yeah. Okay, I get it. Based on the information I asked it to parse from the web page, I said, get me this information from a web page. So it looked through the web page and said, okay, this is what you asked for. Here it goes. That's cool. So you're you're basically saying, hey, fetch. Yeah. Fetch and the me. reason why I wrote a little basic program to display it, because like I could just ask it to do it right now, and it, it's going to come in on... Um, like right as if you're typing a program. And I'm showing here the Python script that I use to uh, parse the web page. Hmm. What version of Python are you on now? Are you on Python 3 with this? Yeah, Python 3. See, I almost sound like I know what it's talking about because I was talking to Mikey the other day about the differences between Python 2 and yeah, that, that was a good simulation of being a real programmer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very good at feigning intelligence. <laughs> and Dave, so, as long as you use this this power for good and you don't use it to like troll Zoom from a computer, yeah, that would really. be good. Well, you know, because I have the, the Raspberry Pi is always on in the Cocoa, and just basically most of the time it's just, oh, you type the letter F. Okay, here, Cocoa, here's the letter F. But it can do a lot more. That's why I was able to do uh, Wi-Fi printing with it. Um, I can play MP3s. I can, anytime I ask it to do something special, you know, it, it can give that data to the Cocoa for me. So there's going to be a lot more I'll be able to do with it. Uh, in the future. Cool. cool. We look forward to seeing yeah. all future projects you build with that. And one one great thing is really the Raspberry Pi is like $35. And it allowed me to, to use USB, USB mice, wireless keyboards, Wi-Fi printers, like everything. Right. Wi-Fi, Ethernet. Yeah. It's starting to sound like the David Ladd wet dream. Yeah. <laughs> but acronyms and hardware and ESP eighty two sixty six GTL serial floppy drive data multiplexer. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have started that. <laughs> you now, hopefully, that. people people don't see all my global variables in this uh, script because that's apparently a no no in Python. All right, well, Curtis, cover his screen. <laughs> <laughs> And this is a second uh, video you put up, which um, is how to hand code machine language subroutines in BASIC. I don't know if you wanted to do much of explanation to that or. Sure. I'm confused because I was looking at the uh, TV. Okay, I should be watching the Zoom feed. Uh, yeah. So I wrote a little BASIC program that basically just um, takes data, pokes it into the RAM, 
And when it's done, it runs its own little subroutine to, to check what's left in the registers. So it's a great way to test um, little machine language subroutines that you might want to write. So here you can see I'm using um, the Coco 3 emulator, VCC, and the editor assembler. So I'm writing a little code, and I assemble it, and I just feed the data into my Coco 2, and it, it lets me uh, try little machine language subroutines. Because that's something I messed up when I was young. I didn't bother using any machine language subroutines in my basic programs, and uh, I could have really use that. Yeah, and it's a good place for learning machine language, too, is when you just do those little projects that are a lot more easier to process in your head rather than trying to write a full-fledged app and assembly for your first project. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, here, this is a, a very small little program, and yet it, it does, like, a lot of power on the Cocoa. It, it, you know, things really move along fast. Yeah. So anyway, that's a, that's a good start. Like for the people that want to take the machine language course that Steve Bjork's been doing, and he's actually planning on on you know finishing that off and doing a second series. And I think Stevie, you've got all the videos and stuff already broken up and all. Yeah, online. they're in a playlist on my YouTube channel. So this would be a nice little intro piece too that you could use in conjunction with like how to rather than writing an entire semi language program start to finish, how to just do a short little subroutine you need where you need some speed and then merge it with your basic program. So you can kind of use both tutorials together. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely far from an expert, and I'm, a, I'm definitely a beginner. But I can give people the beginner's advice that I learned and help them get a good start, you know? Sure, knowledge sharing. If man. someone who's shied away from this, you know? Maybe someone was like, oh, I know, assembly, it's pretty foreign stuff. But, I mean, yeah. I started, I used to do this just looking through the book, finding the codes. It's always good to have somebody with a beginner's viewpoint because once you've done this for so long, you forget some of those little things that you really need to tell the beginners. Okay. And a yeah. lot of times that's not in the expert books because they're so used to it. They forgot the troubles that they right. ran, ran into with the, the these I, items. Paul Thayer, you have a comment too. Well, I was, I've said it before on the show too, but I mean, Making uh, machine language subroutines for your basic programs is a great way to start to understand how to do assembly. So, and and Ken Riker, I mean, right your Nightmare Highways a hybrid of both too. Is that the reason you did it that way? Is to make it a bit easier? Uh, mostly, it was because I wanted to uh, not fool around with handling disk access and playing some little bits of music in there. So that's why I just went with basic with those because it started off as it wasn't necessarily going to be a hybrid, but I just got lazy on those things and said, I don't want to bother with them and it's not important to the game. So anything outside of the main game loop is pretty much basic. John? Um, my disc games, uh, I use a basic loader and the reason for that is I do a high score is because Back the time I wrote them, you weren't always guaranteed everybody used the, the the documented ROM calls to do their disk and that they had a spatial hard drive system or something didn't use to document it. Basic was always supported, even though maybe the official routines was not supported properly. And so my loader basically loads the high scores in, saves the high scores, calls the machine language program okay, to run. And then when it exits, when you save a high score, it, it will do with basic and the reason for that was just to make sure the compatibility was there because everybody made sure they were compatible with basic not necessarily with the rom calls 
Yeah, and I think that's the reason Nick Morantes uses basic loaders for all of his games too. It's just it's just easier. This this guy routines you don't really need to worry about writing in machine language that you can just use basic to load in all your graphics and your sound effects, et cetera, just as separate little files. Yep. Correct, Nick? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you've got that you know, you know, nice point answering thing down to a fine art here already. That's Thanks, right. Stevie, for mentioning that earlier. <laughs> Gotta keep the uh, responses short. Short and sharp. I've heard in even in programming follows kind of the 80-20 rule. You find that uh, you know 80% of your time spent in 20% or less of the code. So you know, you optimize the parts that need to be and leave the mundane stuff where it doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, definitely check that out. You can merge it with Steve Bjork's uh, currently already finished part of his assembly language tutorial and the new one he's going to be coming out with hopefully fairly soon. No, and no, now no, we're going to... Give me one go second. Ahead. i got to switch back. I had uh, the speakers on full screen. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Dave. And Alan Huffman, we're going to be going through some more of your stuff here. Um, just kind of scattershot as I went through. Um, so you were doing some stuff here with uh, optimizing Color Basic again and, and doing it with a bouncing ball demo. Um, did you have any comments on that and where that went with some of the suggestions you received? Well, the, the interesting thing um, is that I started out with uh, seeing Jim Jerry's, uh, Gary's, is it Jerry or Gary? Gary. I saw I saw the uh, bouncing ball demo he did, and so I'm I'm working to an end game right now. It's simply um, here's a start. What and I wrote it very simply, uh, you know, a command per line, very inefficient. And then I presented a challenge of how would you make it faster? And so various folks have put on their own attempts and have more than doubled, tripled the speed from the original logical, well laid out, you know, simple basic. And that has continued. Every time I get more attempts, somebody figures out a way to get it even faster. Um, so it's it's been interesting watching the approaches people come up with, uh, things that aren't just basic, but um, doing less work to achieve the same results. You know, just good optimization that would work, you know, on any type of interpreted language. So I, I'm learning I'm learning quite a bit from watching what other people do. And was there anything that, uh, like, I know you had a whole bunch of people giving you suggestions. Were there any things that really jumped out at you as being, oh, geez, that's ingenious? Um, no, some of the smartest things people are doing is removing math, trying to calculate stuff up front. Most of it I've been talking about for years, but this removing math thing, I've never benchmarked any of the math functions in BASIC. And so people are finding out that, you know, I'm seeing people put in decimal numbers because once it's stored in a variable, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, they're doing a lot of interesting tricks to cut down on a divide or a multiply or things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, that this is this rolls into another optimization challenge that happened right after this. So it's 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 mostly people figuring out ways to do less work because work is what makes basic slow. OK, cool. I'm glad you're blogging all this, too, because there's there's some you know good techniques in there and some you know tricks in color basic I never knew about. There's some also the algorithmic changes like you're mentioning where it's not it's not how you've programmed it. It's how you approach the whole problem. You know, if you do this way, this is just a faster way of doing it. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of modern programming techniques being applied to these old languages now, which is uh, things that we would have never been exposed to in the pages of Rainbow Magazine 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, James Jones is mentioning that removing math is a is compiler type stuff, uh, strength reduction loop unrolling. So, um, and James Diffendaffer, which we've had this discussion before, that you know the way the interpreter does that math is floating point versus integer, which is very slow. 
Um, yeah, I learned I learned a lot working on cosmic aliens too. Like you know, use a variable versus a constant because variables in RAM it doesn't have to be converted every single time within the interpretation loop and whatnot. So yeah, there are always things yeah, and, to be gleaned. And other little tricks I Alan's mentioned some of his previous blogs, like use hex numbers whenever possible because they actually run faster than the raw. Now, you, know, now you just mentioned too though, Alan. Once it's in a variable, does it matter if you're sticking a variable? A hex variable versus a decimal variable, does it matter at that point when it's been variableized? It does not. However, okay. um, if you're doing assignments before a loop, if you assign it with hex, that assignment will be slightly faster. If it just does it once at startup, it well, doesn't really matter. Okay, so let me ask you this. What about a for next loop? If you say for x equals and h1 to, is that going to be well, faster than... This is something that I'm looking into now because I'm seeing a lot of people do that. My initial test showed that it didn't matter, but I'm seeing a lot of people doing that that are writing versions faster than what I can do. Yeah. So there probably is at least some speed gain of generating the Fortinex loop. But my understanding is once it passes that statement, it doesn't look at the variables again. So if it's doing that loop 10,000 times, whether you assigned it by numbers or hex numbers shouldn't matter but I, that is something i'm going to look into they've they've been giving me a laundry list of things i want to research now like i i think it might be faster to use a normal one than and h1 okay um it, it appears that there is a break-even point but okay. maybe a single digit is not that okay fair enough uh this brings up a question optimizing i know it's a little off topic and just just so you guys know i did have my head explode if we talk about optimizations for too long so just bear that bear that in mind no pressure no pressure <laughs> oh i was wondering if you did ever release the version of your our game with the any of the speed up of the assembly language stuff i gave you well, I, I haven't released it at all because it's not done, but um, okay. the, the, the more recent update you gave me, I don't understand anymore. So I, I actually felt like I lost control of the program and I stopped working on it because I don't, you, made, you made changes that are now beyond my comprehension. So I just I put that whole thing on the back burner. So, um, well, you can contact me. We, it's, they're very simple if you see it, just different. So uh, you can contact me off of the talk yeah okay. yeah yeah but I, i've started another project that i've also abandoned that i'm trying to get back to so <laughs> <laughs> so uh i was not unheard of yes starting a project and not quite i'm, I'm consistently yeah. not i'm probably going to regret this um but uh, ron klein has something up here about uh, working with the grease weasel the hxc command line tools being added to the cocoa pie through which seems to work great and it was a david ladd request so uh, like i said i hate to do this but david do you want to explain what this is all about and uh, what happened here oh i would be so pleased to help you out with this discussion i'm gonna uh, go spare <laughs> bye nick have a nice day um so at this point the grease weasel if nobody knows what it is is basically a cheaper um, more affordable um, option for like the Cryoflux or the really old ISA-based uh, cat weasel. And I know Curtis knows what a cat weasel is. Um, so I'm probably the only one, but go ahead. Yeah. Want to explain exactly what this does? So basically on the Grease Weasel, um, you have some Python software scripts that through the USB talks to the grease weasel, which then is hooked to a real floppy drive. And it could be three and a half, five and a quarter, 
high density, double density, single density, it doesn't matter. And you can image the disk. And here's the thing, it's listed for forensic purposes. <clears throat> you can image the disk so that way you can um, analyze it, try to repair the disk image if needed uh, for those that know how to manipulate the magnetic um, information that's stored in its disk images. Um, but then you can convert those disk images um, to things that could be used in an emulator if, if you wanted. Um, or you can write that image back out to another floppy disk. So there are options that you can, can use it for. Um, but one of the things that I wanted it on the project was because emulators and USB Raspberry Pi, you could combine all that together and just be able to read a real floppy disk and then turn around and use the disk image on the emulator right right after you're done reading the disk image. Okay. I mean, I'll explain one thing that, that the original Cat Weasel did, which also the, the Grease Weasel does too, is it actually allows you to, to copy, copy protected disks because it ignores all weird stuff that people did to do copy protection, like, you know, odd sector numbers and stuff, because it reads the raw disk. It doesn't care if you've changed sector numbers or CRCs or anything else. It'll just read it, you know, raw. So you can actually create backups of copy protected disks that you couldn't before. They call it a flux copy. Yeah. Is a flux capacitor involved? David? It could be. <laughs> I don't know anything about a flux capacitor. Never no, heard okay. of it. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't going to mention some of that stuff, Curtis, just because there are some people that are very finicky about uh, <laughs> such devices being used for that. If you're using it for backup archival purposes, and that's what I use the cat weasel for, because I had a whole bunch of Sundog stuff that was hypercopy protected and a few other uh, publishers as well that I spit an image and some of the other backup utilities did not work on. So the only reason I have workable copies of those original disks have failed is because I did make copies this way. So for that, it's perfectly legal to make a backup. Yeah. Um, so I think that's okay to yeah. mention it. Yeah, that's, that's, I just want to be very clear that it is, you know, if, if you're going to use it for that purpose, it is for you only. So. Like I was going to try to crack the copy protection on Nightmare Highway Cocoa Fest edition, for example. So. <laughs> No, Depends on this call. I don't think you have that kind of yeah. kind of time. <laughs> um, I think you'll have a very easy time cracking that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I won't need the fluxes. <laughs> uh, no, you'll just need uh, a mental examination for trying to. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some of us, that's uh, yeah. Even the psychiatrist would have issues. <laughs> well the utility for nightmare highway is called backup zero oh right that that copy protection uh ron Klein actually had a second thing he put up too for the the pi 3 um this is a demo video of using the coco pi 3 to get online to a bbs Ooh, this might be helpful to those who are not able to come up with those you know wi-fi modules and things right so yeah I'll skip ahead here just to kind of show. He goes into a whole bunch of explanation how to set up for that. But if you have one, you can just view the video for that. But I just want to show the demo. And we are posting the links to these videos, right? 
Twilight term bin exec. Ooh, that's the yeah, that's Sox, the very first you know proper ANSI BBR software we had. Roger Taylor makes NetMate that does it too. Yeah, links already posted. And it doesn't flicker this bad on Unreal hardware. Okay. Twilight Terms doing that palette shifting thing to get those um, in between. That palette and pixel shifting both to get the uh, yeah. much smoother looking characters. Okay, so is he? It's hard to tell by this video right now, but is he connected to anything? Well, he's connected to the virtual terminal right now. So he typed eighteen and got the OK prompt, like the old Hayes modems did. So now he's doing the ATDT to the actual website address. Okay. And Jim Brain's going to be joining us momentarily, too, for one of the news items. But it said he, th yes. he thinks he needs a minute or two to get ready. Yeah, Jim, if you want to join now, you're actually up next. Well, he says we might need to stall. So maybe we'll take when you're done with this, we'll take a commercial break. I think he has to switch. Okay, computers. or I can just skip to the next story. Your choice. No, no, finish the Twilight Term thing, and then we can... Um... Was he next, next after Twilight Term? Originally, but I mean, okay. I can shift right, it around. Is this, is this video done? Oh, he's still connecting, right? Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Now it's starting to connect. Can you make that uh, full screen? Oh, it's not going to help too much. But that, that is because he's got the whole border thing, so. No, but the YouTube is not full screen. Let's make your YouTube video full screen if you yeah. can. Or is that going to screw you up? No, that's full screen here. No, because I, I can see uh, everything above it. I can it's see a castle. Your... Don't worry about it. It is 11. He's got a Mac. It probably doesn't have that key. Oh, yeah, probably not. That's <laughs> I, I've done that before, but then it screws yeah, up. Yeah, no, that's fine. We don't want to screw when it up. Okay. Zoom doesn't like it for some reason. Yeah, so. okay. So I do see that he's loading a castle now, so it does look like, yeah, there is a BBS that's loading. Okay, that's cool. That's I would be yeah. interested in trying that out. Anyway, there's a, there's a five-minute video there, if you're almost six minutes, I guess, if you want to check it out. and With the instructions, like if you go through the early part of the video, it shows you exactly how to set it up to do yeah. that. Yeah, so. another unsung hero in our community, Ron Klein, just cranking out stuff for everybody. Um, but yeah. Yeah, we'll be working with him, too, on getting the, the um, ease of use beta 5 on the Pi to try to get a simultaneous release. Oh, neat. Everybody knows. All right. Well, we can take a commercial break anyways, because the news has been going for a while. And I think everybody probably needs to go use the restroom about after hearing from the grease weasel. So um, <laughs> we'll go ahead and do that. We'll take a commercial break and then we'll be back. We'll have more news and we'll be joined by Jim Brain from Retro Innovations shortly. We got the news heavy cocoa talk for you. Thanks, everybody. And yeah, we're we'll almost half done now. We're almost half done. We're almost at the halfway part. All right. Stretch those marathon runners legs. Okay. We'll return after these messages. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself 
uh, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Good morning, Coco Land. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man here at the Coco Fest. Having fun fixing issues and making things roll and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Baby, there's something I need to talk to you about. Remember when we first met? Everything was so easy and it felt like nothing could stop us. But now... Everything is such a struggle. And if I'm being honest, you're really starting to show your age. Can I get the check, please? Break up with 512K. Use two megabytes now with Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I remember the days of grade school when on the playground we would talk about the latest computer and console games. Until one day when a kid told the teacher he was having a blast with his new math tutor. After he got out of the hospital, he changed schools. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here, and you're listening to Coco Talk. All right, and we are back. We all had a blast with our new math tutor. And by the way, you know what the Elliots of 2020 are doing? They're trolling Zoom calls with racial intolerance. So <laughs> that's what the youth of today are doing, those little shits. So <laughs> when Get I was your day, we never trolled anybody. <laughs> no, I would, oh, just no. Send, I would just send we messages liked it. to Fletcher. <laughs> we used to call people on the phone and say, Yeah, is your refrigerator running? <laughs> Do you have Prince Albert in a can? <laughs> All the bowling alley. Do you have 10-pound balls? Uh, do you have 10-pound balls? You better oh, let God, them. Uh, yeah, I used to work in a bowling alley. I get those all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they never stop being funny. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, well, Ooh. Curtis. Well, we, uh, should I share the screen again? We've only got four hours of news left, so we are... <laughs> we are I don't know. Jim Jim Brain can be pretty lengthy here, so this might yeah. make longer. Pack a lunch. I told him. I said, you know, I can join, but every time I join, it just goes longer. He said, go ahead. We know you like the show so much, you, you want any, it to go um, longer. So you have hey, any when he's racial... on the show, he doesn't 
all as much. You have any racial slurs you'd like to share with everyone, Jim, before we get into? You know, the- <laughs> I, I love to troll, but there's a there's a low limit for me. So there is. You you have set the bar for the caliber of trolling, trolling. intelligent trolling. Um, so and talent. Talent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Curtis. You you may share when ready, sir. Okay. All right. I'm going to share sound for some of the future stories. Let me do that again. Is this going to be more of the grease weasel? You want it to be? One can only hope. Okay, so Jim's been fiddling around with figuring out about the DMA pins on the Coco that basically hasn't been used for anything. On the Coco 1 and 2, it's actually still accessible. And he's been experimenting on the Coco 3. Now, I've got the last two articles you've done, Jim. I don't know if we should just skip to the last one. You kind of catch us up on what the second one said, or how do you want to do this? Uh, well, I think they're both valuable because, I mean, the first one is something that I think is going on going forward. I think folks may want to consider um, we may want to consider making this hardware mod something that people do to their Cocos when they upgrade their CPU. So um, the second one is, I mean, it's a hack in the beautiful sense of the hack, but I think um, it uh, it has its shortcomings. And, and so we need to understand what it is and how far we want to trust it. But anyway, okay, well, let's, let's go over go your ahead. earlier article first. Um, the okay. first one here, the missing without trace. Uh, you can tell <laughs> me when to scroll down to certain things and uh, go for it. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously don't want to go through the whole thing, but um, go down to the part of the schematic because um, I think that covers the big chunk of the conversation. So on the, on the Coco 3, um, as I indicated in the article, um, it appears as though they were starting to worry about either there was radio frequency interference or they're starting to worry about people hanging a bunch of stuff off at the cartridge port or whatever. So he introduced this chip that's right here in the picture, IC3, that's a little one off to the right-hand side. And the problem is that that, that chip right there, primarily it's used to kind of beef up the outputs from the 6809 processor. The problem is, is that it's uh, it's always connected to the data bus on the Coco 3 when you're doing a, a write function. And so it, it interferes with if you want to take the CPU off the bus, the CPU itself tri-states its pins. That's the reason on the Coco 1 and 2, the CPU just basically electrically disappears out of the, out of the schematic. But on the Coco 3, the CPU disappears, but that's not what's actually connected to the data bus. It's this IC right here. It's a bus transceiver. And if you look on the far right side in the corner at the bottom, you see the little pin called G, which is the gate or enable pin or whatever, and it's hooked to ground. And so the whole premise of the article was, had that pin been connected to another pin on the, on the CPU, then when the CPU goes to take itself off of the bus, this chip also would have done that. And so it's just a small one-wire hardware modification that's, that's necessary on the Coco 3. If it's put in place, then all the, the existing use of the, of the Coco 3 appears to continue to work fine, all the testing that I've done. Um, but DMA capabilities are now possible if you, if you perform that hardware modification. Um, so that's nice. The challenge, obviously, with doing a hardware mod to the, to the Coco 3 is that you got to do something. You got to crack open your Coco 3. So until more people... Um, open their Coco 3 units up and put a new CPU in or whatnot, um, it's going to be challenging to rely on this because you, you have a better than average chance that somebody has not made this modification and so then DMA capabilities won't work on that. So that was the whole premise of this 
um, article right here. And um, you can go down a little bit further and see if there's anything else interesting to pull up. But basically, it's just a lot of talking about what the deal is here. And then, of course, the state definitions. And then I showed pictures of the I made the modification on my uh, Coco 3, 3 here so that I could I could test it. Was that um, pin 19 on the CPU that this has to um it's pin 19 on the on the bus transceiver. So right here on the picture, you can see pin 19 has got a little red arrow on it. And then yep. the, the pin it needs to connect to is pin 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 on the CPU. Okay. So it's pin 19 so. on that thing. I was trying to follow the number logic on the, <clears throat> on the two diagrams yep. there. So, Yep. That's that's it. And um, so anyway, I mean, I mean I, I, if folks have questions on that, that's fine. But I, I made a little... I made a little uh, board. I made it, but I designed it up so that you know you could put a socket in, put this little board on, put a put the bus transceiver on there, and then you just clip um, clip a little wire to pin six, and you're good. And then um, uh, and then uh, showed at the end that the basically rehash from the article before that um, with this in place, the Coco three will run uh, DMA uh, from the cartridge board. Now you've you figured it out that works at a, a it basically transfers data at one byte per two cycles is that correct? This transfers this transfers a byte per cycle. Oh, per so, cycle. Yeah, this one transfers a byte per cycle. <clears throat> okay, so that's actually doing it three times faster than the TFM on a six three zero nine can do. That's right. That's that right. takes now, three bytes per yeah. Three now, cycles. Well, that's right. Well, what we were talking about is the fact that if you have if if both your if you're trying to move memory within the cocoa, then that would take two cycles. It would take one cycle to, to um, grab the value and then another cycle to move it to another location, right? You have to do a read and then a write. In this case here, it only takes one cycle for this particular use case because the memory you're transferring it to is not on the CPU. It's not on the motherboard. It's out on the cartridge. And you can read data from that other memory at the same time you're writing it to the memory in the Cocoa or vice versa. That's the reason it only takes one cycle. So if you wanted to say, like copy a graphic screen off some external flash RAM or something on that's a cartridge right. board, you could one, do literally one byte per cycle. That's right. Absolutely. So like two meg in a second. That's right. Mm-hmm. 1.78 meg per second. Yes. Yeah. Well, for us who haven't done crystal upgrades, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Okay, so basically this article here covered the fact that you basically have to modify a very slight modification, but you do have to modify the internal hardware to enable right. this function. That's right. And then the next article, which is coming up here. So so while I was working on so I had this article and then I was I was or I had I had done the work and I was starting to write the article and early on in the article set, Darren Atkinson, who people may know from Coco SDC design, it's that's his um his product, Ed Snyder manufactures it, but Darren was the original designer of it. Um, he had sent me a couple emails early on when I was trying to figure out the DMA function. And so he sent a new email back and he said, hey, uh, I think I figured out a way to do this without making the modification. And um, so anyway, he brought back, and I'm gonna show you, there was kind of an evolution to this. So I don't know if I can share a screen here or not. Yeah, I'll stop mine, you can share. Okay. So let me um, let me pull up a couple pictures here. That um, this okay. is cool. Another great example of community collaboration going on here. That's right. I mean, I was very impressed. I mean, Darren obviously was um, excited about. Uh, let's see here, what I've got. Um, okay. So can folks see? Um, okay. So Darren sent me this, which 
you know, this is not the end result, but kind of wanted to give a little background on how these things actually, you know, you see the end result, but you don't see all the kind of stuff that happens behind the scenes. So Darren sent me a note and basically in essence, it said, Hey, I think maybe we could figure out a way to do transfers on the Coco three without making the modifications. The downside is it takes two cycles to do a transfer. And as you can see here in this picture, um, he had drawn up this diagram and he showed the first cycle, the first, the first uh, cycle of a, of a write sequence. So this is two cycles in the computer. The first one is you set the address kind of a quarter way into the cycle and you put some data on the bus about halfway through the cycle. And then you, you, um, you lower the, the SLIN B line, which is a, a line that kind of moves kind of everything, all the IO chips and everything out of the, out of the way. And then you follow that for the entire cycle. And then you got this big vertical line. And then the second cycle, you put the correct address on the bus and you put some data there and for a little bit. And then as you can see, the data um, quits being put on the bus. It's, it's, uh, it's taken off the bus after the first quarter cycle is done. And then he was able to get this to work. And so I, he was like, you know, it works for me. Can you try it out? And so I worked on, on trying it out and I was able to get it to sort of work, but I didn't have as much success on it as, as he did. So I was continuing to work through it. And I said, you know, but I was able to get uh, a sequence working if I, you know, held things a little bit longer or shorter or whatever. And then he sent back another note. Um, let me see if I can bring it up without, uh, I may have to reshare this. So give me a second here. Uh, well, while you're doing that, Richard Lorbieski said he needs to add something to this conversation concerning DMA as well. Oh, okay. Fine. Yeah. A actually, what it was is Jim was showing a uh, little small board for the uh, the transceiver, and what I'm working on right now is a board that will not only uh, if you replace the CPU, but also it's it's like a satellite or daughter card that will fit both the CPU and the uh, LS245 together. There you go. And it will also have a little jumper to where you can jump it back. Cool. So all you would have to do is remove both the 6809 and the LS245, put sockets in both, and then you would just put this uh, uh, satellite board in. There you go. I thought about building a board like that, but I was thinking, you know, people might not have their CPU cycle so uh, socketed, but if they're going to do it anyway, then that board would be ideal. But are you saying you need to socket that other kind of daughter chip that's next to the CPU that's kind of like the uh, DMA inhibitor? Correct. Okay. Right. It would just it would just be all in one. It would be a single board. Yep. But you still have to socket both. Take yep. them both out, socket it, and then put the board in. Okay. Uh, David Lads, you got a comment too? You got your hand raised? Yes. So, <clears throat> Richard, um, this okay, board is going to work on. Uh, <laughs> lick me, Stevie. Um, so, Richard, will that work in all? Coco threes, or is it restricted to the Coco threes that were manufactured for the U.S.? Yeah, it's, it's the non-PAL version. I would have to come up with something different for the PAL version. Uh, I don't have the layout of the uh, PAL one, so I have no idea how to do that one. But I'm pretty sure if it's if it's probably close by that transceiver, I don't know where it's located. So it it is. I looked at it, and it's the the key is I think you might be able to make one board that runs both. The trick is. The um, the PAL one is shifted a little bit further away and a little bit a little bit farther down towards the pin twenty one of the CPU. 
So maybe you just put two footprints, then then that would work. You'd have the same board, but populate it differently depending on whether right. it's power and TSC. Uh, yeah, and the other modification, because I also planned to, to uh, I was going to incorporate this into a new DAT board, and but it would also require removing or actually modifying three uh, or possibly four of the capacitor electrolytic capacitors. Hmm. Um, I found a supply for those, so again, I'm just working on this. Cool. Any other questions or comments? Oh, I got some comments that would be related to the DMA stuff. So <laughs> right there, uh, hey, dude, David, want, do you want to hold that off until he explains what the second phase is, and then we'll go into yeah. the because you're yeah. going through the suggestions, I'm presuming, right? Yeah. Oh, yes, I am. Yes. Okay. yes. Okay. So, Jim, go ahead. Okay, so um, so Darren sent me another version of back after we were talking. Of course, this has come over a couple of days. Basically said, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I think I got a little bit too carried away on having things start up middle of cycles and whatnot. So he came up with this revised one that he sent to me where it was kind of a variation on one I'd sent back to him. And so it looks somewhat the same, although you've got the, you know, everything's lined up with the beginning of the cycle now and whatnot. Um, and so we were both able to make this work uh, successfully. Um, but the, the challenge with this is that it takes two cycles. So instead of doing two megabyte per second in fast mode, you'd only be able to do one meg megabyte in fast mode. So, um, and big thing is, um, and I'll, 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 I'll share, um, I'll have you share the, your screen back now, uh, Curtis, because... Okay. I think it's important to understand what's going on here because if folks haven't read, because I just posted the article um, last night, so folks may not understand. So if we go back up to that, that the schematic is still in there. So if we can go back up to the top. This one? Um, or the oh, no. yet? Yep, keep going right there. So the idea is that I, I go through in this a whole bunch of way, like um, Nick Nick uh, Morentes knows this, um, uh uh, Sockmaster and he have talked sometime about how to maybe make this work without modifying the uh, the Coco Three. And one of the ideas is to try to do a um, a read on the bus long enough into the cycle so that at the very end of the cycle you hurry up and you you flip the um, you flip the the read write line to write. And basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the data to the to the RAM before this 74LS245 flips back over into write mode and starts dropping data onto the bus. So you're basically trying to race the bus, such sort of thing. And so when I did the math on that from a, from a you know, memory perspective, it's very difficult to do that because this chip right here switches in 25 nanoseconds and the memory needs 45 nanoseconds in order to set up. It needs all of its data stable for 45 seconds, 45 nanoseconds before the end of the cycle. Well, 25 is less than 45. So in, a, in the race, this chip's always going to win. So Darren's idea basically is to flip this into read mode. And when you flip this into read mode, the data is going to show up on pins two through nine, and then it's going to be output on pins 11 through 18. And so his idea was to take these little wires that are here, um, the one on 11, 12, 13, 14, that hook up to the CPU, and basically use those as a as little capacitors and try to hold a charge. So use that those little those eight little wires as eight little 
uh, dynamic uh, RAM memory cells, which is absolutely not that what they were used, designed for, right? <laughs> <laughs> so hey, this sounds like this has like Sockmaster written all over yeah. it. Well, <laughs> it, it is. So, um, and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm more of a classical design resource, and so I, I just don't think about abusing stuff like this. But, but Darren came up with this idea, and it appeared to work. So um, what we found was that if you, if you, so you push data into there, and then it, and then what you do is when you, so you got to remember during this cycle, the cycle, the CPU is electrically off the bus. It's like moved itself out of the way. And so these pins, and of course, there's some residual electronics in the CPU that are still connected to the pins and whatnot. That's what you use as your memory cell. And so when you flip the, you flip the system back to right, you basically let this chip do the data right for you. This chip is then saying, oh, look, here, I, I flipped back over to the right uh, system, the you know, the, to do a, to, to write data to the memory. And oh, look, it looks like the CPU is outputting a data value for me. Well, we all know the CPU is not because the CPU is saying, hey, I'm off the bus. But this chip thinks the CPU is outputting some data. So it dutifully amplifies that data and, and dumps it right onto the, onto the data bus. And then you're the memory, which is sitting on the other end of this says, well, it looks like they want to store a value into memory. So I'll go ahead and store this value there. And that's how the whole system works. So if you go down um, to my first timing diagram, um, uh, no, this one's about the 45, 25 nanoseconds. Go on to the next one. Um, it's anybody cool could have anybody could have seen that, Jim. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is the way the Cocoa One and Two is done. So on the DMA engine or the the system I'm running, you put the address on, you put the data on, you drop the read write line, and you do it right. That won't work on the Cocoa One and or work, won't work on the Cocoa Three. But we go down just a little bit further um, to the next one. So if you remember on my picture, there was two whole cycles. Well, I was playing around with it, and I realized that maybe, just maybe, we could charge that abused, abused memory cell fast enough. If we could charge it up enough in just one cycle, then maybe it would work to just do this whole transfer in one cycle. So I was able to chop off the whole first part of Darren's cycle and then provide this to him. And so basically you see here, like I said, um, you on the DMA engine, you output data and you notice the read write line is set to high. So you're, you're telling the system, Hey, I want to do a read of some address. And what you don't tell anybody is you go ahead and put some data on the line. So you're really just totally abusing the whole system. Normally doing a read, you would, you would be looking for data on the data bus, not putting data on the data bus. And then you flip it, the read write line to write and the 74 LS245, the bus transceiver, it goes ahead and it's charged up on the other side of it. So it flips around and outputs your data onto the, onto the data bus. And that's when you put your actual address onto the address bus. And you say, oh, by the way, uh, I actually wanted to store that memory, that, that piece of information. I really wanted to store it in this address. Um, it turns out that the, the gimme is um, not caring about what the CPU wants to do for the first half of the cycle, right? Because it's doing graphic stuff. So even though you output the data and the, and, the, and the address during the, like before the E clock, which is setting up the top of the screen here, before the E clock goes high, that information is ignored until the clock goes high. And then at the time the clock goes high, the gimme flips around and says, okay, CPU, it appears as though you're trying to write some data. Okay, I'm going to take this data. I'm going to take this address. Actually, it doesn't take the data, but it takes the address, and it 
it selects the correct DRAM cell, and then the data flows into the DRAM cell. So this was this was the key to um, to being able to do a no mod DMA write on the Coco Three. Um, I was able to find a little bit of additional information that probably nobody cares about except for Gary and Ed Snyder, but it turns out that when you are doing a read on the data bus, um, the GIMI does not, um, it does not take itself off the bus. It does not, um, it does not uh, stay off of the data bus unless certain addresses are selected. And those addresses are FFE0 to FFFF, which is a reserved area from FFE0 to EF and the vectors for the, the CPU reset and all that, which are F0 to FF and uh, the IO locations from FF00 to FF7F, which some people understand FF00 is where the PIAs are, and 7F is the top end of where the MPI uh, cartridge port uh, peripherals are. So that is how to do a no mod. I've done, I've, we, uh, Darren and I have tested, so we've got a couple Coco 3s we've tested with. We've both tested with a 6809. We've tested with 6309. I've tested with a PPI memory expansion and stock memory. I think Darren's tested with stock memory as well. I've tested with some SRAM boards, but I've not tested with the DAT boards yet. So we still have to do some more testing. So there you go. We have a question from YouTube. Yeah. How sensitive is this for different machines? What sort of variants? Yeah, that I don't know. I, I The key is to probably have to make a small cartridge that will, you know, that will do this work. And then, you know, find a cheap way to put a cartridge together and then, you know, sell, maybe it cost the cartridge to a bunch of people who want to test it out or send them out for testing. And then people could send them around to various locations and write a little test program to try. I don't know. I mean, the reason that I previously told Curtis that I really wanted to talk about the earlier article first is I really think that the hardware mod is the appropriate solution for this problem. This is, it works. Um, but it could be that it's dependent on, you know, where the unit was manufactured. It could mm -hmm. depend on the kind of memory that's installed. Like, I don't have all the RAM expansion options here. And so some How of them old the capacitors not. are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, because you're, I mean, you're truly abusing the, the way the system was designed to work. And it's, it's beautiful. It's a great hack. And I really do, as I mentioned in the article, I really do appreciate Darren coming up with it. Because I, I would never have thought to use um, PCB traces on the motherboard as a as a dynamic memory uh, byte That's of brilliant. data. That's it is. Brilliant. It, it yeah. is absolutely brilliant. So, um, but you know how far you can make that go. It's one thing to say yes, it will work in a prototype, and we've got a couple machines that we tested and it works on. But it's another one to say that you know all thousand or five thousand or ten thousand units that want to use this, um, it's going to work on them. All right. It looks know. like Ron Delvo has his hand up in the camera, and David Land mm -hmm. has his hand up in the Zoom. Call. Go ahead, Rondelvo. Okay. My unmuted? Good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's say Nick Morenti's uh, rewrites uh, a pilot and, uh, or uh, Gunstar. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> so we're looking at a 25% increase in speed? Uh, I, I'm sorry. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, the only thing this speeds up is memory of memory copy. So Nick would have to tell me if he's got anywhere that he's doing a lot of memory. He's memory doing some stuff. TFMs and gun starts. So yes, it okay. would help in those specific no, cases. Popstar. What about Popstar though? Um, uh, do you want are you doing any stack blasting or anything in that Nick or? No stack blast. Um, 
No, I don't think I'm doing much in the pop star, no. But Gunstar, you for sure are. I mean, that was the whole reason to using 6 in the first was, place. Yeah, Popstar, you use the hardware scroll. I would just like to say that I'm excited. I, I gave you an intelligent question. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think, that David Ladd, did you have your hand up? No, that was from earlier, which, of uh, course, uh, didn't get put back down. So, uh, I, but... I do I, have my, a, my next stuff will be after he's done. Okay, I do have a couple of dumb questions about this because um, I'm not a hardware guy or a software uh-huh. guy. I, mm-hmm. I, I understand basically DMA stands for direct memory access, and and essentially it allows things to go faster. Um, in order for this to work, though, somebody has to write specific software to take advantage. Of it. Just like anything else, like a 6309, you have to write the code to exploit what this feature offers. Correct. That is correct. That now, is correct. Now, also, what you're proposing here in this picture that Curtis Boyle has on the screen, this is similar um, to kind of what like the Sockmaster Nick Morenti's high-res joystick interface does. You're you're doing some some hardware and software trickery to, like you say, abuse the the hardware to do things it wasn't designed to do to achieve something that otherwise would have requ- required real hardware. Is this a similar analogy to? A it virtual is. high-res joystick interface? It is. It is indeed. And then third and final question is, since we've been talking about abusing things so much, is there a support group or hotline that people can reach out to for <laughs> having these circuits and capacitors abused in this manner? I'll turn sure. that back to you guys. Sure. So. 1-800-WHO-CARES. <laughs> <laughs> Operators are standing by. Ron Devo has his hand uh, up again. Okay. Let, let's say you did right for this, and, uh, and, and the new uh, Gunstar comes out. And you're running the program. Um, does this uh, little chip work a little harder to become hotter? Um, no, it's. I mean, the chip itself is right now. The board I have is a very low power SRAM and 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 logic chip. So, no. And quite frankly, the CPU would run. Um, the, the CPU would run. Uh, 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 what a. a it would run quite, normally because DMA is built into the 6809. It's just not in the well, image on the Coco 3, basically. Correct. I'm just saying that for every one of the cycles, it doesn't, like if you previously were doing a TFM and you suddenly quit doing a TFM and you put the CPU in this halt mode, the CPU just doesn't do anything during those times. So therefore, the CPU would run a little cooler. And this little chip is going to be doing the same amount of work whether you're doing a TFM or not. So it's not going to run any hotter or cooler. It's just going to be the same temperature. But this... This is a regular TTL chip. I, I, they don't get that hot. It's really the more complex chips like a CPU or the Gimme or whatever. Those are the ones where you're you're worried about heat. Now, this 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 software hack version of it that still runs at half the speed of the dedicated little satellite board version you're doing, correct? No, actually, this oh. would run. This right here does all its work in one cycle. the The reason originally it was two was Darren was thinking you had to have a whole cycle to kind of set things up, and then the second cycle was to actually do the work. But when my, I tested, I was able to chop out that whole first cycle. So this one gets us back to one cycle, one memory transfer. So 1.78 meg per second. Correct. So no need for the mod? Great, Scott. It, well, like I said, Ron, I, this may work, but again, you're – you're 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 kind of abusing the way the the board was or the motherboard was designed to work, and so whether it works for everybody or not, I can't guarantee that. But the hardware mod, I'm pretty comfortable with saying that one should work for everybody. 
Yep, should work for all Cocoa 3s. Other Cocoa 3s might have slight timing differences like we've seen with gimmies and stuff too. That Correct. Yeah, and that me. is a thing. I didn't check for, I didn't I didn't ask Darren. I thought about this morning when I knew you were going to be talking about this. I've got an 87 gimme and I suspect that Darren does as well. So, what, you know, I think I have an 86 here somewhere, um, and but I have not, I have not tested on an 86 gimme. So, yeah, gimme X would be no issue? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um See, I don't know up until this point if Gary knew that Gimme the the Gimme X or the the Gimme functionality uh, takes itself off the bus certain addresses, and that's key to this, right? Because the reason that it's got FFXX here in the picture is that you have to pick one of those addresses, FF, you know, E zero to FF or FF zero zero to seven F. You have to pick one of those addresses, or else the Gimme stays on the bus and basically just ruins whatever data you're trying to send on the bus. Because basically what it's saying is, well, I know I'm going to have to send some data from memory anyway. So I'll just, I'll just, I just will stay on the, on the data bus here since somebody's doing a read function and uh, that ruins the whole technique. So if Gary is, has implemented that, then sure. Give me X should work the same way. If Gary or Ed had, have not implemented that on give me X, then you know, all bets are off. Okay. okay. Well, I guess we'll have to try to get one of them on the show too. Then to that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Mr. Dave has uh, his hand up. And we also had a question in the live chat from James Jones saying, will multiple device drivers be able to use this without interfering with one another? So I can answer James. I, I don't see, I don't see any issue with device drivers because currently when you execute a DMA activity, the CPU stops. So even though the wall clock, keep, wall clock keeps moving, the CPU doesn't know about anything until the DMA activity is done. So if you have two device drivers and they both want to do some sort of DMA activity, whoever gets called first will perform their DMA activity, but there's that second device driver won't even know about it until the first one is done. It's not like... Yeah, because the CPU is like, halted during the that's DMA. Right. So. The CPU is halted, so... You just got to understand that during the time the DMA is happening, it's like the CPU is turned off. Hmm. All right, Mr. Dave had a question. Yeah, a quick question. Um, so in electricity, when you have a wire or something, you know, and you're boosting your car or turning on a light, it's just a wire. In high frequencies, what people don't realize, a wire can become a capacitor or an inductor or all kinds of other problems, antenna. Um what is the accuracy of using the board as a uh, using the wires and the the pins and everything as capacitors and stuff like is this a hundred percent like are you getting successful reads all the time or i, I am at, i am at that i'm getting hundred percent i'm hundred percent success at fast mode which is the fast mode is the um fast mode is the shortest time that would be allowed to charge the unit and then slow mode is the longest time that the chip would have to output data onto the bus. And I've currently, the testing has showed that, I mean, at least on my machine, I haven't had a bad, um, a bad write on here. But like, like you said, I like more testing is needed before, you know, the idea for this article was not to say, okay, here's a production solution, go ahead and run forward with it. The idea for this article was, okay, it works in the, in the lab, right? So now, does it work anywhere else? Does it work over multiple machines? Probably more time and people are needed to verify that. Well, it sounds like yeah. uh, 
that uh, uh, Darren was able to get it to work also. So that's a sample of two machines. That's right. That's right. Two machines. Two, two machines. machines two hundred percent. That's two, right. Two item. Two machines tested. It's technical witchcraft, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Richard Lorbieski. Okay. Uh, then Ron after that. Okay. Ah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when when you tested this, uh, both you and Darren, did you have MPIs hooked up to it or not? I do. I did not. I, I did not have an MPI hooked up to it. Um, so that's another good test, and I will have to try that out. The MPI itself is going to pose another challenge because the MPI has a has also got a um, the address lines are only going one direction. So I I need to have an article about how to if if there's any DMA capabilities available, you know, with the with the um, with the MPI in the mix. But yeah, no, I I don't think we test that. I guess I can't speak for Darren, but I did not test with an MPI. Okay, Ron. All right, so I, I imagine. Um, did, did you say in the past that you didn't have uh, the ability to do this, like on a C sixty four? No, the 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 sixty four. That's the reason I came up with it. Is I mean, I had the idea to try this because sixty four has a DMA capability. That's actually the only way that sixty four can support expanded memory. If you ever hear people talk about the RAM expansion unit for the 64 or the 128. This is exactly what it does. Basically, I've implemented what would be called a RAM expansion unit in the Commodore parlance for the Coco. So you put a big bunch of memory outside, and then every time you want to transfer it, you stop the CPU and you use DMA to get the data in and out. Um, because the Coco, uh, not Coco, but the Commodore 64 doesn't have any internal memory expansion capabilities at all. Um, like the Coco 3, it doesn't have any pins or anything like that. So the only way to put more memory in without, you know, basically unsoldering your memory and doing something else was to hook it off the cartridge port like this. Right. Cool. Nick Morentes has his hand up. We're oh, very polite today. Very, um, very <laughs> polite today. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I see the, the value of this being more as a, a, a blitter that could be built into a uh, a game cartridge mm-hmm. so that the game on rom has access to a, a um that blitter mm-hmm. for speeding up some of the game options that sound right i, I think that would probably be its biggest use if, it, if that would abs- yeah it absolutely is the i mean a blitter is just a people think of a Blitter as its own thing, but a blitter is just a memory transfer mechanism that's optimized yeah. for graphics. Um, so the only thing that's interesting about a blitter is that you can say, um, instead of saying I want a large continuous block, contiguous block of memory moved, what I really want moved is I want six bytes from here to here, and then I want six bytes from, you know, whatever, like a thousand bytes more than that, and six bytes transferred a thousand bytes lower and a thousand bytes lower or whatever it is because basically if you have a if you have your uh uh screen laid out and all the bytes are you know left to right top to bottom or whatever then essentially if you're wanting to move a object on the screen you don't want to move contiguous bytes you want to move just a few contiguous bytes and then a few that are 120 200 bytes lower and so forth until you move this big square around from one place to the other that's the reason a blitter is very useful because it, it can say, okay, I'm going to transfer these bytes, and then the next byte I'm going to transfer is not going to be the next one in memory. It's going to be a thousand bytes lower or higher or whatever. Um, and 
that is indeed possible. I don't have as much I don't have as much exposure to using blitters in PC video cards and whatnot. So I'm probably not an expert on how to implement one for the Coco, but this gives you all the raw materials you'd need to do so. It may be interesting to note also that the Gimme X has a sort of blitter built in as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know if it's as fast as doing this, but it does have an option to transfer sequential blocks of, of data uh, a bit easier than trying to do it uh, normally. That's right. So you get that and you get the extra clock speed as well on the uh, Gimme X. So. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Mr. Dave, you had a question, comment? No, it's done. Oh, then we need to figure out how to put our hands down then when we're done. Because <laughs> I still <laughs> no. see the, the hand up in Zoom. Um, no, that's cool stuff. And, and, and if I'm following this, though, too, this topic of this virtual solution is kind of a neat, oh, yeah. But that's not really what your original article was about. It's about doing this properly through real hardware, not through hackery, right? So Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I, I feel more comfortable about the hardware mod, but this one's a, I mean, everybody always asks, well, do I have to modify my machine to do this? So the answer is maybe not. All right. So uh, now, this also covers like on the Cocoa 1 and 2, that chip's not there. We don't have this problem, right? That's right. On the Cocoa 1 and 2. Now, I did not test, but Darren indicated that when you do this Cocoa 3 right, the way it is right now, evidently there's enough Evidently, the 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 traces are longer because the chip's not in the path or whatnot, and so um, it appears as though this may also work. The same kind of idea may work on the Coco um, one and two as well. But I have not tested it here. Darren did, and he said he had success there. Okay, cool. Ron, you were waving your hand, or you just uh, you just dried yeah, up the nail that polish. A break requester. Yeah. He basically answered my question. I was going to ask about the one and two. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. Uh, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Uh, does that complete this this oh, segment item of the news? This, I, this, not the not the whole segment, but that one story. I, I think so. Unless Jim, you've got anything to add, or no, or no, it's fine. I. I, like I said, I always go longer when I'm wrong. No, so that's fine. I, I, want, I want to make oh, this, sure we, this give is worth it, it, I think. we want to give it its proper due and get all the questions and comments in. But I, I was going to just say, when we're done with this, let's do a commercial before we go on because this has been going for a bit. Yeah, Ron. Okay, Ron first, then one, David. All right, one other question. You, um, When you do research for this, or, or let's just say you've been around this since like 1980 when the mm -hmm. Coco came out, was there anything thought of this before i mean are, we seem to be going really advanced on our machine here you know with um these ideas has it come up before in the past or is this just something new today? so for for i i have not been involved in the community all the way back till 1980 however um the seed for the idea was planted by Nick because Nick and I were talking, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. And he said that, um, uh, gee, Sockmaster, I'm trying to think. Sockmaster. Well, I know John what I mean. Kowalski. Kowalski, right? So Kowalski and Nick had been talking probably around the same time that they were doing the high-res joystick interface about how they might be able to do DMA on the Coco 3. And John knew that that was really tricky and whatnot. Well, I didn't really think about it at the time. I had other stuff I was working on, but um, 
you know, it's it it, it just kind of stuck there, and it's like, well, doggone it, it would be nice if you could if you could do this, and um, so that was that was kind of my introduction to it. I knew the on the sixty four side, I've done some work for DMA, and it's it's an interesting topic. You know, anytime where you basically are you're you're turning off the brain of the machine and doing something else, it's always kind of fun and cool. I think the key right now to answer your question in general is, um, and I commented at the end of the article that uh, Curtis has got up here, there is just no way to underestimate how much appreciation folks like myself have, have for the fact that nowadays, more than ever before, you can do these kinds of things without having to have millions of dollars, right? I would never have been able to figure this out if I didn't have the logic analyzer that I used. And I don't have a picture right now, but I've got this huge set of wires hooked to the cocoa. It looks like it's, it looks like it's in a medical bay, right? Like an EEG or something. That's right. It is. It's it's huge. And so, um, but anyway, it, it, I mean, the, before, I mean, I checked and the price for this logic analyzer when it was new was, was like 20 or $30,000. Well, you're not going to do, you're not going to spend that kind of money for some hobby. Right. But I picked it up for like 400 bucks or 300 bucks or whatever. Um, it's old, but it's, it's way faster than we need for the Coco or any of the eighties home machine. So there's that. And then the other piece is that when you do come up with an idea, it is so easy to lay out a board and ship it off and have somebody produce it and populate it with some chips and, and try it out. So instead of just thinking about an idea, you can actually implement it and try it out. It's never been a better time to be able to do that at a very inexpensive cost. So obviously, you know, as Steve and Stevie indicates, you know, he's not a, hardware guy and and that's fine but if you are somebody who's interested in doing hardware there is no better time than now to have the tools necessary to try out your ideas and see if they work because that's all it took is it took putting it together trying it out a bunch of times didn't work but then it only takes one time for it to work and then you can draw you can keep you know going off of that trying new stuff based on that success cool okay and then just to kind of summarize up oh sorry ron well done. Just, just to kind of summarize up, I mean, the request that Jim has at the end of his article, now since we've conquered all the color computer variants, can we do anything else with this DMA idea? And I believe that's where David Ladd comes in with his hand up. <laughs> now, David, oh, you had, you you had some... Uh, yeah, how about we do this then? Since, since this topic is not completely complete, why don't we take a commercial break, then we'll come back. And I think, David, you had some questions or comments or maybe some suggestions on what to do with this technology, right? Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So we'll do that after the break. We're going to go ahead and play. Uh, if, I don't know if Jim Gary is still out there, but if you are, we're going to play the G-Soft commercial, uh, recognizing Jim Gary, and we'll be back after these words. Thank you, uh, Jim Brain, for being here. Hopefully you'll be here in a couple minutes when we come back, too. And now, these messages. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Hi, I'm Kieran Unscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Cocoa Talk. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer, TRS-80 MC-10, 
and Dragon computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on, drop by our website and download our latest games. Tired of switching your joystick between the left and right port? Want to change between different controllers? Well, Joey has got you covered. The Joey Controller Switch. Take control of your controllers with the flip of two switches. Order today at cocoman.biz. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Legend says, when the moon is full, if you go out in the country by the lake and whisper the name of Nick Marota three times, his spirit will appear and he will grant you a product idea. Radio Shack has a great gift idea for the whole family. Fast action TV games and their own sale. Get this six game model for $29.95 or the four game model for $21.95. With rising entertainment cost, that's a real bargain. You play hockey, tennis, squash, and more. Easy to hook up and great family fun that last all year long. The sale price TV games. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy Company. Hi, I'm Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and other amazing games on the color computer. And you're listening to Stevie Stroh on Coco Talk. And we are back. Nightmare Highway is still out there. We've been talking about Jim Brain's DMA articles and the whole like whole idea of doing dma direct memory access on the coco david lad you had some enthusiasm uh, ironically david was enthusiastic about something hardware related uh, you want to share your enthusiasm david <laughs> oh yes i do and oh, there's so geez. many perspectives of this chip i want to go on um so one of the th- well there's several things i was thinking of jim so um on the pc side um and pc not meaning the general term personal computer but as in like the old ms dos and windows machines of the day um the 16550 also had an alternate mode where you would use it with a dma controller to spit the the bytes that it had into memory mm-hmm. um so that was one of the things i was thinking would be right off the bat that was one of the first things i thought of was with yep. the 16550 yep um another option that came to mind was the ethernet controllers was using that with the dma controller to just plop it right into the memory space that was predefined mm-hmm. um and then of course um joystick or mouse reading devices so that way you could have a specific memory locations that were predefined for x y button presses and all that stuff and then if those change on your cartridge that might have multiple joystick inputs, you know, when it <sighs> detects a change, it could spit that data right into your memory locations for your 
game or software to use. Indeed. And those are all options. I probably would say the the networking or the um, the high speed serial probably networking would be the first option because what I was thinking is that might give you an opportunity if you had a network a device and you just wanted to fill the memory up all at once you could just push you know 64k or 512k or whatever of, of RAM right into the Coco three off an Ethernet cartridge at you know like you said one 1.7 meg per, per second. So definitely full motion video or something like that could be possible um, at the resolution of the of the gimme if you had that function turned on. So I think that would be that would be something to try out. I agree on the full motion video. That was something I was thinking of too, as yeah. well as you know doing the standard screen scrolling, screen clearing, block copies, mm-hmm. get the buffers type stuff. Very cool. Running literally three times faster than the 639 maxed out can do. That's right. I think somebody had flashed the safe word up on the screen, too. I saw asparagus <laughs> come up on the screen there for a second. I'm not sure who did that. Who called out their safe no. word? <laughs> no, I, I, I knew Nick did his normal. Yeah, yeah Nick, uh, Nick's yawn. <sighs> oh, sorry, was that, was that a bit loud? Yeah, you weren't <laughs> muted. Yeah. Yeah, subtlety has never made its way down to Australia. So. And ironically, Nick's the one who started the whole thing you know, a year ago, so he had nobody to blame but himself. Uh, the yeah, I was going to say, Nick, you want people to be enthused about the color computer, and then you act that way. Shame on you. Uh, good stuff. Go. Good stuff. All right, okay, more, I'm done and I'm assuming there's going to be more to come on this, Jim, as, as the world turns and as more happens, right? Yeah, I think um, somebody... Uh, posted a couple about three or four weeks ago online about an idea of doing DMA without turning off the CPU. So I think probably for the next installment, I'm going to see if I can transfer while the CPU is still operating. We'll see how far we get with that. Wow. Now that would be good. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, David Ladd. Uh, Cool. What's next, L. Curtis in the world of news? Okay, now for the second half. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> what you do when you don't do news for three weeks. He's not <clears> kidding. <throat> hey, hey, Curtis. Oh, Curtis. Yep. The, uh, would this DMA stuff help uh, ease of use go yes. along quicker? Yes. You never mentioned that, did you? Or yeah, I was mentioning like screen scrolling and screen clearing and and get put buffers could all use that. So you've seen the difference in speed scrolling, say a text screen on 6809 Nitrous 9 versus 6309, mm-hmm. which is about a you know a 20 to 100% speed increase depending on what, what screen mode you're in. Well, double or triple that past that. Wow. That's what this wow. is capable of doing. Whoa, man. That's the joy of OS 9. <laughs> you rewrite the drivers for this and everybody wins. Yep. That's exactly true. Okay. So next up, we have uh, Darren Ottery, who's a fellow Aussie, I believe. Aussie, Yes. Um, has put up a video demoing some stuff he's been doing with the Coco MIDI. Now, this is a project that um, well, Jim's actually involved with this too, so we'll let him go for an hour on that too. Yeah. Um, basically, he's doing the, uh, the, the MIDI board, and a, a few people have expressed interest. I think Brian Weasler, you're one of them as well. And uh, he's been fiddling with doing some stuff using the uh, Coco MIDI Pro software. And he did a little video here showing some of his synths dri- driven off of it. So this is what that hey, board everybody. that Jim's um, going to be selling will be capable of doing here. 
except it just froze. And just you know, I reached out to Darren too, saying I really like your stuff. I'd love to have you come on the show at some point in time. And he is interested in doing that. He's in the middle of relocating and reorganizing a lot of stuff. But he, he, I did warn him too that, you know, if, if you're in Australia, you got to get up at 4 a.m. like freaking Nick and David O'Connor do. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I said we would accommodate your schedule if you're willing to do it. So. Dave's not here. Hey, everybody. Um, just working through this project. Um, it's probably about half finished. Um, this is the Blue Monday project. Um, awesome song, by the I way. I just thought I'd give you a bit of a sneak peek as <laughs> yep. to how it's coming together. It sounds kind of sound like with sound. And over here on the boards, we've got some other sounds that I've been working on. Sounds so damn good. You know that one? And we know. Me hearing that is um, like David hearing floppies. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking. I'm having an eargasm right and now. And <laughs> we've got the app. Well, the best thing is the Coco Midi Pro lets you record your live keyboard playing yeah. into the software, as well as lets you output you know, pre-rendered stuff like Ultimuse did. So you can actually combine. You can program a drum track and then play live if you know how to play keyboards or an electric guitar synth or something like that there's a ton of stuff you can do so anyway he's just basically showing you know doing a couple individual tracks some he's recorded off the keyboard some he's you know pre-programmed in and coco midi pro if i remember correctly does up to 16 tracks at once yeah i think so and you can also tell it to control multiple synths at once so if you have a synth that you've got a really good horn sound but the other one has a really good electric guitar sound you can actually use the midi pass through and tell, you know, this synth, you're playing this track, but this other synth's playing this other track. So you can get incredibly sophisticated music out of this thing, which I know Brian Schubring's, you know, fiddled around with in the past, too. About, I don't know if he's on the call still. He was on the original one. But anyway, it looks very promising. This is actually a fairly old story, but I know him and uh, David O'Connor and others are actually working on a lot of stuff using the Coco as the basis of the music. So I'm really looking forward to where this is all going. And uh, thanks to Jim for uh, reproducing the, uh, the MIDI boards from the days gone by so they yeah. can actually get can into you play some more of that music though because it just sounds so damn good well as long as it doesn't get a pull down sure <laughs> yeah, that's fine that's a sample that i've sampled it straight off the uh, b side of the of the single blue monday and easy then. grab and we've got some strings So I'm going to cut that all together, assemble it, get it programmed and running from here, um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Anyway, yeah. really cool project. Uh, that was actually from a couple of weeks ago already, so yeah. I don't know how, if he's progressed. I, really, I think yeah. you said he's busy with moving and stuff, but definitely looking forward to the final version of that. Uh, and yeah. if, it, if we can do a bit of a cut aside to uh, Jim Brain uh, about his MIDI uh, cards, are they available and how much? Um, they will be available, so I was planning for them to be available by the time Coco Fest was out. So that's my still my schedule. Um, and the prices are five dollars for the PCB, forty five for the kit, sixty for the full unit, and seventy five for a unit with a case. Right. Yep. I might. Like and there's software off. available up on the archive to drive it all already, so it's it's ready to go. Just download Altimus if you got a Coco Three or Coco Mini Pro if you got a Coco Three. I think Lyra and some other ones on the Coco 1 and 2 work as well. So it supports all the Cocos as well. That's right. And 
Brian gave me a test um, OS nine image that has some Ultimus. Is that what it all moves? Uh, Most probably. Well, there's yeah. there's MIDI play and there's Ultimus. There's a few things you could use. It depends if you're writing or just playing. Tracks. He was just playing, just playing tracks. So yeah, I don't think it was Ultimus. So that's probably MIDI play then. Yeah. All right. Hey Jim, can you can you post a Bill's material for the parts on that? Uh, just yes. Because I'm yes, thinking I will. I already have probably half the components, so I'd probably no, that's do it. Fine. Okay. We'll do. Thanks. And next up, I'm, I'm going to regret doing this one as well because it involves David Ladd again, getting you know, exuberant. I'm um, gone. Curtis, <laughs> I was thinking Brian Weasler had something to... I think he oh, has did he? One, I know Brian's um, planning on getting one, but uh, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, oh, I was just going to comment that on Discord, there's been some uh, MIDI uh, conversation, and uh, Brian Schubring had a, a nice little piece just a few days ago that anybody that's interested in, in uh, putting some music together, there's a lot of MIDI files that are available out on the internet. It's just that you have to use a program. I think you referred to it as Cakewalk that you have to use to convert it to the right format. The straight MIDI file off the internet might work on your PC, but to get them to work with the Cocoa, you have to use a program like that to resave them in a different format. I think you called it format zero. Yeah, there's uh, CMF zero is the extension, and there is a utility under OS nine that actually does that on its own. You can take a raw MIDI file. It's it's to convert it so that Coco can run through it faster without having to do a ton of interpretation, slow the song down. Right. Yeah, he was talking about how it removes some of the uh, the data gaps, so that way it can uh, stream the information quicker. Okay, so next story is uh, David Ladd has detailed on Facebook and on Discord, and to anybody who wants to listen to him a hack to the original 12-volt floppy controller to get it to run high density, 1.2 and 1.4 for MIG disks. And I remember this hack from the old days too, but uh, David, you wrote a little bit of a, an article this back on March 22nd, so take it away, Dave. Uh, perfect timing, because I just got back from helping my brother. All right, so the floppy controller that I originally modded back in, like, right around 90, uh, was Asparagus. the 26-6... Uh uh-huh uh the 26-3022 which was the 12 volt floppy controller um but that one had been since modified for uh uh, what they call a repack that i never finished and so that controller i couldn't (sighs) use and someone keeps breathing hard shut up nick um it wasn't me so uh, not the other Nick. Um, I keep forgetting to mute. Yeah, forgetting. <laughs> um, so the more up-to-date version of the 3022 is the 3029, which was the 5-volt version of it for the Coco 2. Um, well, since it uses the same chips for the most part, um there was a document I ran across for doing a high density mod to it. Well, I'm like, well, I'm going to be lazy. What's the minimum amount of stuff that I have to change to make it just be high density period. So I went to, went to doing some testing and I found that all you have to change is the crystal and the data separator. And the cocoa has to run in the, the, fast turbo mode for it to be usable but that's basically it once you're in the in in that mode 
you can use high density floppies. Okay, well, I understand the crystal part. What what is a data separator? What does it look like, and how does one change it? No. Oh. <laughs> and I need, I need like a, a minute to thirty second answer. Um, it's an eight pin dip chip that you basically okay. yank it out, replace it with a B version of it, and then it can operate at the the higher speed. And is it um, is it already socketed on the uh, factory cartridge, or do you have to? Um, the two twenty the. 3029s I have, they were socketed, but they were crappy sockets, so I changed the sockets anyway. Um, but yeah, basically it was that, and then I just I was able with that one video that I did. I, I don't know if Curtis if Curtis wants to play a quickie. No, pissed on that. You guys, are you guys Shut familiar up, with the caboose? Do you guys about know what the caboose section of the show? Where we can sort of tuck things in when they go really long. Yeah, no, but this is this is a news article. This is in the news, and this is not right. going too long just yet. But uh, <laughs> um, trust me, I'll be the first to tell you if David's getting out of control. Um, <laughs> well, the nice so, thing about this mod is is that I think you've already tested it, David. Too, we have utilities under OS nine for reading MS DOS disks. And well, that's I, the reason why I wanted you to link that or show the video that's down further in the reply to Mark Marlette that I've got. Um, you'll have to expand it. Um, but I have a video. Okay. Are your pants on in this video? They can be off if you want, Stevie. <laughs> what news story are we on right now? <laughs> All right. Ah, oh, that's just music to my eyes uh, there. Colonel Boot, OS9, oh, blah, 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 what boring, 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. You know how much faster that would be with DMA? Yeah. And there is no uh, no no real time clock here. So. Are we there yet? <laughs> yeah, get to the part where he copies the floppy. Yeah, we have a lot of people <laughs> calling asparagus. Yes. <laughs> we have a lot of people calling out asparagus here. So Not far now, my little okay. smurfs. Fast forward. Stop right there. <laughs> that was pretty good, Nick. Okay, so what are we doing now? This is. Are we pulling up a, a, a Windows floppy right now? D tools. Yes, and if you take a look at the PC bytes DOS. free, it's one point four seven meg. Okay, so, so PC DOS is the PC DOS command dash dir slash. Does that say D one? It's kind of hard to read. Yeah, D one drive okay. one. All right, so this. So apparently, is, you had a three and a half inch high density PC MS DOS disk floppy. Yep. In, in yep. the floppy drive, and you just did a derivative. And you're able Cocoa. to read yep. it. And not only are you able to read a high-density floppy, but you're actually even able to read a PC-based floppy into Nitrous 9. And if Curtis continues going, I actually read a text document off of that floppy <laughs> and then actually display it. <laughs> God, I'm going to go do that right now. <laughs> Test. So much fun. Uh, Testdoc.txt. Here we go. Drum roll, please. <laughs> that wasn't me that time. Stop right there. Okay, so. You know, I'm going to have to say you all are assholes. I'm I'm David, I'm trying to support you here. I'm thinking of a vegetable which affects certain people's, uh, the smell of their pee. Do you okay. know what you're talking about? Okay. Wow, I've never been able to do that before. 
It, it, no, honestly, I'm going to defend David. It is kind of cool that we can pull a PC floppy into a Coco. Um, so that's cool. What's a floppy? <laughs> well, well, Timmy, well, back um, in the 80s. Well, here for you, Nick, is something that you could get. It, it's been floppy for quite a long time. It hasn't been. No, I'm not. Wrong story. Wrong story, David. <laughs> Welcome to ED so, Talk. Um, yes. Um, so, but the one thing I did find out is the PC DOS utility. Um, you have to be careful of because back in the early, you know, like with Windows 95 and 98, um, the discussion where you got the 8 by 3 file names along with the long file names in the directory structure, Windows 95 doesn't even put the 8 by 3s when you do a long file name. PC DOS went completely apeshit when I, uh, did a directory when everything was long, long file names. We so, are. So the PC DOS utility may need some updating if, if oh, someone when out you're saying there you're knows talking the about the, You're talking about the Nitrous 9 one does not know how to recognize the kind of concatenated long file names with the tildes and stuff. There. Well, those don't exist anymore. Period. On Windows 10, it doesn't even bother. Well, Windows 10 doesn't support code. floppy drives. Or, <laughs> so uh, that's not, uh, they, they, hey, that's, that's, um, that's not... That's hey, not true, though. They well, I do support. It's not true. Yeah, long file names are. How do you think I made the But no one uses them. I see what you're saying. Okay, so if you're using a modern PC with a floppy drive to format a floppy disk to pull into Nitrous Nine, and you're not using 8.3 file names, you might have an issue. Yes. This is a perfect um, storm okay. of who gives a shit, right? So it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you in asparagus style? Yes, no, no, no. I get it. I know. I'm, David and I have already talked about this. I actually think this is pretty cool. This is kind of cool. Um, the next. Fact, next. <laughs> oh, I missed that. Was that for me? Yeah. What was it? No, no, it wasn't. And, no, oh. Nick, Nick Morenti's patience oh, Nick has run thin. Now, oh, so, okay. David, I think this is a cool project. So, just to kind of summarize and recap. What David has done is he's taken a standard old school Cocoa floppy controller. You change a crystal, you change a data separator, you run it in high speed, and you can read and write to high density floppies directly on a Cocoa. Not only can you do that, but as an added bonus, wait, how much would you pay? Through Nitrous 9, there's a disk, there's a PC DOS utility that would let you read and write to MS DOS formatted disks through your Cocoa, which is pretty cool. We have to move data around. So. Cool yep. project. So if you Dave. if you have an old uh, you know old PC or something with the floppy drives in it, and then you want to transfer you know gifs for a game that you want to write or something, that's one way to do it. That's a big if. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, the, yeah. you, there there are going to be times where you've got an old piece of data on an old disk, and oh, I have that old PC disk, and it had a few things on it. And if you can pull it directly into your cocoa, it's convenient. Uh, how many people will need to do that? It's probably this is probably only going to benefit a very small portion of the community but the fact that it can be done i will admit is pretty cool yep i have to agree i've, I've had to pull stuff off of pc floppies myself in the past so that yeah. i've gone through this david i've been defending you the whole time okay i know i'm just okay i'm just you know there's just some people Listen, that it's just been enjoying me it's not me david it's never been me i've always oh, been your sorry. friend if i'm one of them david, I'm sorry. <laughs> david i've always been your friend i've never said anything about you i'm just a little punchy i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay we're having right. fun we're having asparagus fun. on to the next one good job david all seriously right. I'm, I'm, I'm done for now yeah good job Gosh. david 
I'm gonna go sulk now. By the way, in Windows 10, if you type dir slash x, you get the uh, short file names. Ah. Being used. Yeah. Uh, next up, and this is kind of my my throw all because I was getting so many stories here with Alan. Alan's been doing so many interesting things in his blog, Koku related the last three weeks. Is Alan still on the call? Yes, he is. Alan. Okay. <clears throat> so, Alan, I'm going to scroll through these. If you want to just make some quick comments on each as we go. Wake up. <laughs> You're still muted, I think. He is, yeah. I'm trying to get to my there hotkey. There we go. Okay, this what? first one. Oops, now I got my computer talking. Yep, yep. <laughs> I don't know how to shut my computer up. Um, the uh, Steve's an expert at that. He did it last week, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, when I was doing the play command for the Sir Sound project, I noticed that the way the parser worked, it lets you put a uh, sharp or a flat behind any note that wasn't the first or the last one in a 12-note scale. So you can actually make sharps and flats that don't exist on a piano keyboard. They just play the note next to them, but it looks a little weird. Okay. It shows like on that little picture, there's no such thing as an E sharp or an F flat, but you can put it, you can play an E sharp or an F flat and it'll actually make the tone next to it. So, oh, so an E sharp an would e, be an, an F. E sharp would be an F and an F flat would be an E. Yeah, just so a little weird thing. It's basically like I a half a step down or up, a step down or yeah. a step up. Okay. Okay, that's an interesting little trick of their parser. I didn't know they did that. Who'd have thunk it? And this next one, uh, there's a um, video YouTube showed me from a 8-bit show-and-tell page um, about uh, some Easter egg in the Commodore 64. And uh, it showed me another video of his the other day, and he made this game. There's this old one-line maze program Commodore guys would run, and that's what it looks like on the screen. It just randomly prints the forward or the backslash and makes a maze. So this guy decided to make a racing game where you race down uh, a maze like that, and I watched him walk through the uh, code, and I'm like, okay, I'll just do that for the color computer. So this was just me taking his uh, tutorial and converting it over as close as I could to color basic. Okay, and you have that available for download, it looks like, here too? Um, it's, there's the, um, the source codes on the blog post. Okay. Yeah, that there's looks the, pretty cool. what the Coco does trying to do that maze. It doesn't have the right character set for it. Yeah. Doesn't look quite as good. No. Oh, we can fix that and, and do it under Nitrous the 9, then you can make your own the... fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's neat. And that's the actual screen of the game itself? Yep, and that's that's what the game looks like on the color computer. So the opening is the safe spot, like kind of the road that you can drive through? Yeah, it's one of those, you know, the screen scrolls up and yeah. you move something oh, yeah. left and right at the oh, top. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I walked through all the differences between the that I, you know, between Commodore and and Color Basic, which is also leading up to something. I've got a multi-part series where I'm going to be porting my very first VIC-20 games over to the Color Computer oh, in the coming weeks. Neat. Yeah. This was the one I was thinking about when you mentioned the bouncing ball earlier. I made a program that just uh, scales a block bigger and smaller, keeping the same aspect ratio, and it's really, really slow. Well, there's been two follow-ups, and this is Jim's video where he ported it over to the MC-10, wow. optimized the out of it, and that instead of fast. taking like 22 seconds, it takes nine seconds. That is fast AF. 
Yeah, I think the original was 22 or 27 seconds, Holy and he crap. made it a lot faster. So the so that's on an MC10, yes. and that's faster than anything we've got out of the Coco so far. Running the same code on the color computer does work, and it's slightly slower on the color computer. I, I think it's because James Diffendaffer optimized MC10's basic. So Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to ask. Is it yeah. James's optimizations? Yeah, so um, that was a discussion of how other people can do that. Um, this little thing here, obfuscated co Cocoa Color Basic Code, that is based on seeing an article from uh, the 8-bit show-and-tell guy. So if you run that, it will show you something. And um, there's no way to predict just by looking at the code what it's going to show you because it's random. But it'll show you the same thing every time. Okay, and it's a nice small enough program. I'm not going to spoil it here, guys. You guys can go type it in yeah, and try it out yourself. There, there's, there's a follow-up. I've got a better one I'll share with you guys. Uh, but next. wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and somebody tagged me in a message in the Facebook group because they saw on this other computer a different way to read zero. Uh, instead of using hexadecimal or an integer zero, uh, if you scroll down, there's a screenshot from this, um, whatever this computer is. That, that was Carlos that posted it, an NEC PC 6001. Yeah, yeah that's a Z80. He was doing benchmarks. Yeah, and he, he, on that machine, doing val of quote, an empty quote, was faster than doing a zero or a hex. So he did two things in there. He did ampersand H with no value after it, which is interpreted as zero, or value of an empty string, which is interpreted as zero. So I tried that on the color computer. It is slower on the color computer. Okay. Oh, okay. Now he's doing so that's this. Not, that doesn't not, help us. And this is not storing them in a variable. This is doing this as being interpreted throughout the statement. Yeah, this is just, just uh, interpreting it, setting it in a variable a thousand times. How that long is an that interesting so, way to think about that. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's uh, somebody figured that out, and on their computer it's faster. So I, I showed how I would do a benchmark on what Val was used for and... Um, then there was an article about uh, simulating pulling marbles out of a bag that, that uh, was posted, and I've been doing parts on that, and I mentioned a way to shuffle, like you'd shuffle cards in a program, and James Jones sent me a follow-up with a, uh, improving the algorithm, and so I um, shared what he suggested and another way. This is just randomizing an array of things in BASIC. Now, his suggestion was to make it more random, or what was his suggestion about? Um, I'll have to go back and look. I'm, I'm so buried in articles right now. But <laughs> yeah, I want I know what you mean. exactly how his, how his suggestion worked and um, then plugged it back into my original program to, to show. Can I just say real quick, I still have the Nightmare Highway song stuck in my head. Anybody else still hearing Nightmare Highway? <laughs> I, I wasn't up until Nightmare you said that. Highway. Thanks. I, mean, I haven't listened been, to it. I've it's, listened to it all week. It's so. been stuck in my freaking head, Nightmare Highway. You know how hard it was to not talk about that song all week when I was with you guys? It's like, what are you guys, what have you been up to this week? Oh, nothing. Yeah. nothing Sorry, nothing. Alan. I just, I, I had to, had to get that out there. Nightmare Highway. <laughs> um, yeah, and this was, uh, it was Steve, it was Steve Ostrom, I think, that Sorry. posted this uh, puzzle about uh, if you've got a bag with 10 marbles, five of them are red, four are blue, three are white, and three are black. Um, That's what more are the than statistics? 10. Oh, well, how many is it supposed to be? What, math is hard. I did some quick math there, and me, you got past 10 yeah. pretty quickly. I only have that many fingers. This is but, why yeah. it took, uh, <laughs> took me three parts to get an answer. And so he used as an excuse to write a quick color computer program just to calculate how it worked. 
So I, I took that on and the first two attempts I did were wrong because I didn't understand the rules of the puzzle. And then other folks have contributed, including Art Flexer, you know, the guy behind ADOS. Wow. He submitted a version of his own. So I made one that has the row of marbles and it starts putting them in a tray. The first time the tray gets three of a common color, that's the one that, that won first. Then you do it again. And the idea is if you do this a number of times, you'll start getting percentages of how likely you are to get each marbles. So this was a multi-part series that evolves through ways to do this. Um, Art did one and he has it running on a color computer or a very modern basic. On a modern basic on a PC, it can do a million attempts in the time it takes the Coco to do five attempts running the same <laughs> wow. basic. Wow. Yeah. We've That's because we didn't have DMA way. yet. Oh, David Lord saying it's 10 marbles with five extras, but I wasn't understanding the math and I don't understand the, uh, <laughs> the, um, the whole, the full exercise here. So this is really uh, predicting probabilities or, or calculating probabilities. This is brute forcing it to actually sit a monkey in a room pulling marbles out of a bag and see what actually happens. Um, there's probably a nice formula that would do this, but it's kind of fun to brute force it and see what happens when you make a computer pull marbles out of a bag a million times. Now, monkeys watching at home, you weren't offended by that, right? We, are, we do want to oh, make gosh, sure we're being politically not. correct here. So, Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Art shared his code, and he ran it in something called um, QB64, which yeah. takes standard Microsoft Basic and turns it into a super fast executable. Mm -hmm. I think, Steve, you've mentioned that before. Too, yeah, right? basically QB64 is an open source project that uses quick basic language and editor, but then it, it compiles it down to run on a modern PC. So you're running at PC speeds. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. very impressed by that. There's yeah. also this second one called uh, um, G, uh, I forget what it's called, PC Basic. And it emulates the old basic from the DOS machines okay, that were like very GW close basic. to the color computer. Like PC, like basic yeah. A on the IBM or GW basic and old DOS 2.2 or something. Yeah. yeah. And it appears to be an interpreter. You can just type commands into it, print, and it runs. It's uh, very Coco-like. I'm impressed how many people got involved with this with you, Alan, and really jumped on this bandwagon and, and, chipped and joined in on the project. This is really cool. Um, it's been interesting, and it's very humbling when everybody has a better way to do it than what you're doing. <laughs> and because of this, I learned about the two different types of basics. Since then, people have given me comments. There's a couple of more I need to look into. So there are a lot of implementations of basic that run on Linux, PC, and Yeah, and Mac. I think Erico um, just joined us recently. Erico has been using something called GL Basic, which I wasn't as familiar with either. But he's been doing his like semi-graphics mock-up games in something called GL Basic, which oh, is another that's cool. newer um, one that runs on a modern PC. That's the outhouse port he's doing. Yeah, the outhouse port. Yeah, yeah. So there are. I didn't there, even uh, realize that was a basic. That's really cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of these modern basic um, tools that run on a PC, and then and then they kind of compile down to a binary that's cross-platform, run on PC, Mac, Linux, even some of them run on Android. So. Um, and and I, did, I did want to mention, Art said this was the first program he's written in ages. So it inspired him to get out and uh, try to write a program. Wow, well, that's, that's good cool. to hear. He's still active man. on the list answering questions, but yeah, he hasn't done any programming lately. So, Yeah, so there's uh, most of these articles end up having follow-ups as people contribute a lot of corrections and, and better ways to do it. And I'm writing everything out real long form with lots of comments, uh, which gives people a really good chance to um, optimize. Okay. I also am fascinated through this at how the random function works in basic because I know nothing about it. 
And so it all started with Steve Ostrom posting about this contest and then other folks chiming in on the mailing list about what basic was random and why it wasn't and other ways to get more random. So there's a lot of random thoughts in this uh, series. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the one where you could somebody was actually hooking it up to one of the ports in the Cocoa to you know, pull off radio frequency yeah. crap? Yep, that's exactly what John Mark Mobley's been doing. He's been uh, trying to see if you listen to static on an AM radio, can you get a better random number than what the computer does? Well, right now, listening to this segment is probably static for a lot of people. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it, is it more random that way? I do not know. I'm again, I'm backlogged. I'm in the middle of about five work in progress articles right now. So every time I go, I wonder how that works. I could go look it up or I could play with it myself. I would never build furniture if I could just go look at other people building furniture. Right. right. I'll just buy that. It's done. So the, the, every time something comes up, I've been trying to blog about it. And uh, people will say, oh, it's not random. You can see patterns. So I've been working on articles on how do you see how random something is. And so far, I'm failing because I don't quite Right. I, well, I don't it, understand it, it there, There's an easier uh, argument you can make, too, when they say, well, when you flip a coin, you've got a 50-50 chance of being heads or tails, but you'd have to flip that coin, you know, over 100 times to have the... To have it average, out, have to it average out to that. So the dealing with statistics and probability, it, it can get to be pretty heavy. And I didn't realize this until just recently, maybe a year ago, when Steve Bjork was given his assembly stuff. He was saying there really is no random... In computers, they they literally can't be random because the the electronics are so precise. Um, I had no idea because I'm used to using the random command in Basic, but that's something they made up in Basic. But it's so it, it's a deep subject and it's interesting. Here's a call. Well, the the flaws, yeah, the flaws in Basic random. I'm going to be uh, talking about in a in an, another article too in the next week or so with some stuff that I've had running for the last week or two to kind of see what it does. And this, this one was neat. Everybody probably knows about the, the color computer egg. If you clear the screen to zero through eight, it, it clears to a color. If you give a number bigger than that, it clears the screen and it says Microsoft in the yeah. corner. Mm -hmm. But there was a, another Easter egg in Commodore computers um, that you would execute a specific address and it would print the word Microsoft. And the idea behind that was they hid that in there. So if any, if Commodore ever claimed or somebody stole the basic and claimed it was their own, mm. they could type that command and it would show the name. Well, those bytes, Microsoft with an exclamation mark, are embedded in the color computer ROM. They were ported over, but the Easter egg is not there. They were just ah. random bytes that, that whoever did the job just included. So you could peek them and out. So, they have to yeah, but you can't. Uh, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're encoded. They're, They've got the... Tables, so they're looks like... Required hey, you, you have you have to do some logic like ands and ors or something if I remember correctly oh, to get so it's, to display it's not, correctly. It's not raw sniffable data. It's, uh, no, it's, it's and that was the whole purpose because so they wanted it. to be able to secretly find right, out if somebody if you had stolen their it, ROM. You could change it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and so I I saw the article somebody had posted in a response to something on the Facebook group and I read it and I went, well, that's kind of neat. I wonder if I can actually print that. So I made a little program that pulls the bytes out, strips the extra stuff, reverses them because they're stored backwards, okay. and then um, has enough of a translation that it actually will show you the Easter egg and where they are in the uh, ROM. Wow. So when that little, yeah, that picture there, BFEF, that's where the, for, uh, the M is, and it's stored as a CD in hex. You get rid of the top two bits, that's a D, and if you go to that character in the string, that's the letter M. 
I'm okay. not even I don't, I'm not even sure how that works. That's, how does the that's D some get serious changed? code cracking there, right? So, yeah, yeah. I, so it's basically I it, it's it's looking at it's looking at I don't know what the hell it's looking at. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, but but it does work. The, everything they say was correct. I just it took me a, a couple of attempts to figure out how they were hiding those letters. You guys, those, those are the hex values on the VDG screen. So like D is thirteen and M is the thirteen. Oh, that's letter. why. Yeah, that's. I bet that's what it is. This thing that gets poked to the screen, so it's the thirteenth yeah. letter of the oh, screen or something. Okay. Hey, do you guys remember In Living Color? Yep. Do you remember that guy? He did his thing. Is I wrote a song about it. Hey, hey, hey. Do you remember that that little little routine? The guy used to do it was like an old blues singer, and he'd have something. He says, I wrote a song I wrote about it. Wrote a song go. about it. Yeah, this is like what Alan's like. I wrote a blog about it. So it's just like, <laughs> well, this came up, and I wrote a blog about it. So. See, what David Curtis Allen doesn't Greer. realize is there is no end to this. It just goes and goes and goes. <laughs> I probably posted. Yeah, we're still in April. We haven't got back to the March There's ones we've missed for two weeks. So, Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you want to want to stop, but, I mean, I've just been throwing all kinds of things Well, how about we do this? How about I, 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 I find this interesting. I'm not sure that everybody – just like some people weren't like in the hardware. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I like this. Um, how about we get to the more news? Let's let's do some game on. Don't close that tab, Curtis. Keep it there. Yeah, keep it around for keep the Keep it caboose. around. We'll do the game on, and maybe we can pull it up in a caboose or later on. Or I'm actually inspired now. I'll just talking about basic and stuff. I'm kind of inspired to break out my cocoa and work on some code tonight. So maybe we can do some live coding without a net tonight, too, you know, for an after show. Um Okay, so, I'll keep the tab open, and we'll just finish off the rest but of the news. But, Alan, then... listen, I appreciate this. Just like I appreciate David's, uh, you know, flux capacitor on his floppy controller, I think this is cool stuff. So, Yeah, except pl- it's the blog that never ends. It's so trying to do a recap ends. of something. Yeah. <laughs> it's an infinite loop. So it's, it's like the it's like the ongoing joke these days that you know some people that are, are home and isolated now they've they've finished Netflix and the ending is kind of dull. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ron, were you getting ready to say something? Yeah, play that song again. Oh, we will. We'll, we'll yeah, play Nightmare just, Highway again. Yeah. The the real short version is is that that but that particular Easter egg in the ROM is evidence of could Bill Gates himself really code. Because the story goes, and it's at that page table link, that Bill Gates is the one that put that Easter egg together himself because the first version of the ROM that he licensed to Commodore had nothing about Microsoft in it. And so when Commodore came back for patches, he added that, but had to add it in a way that the Commodore engineers couldn't find it easily. And there's a second half to the Easter egg of how he hooked it into the code, basically using a typo so that the engineers wouldn't see when the code that drew that got called. It's a very, very cool article. The page table thing is worth a read. I posted the link. Yeah. It's also it's also an Apple's floating point basic too. Apple II. Yeah. <laughs> and another side note, the, the Coco and the Model One Hundred are the two last machines that Bill Gates personally did code on. Right. And from what I remember reading about in the Coco Underdog book is that when they sold, when Microsoft sold Basic to Commodore, it was a flat purchase where it was not licensed per sale. And they're saying that was the last time they would ever make a deal like that because Commodore could sell Basic a billion times and not have to pay for that. Um, and, and that also, because of that change, that's why the Color Computer 3's Basic had to be hacked by microware because Microsoft didn't want to make any more. And then the agreement was you can't change it. So they had to basically patch that. Um, But think of that deal. I don't know how many Commodore units were sold, but whatever they bought basic for, boom, you know. They bought it for the pick. 
Sorry. Yeah. What was that, Nick? I think they bought it for the PET, and when their Commodore 64 came out, they just used the same one. That's why the basic in the Commodore 64 is so crappy. It's based on a very old oh, and so that was the same Commodore money. PET basic. Yeah, they didn't rewrite or get a new basic done that uses the uh, extra uh, capabilities of the Commodore 64. Gotcha. Fred, Fred, did you have a comment, or were you just waving for saying hello, or...? No, no, I actually have a comment. Uh, since you are talking about basic, I was looking previously, uh, so you talk about the, it was Alan Hoofman's program, the one that convert basics to a modern, in a modern typed language. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yep. Well, you, just, you. You just can't understand me, right? No, we understand, <laughs> I understand you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure, now. Uh, I also I don't know if you if you if you have noticed I posted on Facebook I also have since we're talking about basic I have a program also that it converts uh, basic from a modern language to a, a to the to the Cocoa basic. Oh, I think that was uh, one yeah, of yeah, our Yeah, we covered that stories. earlier in the news, actually, Fred. Yeah, yes. Ah, you, you talk about Ed yes. because I have one that's just like the one about. Uh, I think it's 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 Alan's. I don't know who who made that. I. I I don't remember the name of the guy. Oh, okay. Just, just. Uh, yeah, we did. I, I came, I came late here. No, that's I okay. No, yeah, it was about 14 hours ago in the news, but we did cover yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> how's, uh, how's, how's Brazil right now, Fred? Yeah, we are in, uh, are in lockdown and uh, yeah. the numbers are really catching up here now. We are doing a lot of tests. We are, we are doing before like you yeah. were, but the numbers are catching up and you are just locked at home. Same as everyone. Yeah, stay safe, brother. Yeah, thank you. You, you too. <laughs> All right, Curtis. Next, next article. <clears throat> okay, this was a uh, live stream of the Home Computer Museum in the Netherlands showing their entire thing. It's about an hour. I'm wow. going to play the whole thing. No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, but the Coco does pop up here and there, and of course, the person that runs it, uh, his the Coco Two is his first machine. Yeah. So and we've had Bart on the show. Yeah. So I'll just play a little bit of that. You guys tell me if the audio is okay. Uh, I have to. I have to show you this one. He gets this a couple of his facts wrong. This is the color computer too. And um, this is my first computer. First computer was the color computer too. This is where I started. Um, I had to search a lot for this one because back then, when I was still, you know, four or five years old. We had this computer at home, and all my friends had an Amiga or a Commodore 64 or Atari, but actually no one had a Stanley TRS-80 color computer too. Uh, but um, yeah, I tried to find something for it, uh, tried to buy games, but there were just there's no way you can find those back in the day already. Um, a fun fact about this computer is you can't see it now because it's connected. In America, this model, as you can see with a big case, white colored uh, uh, machine, is called the color computer in America, and in Europe it's called the color computer too. There's no difference in those. He's talking about the white 64K Coco yeah. one. Yeah. So this one is the That's color the computer. It's the same here in Australia. And yeah. In America, they're really rare to find a white model one, color computer one. But yeah, we have the color computer two over here, and we have plenty of those. 
So yes, and also you can see this is the first time I think we've seen the entire new setup of the new museum in its new location. You can yeah. just see how big it is because I mean he pans all over the place and there's just machines. Yeah, that's galore. neat. Um, he doesn't mention the Cocoa Three a little bit later. I don't know if you want me to play that part or not. Um, he does get a couple of his facts wrong because he's kind of trying to wing does it. Does he off get into DMA crystals or data separators at all? No, he accidentally says we have a 512 <laughs> color palette. Though. Oh, okay. Uh, Man. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm interested, but I think there are some people whose brains are a little bit over over abused with technical babble right now. So maybe <laughs> uh, just saying, what is this, Bart Bart Van Acker or something? Is that? He's been on the show before. He's a really cool guy, very enthusiastic guy. Um, Not Dave enthusiastic, but pretty but cool. But yeah, and, and I believe one of the most recent updates was they got somebody who very philanthropically helped. Uh, fund them to have a bigger facility and keep these doors open because this is kind of a donation um, funded physical museum that you can come into and see all these machines are turned on and they're working and everything else. And so, they're hands on. You could do yeah, yeah. around with something. And too. so we, we've been following the progress of him getting this going for quite some time. And so it's really cool to see where they are. And a lot of very prominent YouTubers, especially in Europe, is it what is the, um, the British guy, um, angry nuts uh, well, something nostalgia nerd or something he did a, a video of this thing too so um it's kind of cool to see uh people learning about this museum if it wasn't so far away i'd love to be there so yeah exactly anyway the whole video goes through a whole bunch of the computers and a whole history of you know the home computer market especially with some european based ones we never saw here in north america so it's a very interesting video to go through and see some of these old machines so i highly recommend it if you're into general retro computing yeah yeah and as I mentioned, the Cocoa 3 makes it pretty Yeah, and we posted YouTube, the so. link to the video, and they've also got a Facebook page and stuff, too. So ch check them out. Tell Bart hello. Yeah. Next up, and David will love this story. Uh, David Weens, who did the original uh, OS9 driver's S-Disc, which was for OS9 Level 1 on the Cocoa 1 and 2, and then S-Disc 3, which is for the OS9 Level 2 on the Cocoa 3. And, and Bill and I used to use this at work. It's a very advanced floppy disk driver. It does 128, 256, 512, 1024 byte sectors, up to 80 tracks, adds direct read writes. You can access you know, any formatted disk, uh, <laughs> some Japanese stuff, DOS disks, everything else. Um, he's actually released a source code for these. So you can actually go download them from his site. And uh, I, we used it with MSF, which was the MS DOS file manager back in the day, which made MS DOS disks a native format for OS9 as well as the normal OS9 disk like that PC DOS utility that David showed before is a bit slow because it's doing translations back and forth and all this other kind of thing. This became native so it ran just as quick as running it on a PC. You could just dir you know slash A for the A drive and then dir slash D1 on the uh, OS9 side and they both would run the exact same speed. So him releasing the source code for how that whole thing was done is actually quite interesting because it lets you, you know how to do different size sectors and all kinds of fancy <laughs> things. <laughs> Oh my God, my mic was not mic. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, Nick, we weren't talking about buzzard baits. So you don't have to. Do I'm that. so sorry. I thought I was muted. He's sorry. He's sorry. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to be like Nick. We got some real. We got some real Richards on this show. I tell you he's, what. He's so. my hero. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is cool. That is cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, quick mention here, the Coco Crew released their uh, monthly episode here. And of note in this particular episode is they have a review of Gunstar. Gunstar. Crikey. And Crikey. they also have a really good interview with uh, Carl England, who did some disc copy software. Getting back to floppies again. This is the floppy episode, guys. The floppy uh, For the Defeater and stuff. He's a really good uh, machine language programmer that did a lot of really cool disc utilities back in the day. So, and he used to come to Rainbow Fest or Coco Fest and stuff you know, fairly regularly as well. I remember meeting him a few times there. So, 
really good interview. I highly recommend it, especially if you're into floppy. So, David, I'm sure you've listened to it on repeat for about five days straight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Practicing my creepy David Ladd sound. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, next up, I won't play the whole video for this, but Ed Snyder, who makes the MC10 um, composite monitor board, has put up a tutorial video on his channel on YouTube that shows you how to adjust the two pots to adjust the colors and voltages and stuff to get the best picture you can. So if your TV is a little bit different or your monitor that you're trying to plug it into, um, this will give you tips on exactly how to set it up. You're talking about adjusting the pots and there's a roach clip right there too, so. Yeah. Well, it's legal up here, so I can talk about it a lot. But... So he shows you how to do scope adjustments and stuff. Um, let me see if I can find the... That's the composite we're getting so far, which is very clean. Not the worst on the planet, but wow. he's still not happy with it. Not happy with it. The fact we can see a 40 year old computer at all, <laughs> we should be happy with. You know what I mean? So you can see Here's our semi graphics block. The white ain't too white there. Yeah, you can see the white is quite grayish, though. Okay. We're going to. Is this um, is that part of Ed's Cylon uh, technology there? That <laughs> yeah, I think that's his brain spinal cord <laughs> interface or something. I'm not sure exactly what that is. I have to ask Jim Brain because I'm sure he has one of these too. So you can see once again that's the gray yeah, the instead buff, of the, the pure white kind of gray. Yeah, and some of the other colors are kind of like dark and aren't quite yeah. what they're supposed to be. So he shows you on here these these two pots you can see in the middle, these little tiny 5K and the 1K. Okay. So he kind of explains what each does, and then you start turning them around, and then by the end of it, I'll just kind of skip ahead. And and old TVs and CRTs, they actually had pots in the back of them, too, for the color guns, where you could tweak the red, the green, and the blue of your actual tubes. I remember tweaking pots yeah. on monitors and stuff, like in, especially in arcade yeah. machines. And this is on an LCD screen. Yeah, that white Probably is good. Probably about now. as good of a picture as you're going to get on an LCD from uh, the the. Yeah, the colors are bolded the more red color now too. So basically, if you have an MC10 composite board from Ed, and you didn't know any of this, and let's say yours is a little off, you can actually just open up your MC10 and tweak those things with a little jeweler screwdriver, which Mark Overholzer has well, an abundance of. I would of. suggest not doing, I, I know it's probably insulated, but I used to have these little red plastic screwdrivers that I adjusted the pots with on, uh, especially if it's if it's hot. Like if you're doing this on a picture tube, and you're, you run the risk of high voltage shocks. I'm not sure how much you run a risk of shock on this. I don't know, maybe Mark? Not so? much. Not much? Okay. So. This this is just actually a little satellite board in the MC10 okay. itself that replaced right. the RF yeah. module. I remember I was scared shitless working <clears throat> on the back of a hot uh, CRT tube, you know. Yeah. So anyway, for any of those that have the MC10 uh, composite adapter board and want to tweak it, or if you wanted to know if you could tweak it for you know odd TV settings or odd monitor settings, there's a tutorial video for you. That is cool. Uh, next up, this is a YouTuber I've never heard of before called Bertoid. And I believe he's Australian, and he's trying to repair a Compacta Uniboard, which is a 609-based system that you see here. And he's been having some issues trying to get it to run. So he decided he's going to pull out his Coco 2 that has been sitting in a garage for 35 years to see if he can hook it up to help him debug it. Um, well, I'll fast forward just a teeny bit here. You can see the uh, condition of the box when oh, he pulls it out of the garage. It's mint. Mint, like new. <laughs> 
It's a little bit scuffed up. There's a key broke off. Yeah. Um, a little bit rusty in spots. It's been hacked and modded with wires and stuff here. So uh, it's a fairly long video, and I'll give you the the the, uh, the ending on uh, ahead of time. Here is basically it's not fully functional. It is generating a video signal, but it's just putting bars on the screen. So he's going to come back to it later and see if he can finish fixing it. Um, how is he? How is he getting the video output from it? Is there like a VGA? What's what's the connection on that computer for video out? He did it a couple ways. I mean, he tapped one of the pins uh, from right behind the modulator to bypass the modulator stuff. So he tried the modulator first, hooked up to a TV because he actually has an old TV, two okay. TV. Yeah. And then he tried hooking it up to the composite monitor, and he's still getting the bars. I mean, it's doing the same thing. So there's something wrong. I don't know if it's RAM or maybe the VDG or something. Probably the VG is fine, but. I'm guessing his RAM or something's probably bad. So he just basically spent 20 minutes and it took a lot longer in real life because he was cutting scenes out in the yeah. middle, but uh, it still isn't fully working. He's going to come back to it. But um, I thought it was kind of interesting pulling out a Coco after 35 years, sitting in a garage in pretty rough shape and it even powered on at all. So, yeah. and I'm going to follow his uh, page here and see if he actually does get it up and running. And then if he does, then I'll see if I can invite him on to uh, you know do some comments. Well, or Mark Overholzer just posted a link saying, spoiler, it's working at the end of the video. So is that a follow-up video, Mark D? Uh, it said it isn't working. Oh, it isn't working. Oh, sorry. You, you yeah. can see the badge on that Coco. It says Coco 2. Yeah, yeah. that's the full-size white case we were just talking yep. about on the previous video. Yeah. Yep. The European one. Yep. Australian. Oh. Yeah. Same. <laughs> and this here is a sneak preview. Um, this is going to be the official pre-announcement that uh, Ease of Use Beta 5 will be out in April. Um, there's a whole bunch of little things that it's in the documentation, which I'm still writing yet. But basically the biggest uh, thing here is that G-Shell will now launch VDG-based apps. Nice. Um, I've been testing it with Fractalus. And Fractalus is a, a project that I showed, what was it, 2017 or something, where I've been optimizing it. Mm -hmm. So I finally finished that off too, as far as I'm going to take it for now. Um so I've got a little demo here just showing it getting launched right from G-Shell and then playing a few seconds of the 6809 version. I'm not going to put the 6809 version up. You guys can fiddle with that when the actual thing comes out because I did more optimizations there. Uh, so this will be, basically just be a quick demo of, of the main new feature. There's a bunch of little ones Can I too. propose something since you're releasing this in April? Change the colors to some pastels so it's nice and Eastery. <laughs> How about pinks? The pinks. Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? <laughs> Make it look like P mode three and I'll love you forever. <laughs> yeah. Use your stock poo yan colors on it. That's, that's about yeah. as I like that to... trash can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at that. That That's a real good looking trash can. Is that what it used hey. to be? <laughs> I should mention too, both Rob Inman and uh, Nick Marantes have been contributing icons for some of the games that will be released on this one. Uh, you can see a whole bunch of them here. I've got one other patch that you shall want to try to finish version, which is why I'm not releasing it right away. Plus, I have to finish writing docs. Um, which, I want, if I get it working, I'll tell you what you guys. I'll tell you guys what it is that I've, uh, the further change. Okay, let's if, see, just let's in case I don't, see, I won't promise it. Let's see the video here. I want to see practice. And I don't have any sound on this either, so it's okay. this is just a quick. It loads up pretty quick. Rescue and fractal. There you go. There's a VDG. Boom. That's quick. That is really fast loading, Curtis. Yep, that's off the uh, Coco SDC. That's and not only is it an ease of use, but it's also speed of access. That's. Uh, I added parallax here because I had to match Gunstar. Nice. And this is about ten to fifteen percent faster than the original six eight nine version. Now. Okay. Uh, the six eight nine version is faster yet. 
and I'll, I'll let you guys judge the speed when it comes out. Actually, this looks halfway decent for being, you know, real-time 3D and everything. Yep. I still don't understand how part of the program works. I just got it optimized on parts I got to understand enough okay. to, to optimize. So Impressive. And that is the end of the news, finally. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, we warned Praise you. Praise Jesus! We warned you what? at the what? beginning huh? of the show that oh. there's going to be a lot of news. So yeah. Next up is floppy talk. So. <laughs> yeah. We are going to take a commercial break. i got to take a potty break. I'm not sure who else does. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul Shoemaker has joined us. Hey, Polly. Um, so we'll take a commercial break. We'll come back. We have game on segment now. We're going to talk about uh, who participated this week, what the scores were. We'll go ahead and we'll listen to the, 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 the new hit single that's sweeping the nation, too. We'll come back with some Nightmare Highway after these words here. For those of you who missed the world premiere of quick, Nightmare Quick question Highway. for yes. uh, Nick Marotta before we go to break. Uh -huh. um, Nick, did you want to do the, um, the Game On Challenge stuff first and then the few stories I've got on Game On videos, or do you want to yes. do the videos first and then? Yes. Uh, let's do the Game On. Uh, let's do the um, Game On results. I'm going to, I want to steal your YouTube story about that. Stick it in with the, with the, um, with the uh, Game On wrap up. You okay. got one. You got one news story about um, Time Bandit. We'll throw that in with the. With the uh, okay. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. So we'll be That's back. We'll, we'll be back after a few words from Fletcher. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But JT. Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subby the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at cocoman.biz.
This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing dagger with like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. All right, and we're back. And I got to say, that news segment ran so long, I, I actually grew a beard. So um, <laughs> thanks, guys, for that. Got my Iman hey, will help you with that bald spot, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah, but we have um, we have been neglecting the news. So we had to give the news its due. And we definitely gave the news its due. You guys have been newsed to death at this point. Uh, we got some new people joining us. Paul Shoemaker is here. Thanks for joining us, Paul Shoemaker. For those of you who are still here, we are grateful. For those of you who have been watching this whole time, we're sorry. Um, but we're still here. We're still alive, and it's a beautiful thing. We're getting ready to go into one of my favorite parts of the show, and that is the Game On segment. Game On! Yeah, Game On! So, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, are you ready? To I, do the game on segment, sir. I am ready. Okay. Well, we have this is a professional show, so we do have a fully produced uh, uh, intro graphic yes, thing do. here, and then we'll turn it over to you. So here we go, everybody. All right, everybody, get ready for game on. It's that time of the show where we stop talking about floppies and OS nine and talk about what's really important in the world, and that's gaming. Are you ready to game on? All right, I pressed far too many buttons you, you on the soundboard there. Sound That's it. The, just just hitting, awesome. hitting too many, <laughs> too many buttons on the soundboard. Yeah, I wasn't uh, talking, Curtis. So that was directed at Steve. So yeah. That's so <laughs> I do apologize that earlier. That was not a reflection on what you were talking about. I was just uh, sure, sure, letting out some the, afternoon exhaustion. But anyway. Um, thank you for the introduction there, Stevie. And yes, we had a great week this week. The game was Time Bandit, and we had a, we had a good turnout this week. 14 people who took part. Uh, so thank you very much for everybody who did. And uh, let's go ahead and roll the results video, please. Okay, so then I need to share again. I actually had stopped sharing, thinking you needed to do something. So you will be able to speak over this, Nick. So here we go. Okay. Here's, here's our game great. on results, everybody. All right, so David Ladd came in at number 10. Number nine, we had Bryza. Number eight, we had me, yours truly. At number seven, we had Adam Tandy Guy. Henry Wright, though. Thank you. I wasn't sure who that was. Number six, we have Rob Inman. Rob Inman. Inman. Number five, Mr. Dave 6809. 
Who keeps asking me what the next game is? I'm not going to tell him. Number four, we have Tom C. Good job, Tom. And now, number three, Ooh, Buck Owens. No. I will. I like Buck Owens. I will be kind. Paul Shoemaker. All Holy right, Paul Shoemaker number two. And who can number one be? Who is it? It's number that one. That prick. Our very yeah. own El Curtis Boyle. <laughs> not this the asshole, asshole. The other asshole. Time to, he did he not have the to... top score. Erico stomped my butt. Yeah, yeah, didn't he have that. like 400,000? Yes. But yes, Curtis had time to play. So, and, uh, so here's our full list of challengers. And Nick, Erico actually joined our Discord. Did he not submit a score in the... He did not. He had a game going. And it crashed. Okay. Oh, okay. But he did uh, post pictures crashed, so in was, uh, he posts pictures in Facebook. So I don't know if I had his final score. I have I had do have a screenshot. Uh, well, his pause score was double what okay, Curtis so I, and I, I got. Didn't, so I didn't actually get <laughs> that. It was like at least a seventy some thousand. I saw. Oh, insane, insane. Yes. How did he figure out the controls to get that kind of score? There's yes, a secret to that, which we'll get into when we discuss the tips and tricks here. I've got one screenshot from him as a highlight, which is not the half. Uh, I've got the 74,000, which I'll show. Um, so anyway, yes, I guess I will. Uh, I'll take over the screen. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You have the you have the horizontal and the vertical. Okay. Sorry, I'm always slow with this. Okay, You're Canadian. We expect it. Yeah. No, not yet. Oh, Wait for it. Wait, Wait for, for it. it. Asparagus. Asparagus. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I know. I Seventy-four thousand two hundred and fifty. So there's there. So there's that was that was from another gameplay that Erico had done before. Nice. And, he and this shows one of, one of the famous mystery messages that I'd mentioned on the show last time. Now, back in the day when I was young and had reflexes, still. My high score, I think, was 322,000 or something wow. like that. And I'd solved wow. four of these mystery messages in a single game. Erico has apparently won the entire game. He's actually done all 21 areas in one game. Ouch. Which is so far beyond my best score ever. That that just stuns me. Did, didn't he say he had to leave the game on for like a 24 hours where he would pause yeah, it? Yeah, because you can pause at these points here back. and he could actually like go to sleep, go to school, and then come right. back and finish. <laughs> right. Well, he left X4 running, apparently, and I guess it crashed on him, so he wasn't able to finish the game. And he was talking about doing a live stream at some point. Wow. He did do a little bit of one. Uh, and he broke 50,000 yeah. on the live stream, so he beat me there as it was. Uh. So apparently this is his game. This is, wow. this is, uh, this is his... Uh, his mojo. His domain. Good job, Erico. So, he's a, he, so we'll, we'll, give him, uh, we'll give him an honorary, uh, honorary leader of the pack on this one because he I'll, I'll give the lead to him I'll, I'll as as the person that actually supposedly got number one I'll give it to him because he he's a way better player at it than right. I am <laughs> he's also pretty good at Photoshop yeah oh, some... <laughs> you taught him well Nick <laughs> so so Curtis I'm stealing a YouTube story but you might actually want to talk about it we have this uh, video here of oh that was Robin me playing it on the on Friday okay I'm so not sure. The one on the left, and I'm the little indent there with my, you know, iPhone camera running live. Oh, okay. So it's great. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, if you want to post a link to this, uh, Marco, I stole this from Curtis's uh, list. Do you want to click that little uh, button in the YouTube screen there, so you can? Oh yeah, yeah. Increase the video size too. 
sorry. Oh, where is it? Here it is. Yes. Nope. Nope. Uh, click the X. <laughs> okay. okay. Pick the now second we're... icon on the bottom. Yeah, that one there. All right. There, there you go. we go. So yeah, Marco, if I grab the link for that from Curtis's list and throw it in the chat. I'm sorry for throwing that wrinkle at you. That's no problem. Yeah, so that was um, uh, Rob on the left there, and then my little, you know, iPhone. Yeah, that's uh, right. Curtis's seventeen thousand. Are there any right parts there. you want me to highlight, uh, Curtis? Oh, there's not much to highlight. I was playing it on my real Coco Three on our real Magnavox eighty-five fifteen in composite mode, so that's looking like it would have looked back in the day. Um, I think I managed to get up to the last round. Actually, I wrapped the time gates because basically every level, including the time gate screen where you select your time gate to go through, has four phases, one to four, and then each of those phases has A, B, C, D. And basically what it does is it flips the screens around and, and moves the locks around. Yes. And the speed picks up as you go too. So when you wrap the time gates past 4D, so you're on your 17th time gate screen, it actually slows right back down so the monsters get slower. And you use that as part of timing, and Eric pointed this out too, that if you're trying to solve one of the time gate levels, so you do all 16 screens or 16 versions of that level, once you start getting to the harder ones, we have like five keys to unlock, and there's a good chance you're going to be dying pretty fast. What you do is you try to work your way up until you get to that point, and then you start going to other time gates you've never been to before, which are back to the beginner levels, 1A, 1B, 1C. And you use those to recharge your health back up if you've gotten oh. it low. Then you come back out. Then you go and you wait till the time gates wrap to there on the easy level. So you're not going to get you know massacred on the time gates. And then you start going back to those higher level ones that you're trying to finish to finish those off. And you can keep alternating back and forth depending on how your health's doing. Oh, that's smart. So that's a technique we both have used. And he obviously uses it much better than I do. And the second technique... <clears throat> is that this is one of the earliest games I know of that actually lets you move your player separately from the direction you're firing. And that only works on the keyboard. On joystick, you if you're facing right, you fire to the right. If you're facing left, you fire left. On the keyboard, you move with the arrow keys, left and right, for example, because you can only shoot left and right. And then I think it's a slash and the ZZ key that will let you shoot left and right. So you can actually, you know, run facing one direction but firing the other direction, which gives you a lot more options and a lot easier to, you know, take care of yeah. monsters while you're trying to run around. Yeah. The problem is that was designed when the Coco One and Two keyboards are out, where the arrow keys, your left and right, are on the right side of the keyboard, and your up and down are on the left side of the keyboard, and basically use your thumb to hit the the Z or the slash to do your firing. On the Coco Three, since they jammed all the arrow keys together into a little diamond, it's friggin' impossible to do that now. So it's much harder. If you have an old Coco 1 and 2 keyboard, which I think Eric would mention he'd remapped his XROR to do, then you can actually control it with you know basically two fingers, your index and your middle finger on each hand, plus each thumb. And you once you get used to that control scheme, you can do much, much better. And I remember doing that in the back in the day, too. That's my two trip, tips and tricks. What, what was your guys' impression of the game, or did you guys figure out anything tips and tricks-wise? Or I found it frustrating that you had that you couldn't stop moving until you hit a wall or or something. Like you weren't able to just stop and shoot around you. Yeah, there's some strategies like there's certain maze setups on the time date or the time gates uh, sequences and stuff too where you have to like run across and then run down and then back up right away just to stop in the right spots you can blast them as soon as they come out of the monster generator to clear it out yeah so that that becomes part of the strategy i think that was done on purpose oh, i'm no sure it was couldn't have but i'm sure it was done on purpose yeah so 
This is, I mean, it's a design yeah, I choice. didn't know. I think Robert or somebody, Robert Murphy, mentioned that early on, uh, right after last week's show about that second button option being there. And I think he said he re- he remapped Mame uh, to have those two fire buttons on a spot that were just more conducive for him. I think he said he was using Z and X or I don't remember. Yep, but, that's the ones. Yeah. So. Um, so that's kind of cool. And I would imagine, too, if you're using an emulator, if you have a two-button joystick, you could maybe map your second button to be one of those keys. So um, where it, well, That doesn't really help you, though, because that only gives you one other... Well, no, I guess that would work. If you if you made the red button, for example, always fire left and the black button always fire right. Yeah. Then, yeah, I guess that would work. Yeah, so, you know. It'd be like an arcade control. Yeah, no, so I didn't, see, I didn't even know that that option existed. So that was something I learned that you actually could fire two different directions using the keyboard on, on real hardware. And there's lots of ways to hack that with an emulator. Yeah. But it's, it's a very interesting game. It's, it, it pretty just, you know, it, it came out years before gauntlet did, mm-hmm. which, you know, was probably close to being similar. It's kind of a mix of two and common gauntlet. It's got, you know, three varieties of worlds. Each of those has seven different sub worlds within, and each of those has 16 derivatives of, I remember they used to advertise in rainbows having 320 screens of super res graphics. Now, and it's all fit in 32K. If somebody could take this game and hack it such that on a two-button joystick, one button shoots forward and one button shoots back, that'd mm-hmm. be cool. That should be possible. And I love I love the animations when you kind of warp back to a new spot, you know, how the screen kind of scrolls and warps and stuff. So a lot of attention to detail with the animations and kind of the special effects of what's going on in the game and stuff. This is a top-notch, good-quality game visually playability this is a holy grail game here so this game appeared on multiple platforms which i didn't know i thought it was a coco only but apparently it's something on the amiga and a few other platforms right atari it started on the tirasady model one and three originally the year before the coco version came out the same programmers did the coco port and then a couple years later those same programmers were involved with doing the atari st the amiga and the dos vga versions yeah, I remember playing that one, and I have I have got a DOS box set up of that. I think I did a video of that quite some time ago. Um, it's pretty cool. I think the newer ones have different levels, though. Yeah, they do. They yeah, have they more do. expanded levels too. Nick, Nick, uh, did you ever Nick, Nick uh, Marenti's here? Did you ever play the Model One Three version? No, no, I never did. I, I will. It's it's a fun game. There's a, like a, it's it's fairly difficult, but it does once you get used to it. And if you have the Coco One Two keyboard lab and you get used to those controls, it is a lot easier. Yeah, cool stuff. Hey Curtis, I never figured out exactly. You get you regenerate health by getting points, but I could never figure out is it a hundred points or f- that for every hundred points you get, your health goes up a notch. I or is it no? It's, it's based points? on what type of objects you pick up. So you get points for each of the treasures and you get points for the keys and the locks and you get points for shooting the monsters too so one of the strategies but health I, points you only get with treasures keys and locks you don't get i think you do because i would sit me. i would sit when there was when i was right next to the exit and i still had 30 seconds left i would just sit there and shoot guys and it wouldn't give me a lot of point health points but i would get one two health points regenerated that way oh okay i didn't realize it did that I know the treasures and the other stuff, you get your health points up pretty fast. Uh, absolutely. And treasures, when you hit them, of course, it pauses the monsters for a second or two, too, which is very oh, critical. I didn't notice that. Strategy. 
Keys and locks do not. They will keep running around. But if you, you if you hit a treasure, I think it's about a one to two second delay where all the monsters will just freeze moving. They'll they'll still be animated, but they won't move after you or anything. So you, you can use that to your strategy. Yeah, Erico mentioned in one of his um, posts that there was some, at some points, the, all the monsters would freeze. Was he talking about that or was yes. he talking about some other phenomenon? No, nope. when you hit a treasure, the, all the monsters will freeze briefly. And okay. if you time, like if you do your treasures in a certain order, you can literally on some of the levels run across the entire screen and they never move because you keep pausing them every time you hit a treasure. Mm. Interesting. I'd say my, my least favorite part of the game is when you're down to less than 10 health points or whatever and it starts flashing green and white and it's just very yeah. uh, seizure-inducing. Yeah. Well, they didn't know about seizures back then, I guess. Uh, maybe not. I wouldn't fly maybe not. today. They figured if you can live through a VDG green screen game or a pal, you know, the pastel palette, you'll live through anything. Sure. Uh, David Veer, you have your hand raised. Do you have a comment on Time Minute? Yeah. Um, as usual, when we get a new game to play, I, I, if I'm not familiar with it, I take a quick look and I watch one of Stevie's videos, which was helpful this time. Thanks, Steve. This time. I <laughs> this wasted time. this time. Oh, no. I think it's helpful it's... to showing you what the game is as far as playing it well. I don't know if that's such a good idea, but go ahead. Yeah, no. Sometimes it sets me back. But this one was really good. Well, that's what you think. And it's funny that he had uh, twice as many views on the color computer version. And he also did a video on DOS uh, PC version. And it, it wasn't as popular. It's kind of funny. It was more popular on the Coco. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a DOS version until. Yeah, I remember playing it back in the day. I had it, and I was thrilled that you know I, I would at that point I was long past the Coco, but it was cool to see a Coco game on my PC. You know, I, I would love to see this in like a 3D N64 type game. Oh wow, it's a, it's a very interesting game. Yeah, um, they really wow. put a lot into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I didn't know. About- in fact, you could go back to the same portal over and over and bump up the level back in the day. So I just kind of went to random portals and played until I died. That's actually a point that uh, John Schaller, because they, they did a review of it quite a while ago, too, on uh, the Amigos. And one of his points on this being one of the earliest games that basically was open world design, where you can pick where you want to go. You don't have to follow a set order to get through this level yet to get to this screen. Yeah, you don't do that. You can pick. You can go all fantasy world one game, all space world the next. Mix them up third, yeah. concentrate on the western and the fourth. I mean, you can do it any way you want, which is pretty innovative for the time. Mm-hmm. And that's an advantage over something like Gauntlet or Tutankhamun because both of those you had to finish the level to get to the next level. And yeah. this one you whip all over the place. That's a good point. True. Very and you cool. really can't relax playing playing this game. You really got to to no. to go with emotion and. Yeah, the only pauses you get is when you complete every four levels of one of the portals, because then it pauses, say you've completed phase one or phase two, or it gives you the mystery message if you complete all 16 screens, all four phases per time gate. And then you can leave it paused there and you'll go off and have something to eat or have a nap or whatever. But That's what I did. I had it paused there for the whole, all overnight the next uh, into the next day. Like, yeah, but it, it's not a game you can play just sort of casually. Like You have to be really locked in on it in order, invested, to, right? in order to survive it. Yeah. Of course, I'm talking like I got an awesome score or something. What did I get? Nine thousand or something? Yeah, you want to hear? My, you want to hear my my strategies for this game, guys? Let me Run. tell you. 
Well, to get my 9,000, here's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. No, it is, it's well, a Steve, great game. Stevie, I was going to ask you, um, you haven't taken uh, participation in the last few games here as far as scores go. Or is, that, is that just because you've been too busy? or A uh, combination of, of two things, yeah. So I've been very busy. And then when I want to unwind right now, I've been playing The Witcher on my Xbox, and that's been my obsession, and I end up spending far too much time playing that than I should. So um, that's really been my thing. Between being just busy and and hectic, when I want to relax right now, I'm relaxing with my Xbox and not getting to the cocoa. So okay. Uh, I, I should be punished. Um, I, I should be the sinner now at the end of that video that Rob has. Okay, we have to get that shame. I don't shame. even know what to say about that. Yeah. We need to get that yeah. shame clip. Shame, shame. So. We could use and uh, Eric has been making too. some comments on the uh, the chat, too. He said, it works with the joystick, too, but it's hard to pull. You must move one way and instantly move back and hold the button. So you kind of have to flip your guy around and then try to f- hold on the uh, fire button. To start fire yeah, if, if you get your guy to, a, to where he is stopped and then you hold down the fire button... You can then he'll you can keep him frozen there and shoot in that in whatever direction you're shooting in. That's well, another was, no, that's another trick yeah. too that you can sort of freeze him, but he has to he has to come to a stop by hitting something first. So with the keyboard though, you could be walking one right. way, and shooting and shoot behind constantly you. behind yeah. you, right? Like, yeah, and then switch your shots full forward and back while you're still yeah. walking one direction. That's, yeah, that's yeah very difficult to do that with the with the joystick. And, and this I, game is nearly impossible with the Black Beauty. It was much better with the deluxe joystick, I found. And Erica also mentions, yeah, the open-worldness is a great feature, and I have to agree. I, I, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms until John Schaller on, on the Amigos had mentioned that. and going, yeah, actually, you're right. And most arcade games at that time in the arcade or on home computers, either of them, not, most of them did not do that. You had to follow the fixed script of what order you had to do things mm-hmm. in. I think we have a raised hand, David. Which I'm uh, just listening. Yeah, I was watching um, <clears throat> Curtis and Rob play last night, and it was funny because it was different strategies. Rob was trying to get the key and get mm-hmm. out of the levels, and I was like, "Hey, buddy, go get the treasure." And uh, Curtis was again just slaughtering Smurfs. Uh, you were waiting till your timer <laughs> ran out and just mowing down the Smurfs. Now, where else can you mow down Smurfs? <laughs> Nowhere else but the Coco. Are you going to send that video to your cousin? <laughs> yeah, my cousin that uh, I traumatized as a kid playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it last night. You were waiting for your timer to run out. You were still killing enemies on, on the screen, eh? Well, in some cases, if I was low in health, I was trying to get a clear path because occasionally you can clear the monster path almost completely out if they all happen to come right by you. Right. Shoot them all, and then you can actually get around without getting hit. That's more of what I was trying to do than just collecting points. Did somebody else raise their hand? I can't. I can't see everything with my. <clears throat> There's two participants. Nick, Nick Marentes has his hand up too. And oh, I was just going to say, uh, I've got the Amiga version, and I think both the Amiga and the Atari ones do let you stop your character to stop walking. So, mm. yeah, if you don't move the stick, they actually stand still. Mm. So maybe somebody saw the Coco version and asked for a change for the. Uh, oh, with the same author, yeah, maybe. Yeah, just. Figured that was something you had to add in. Yeah, would and the Amiga one has all those extra game. levels too, so it's yeah. quite an expanding game. And who is the second person holding up their hand? It was Mr. Dave, but he's done now. So yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I don't know your last name apparently because I saw David somebody. I'm like, who's that? Yeah, and I can. And Dave. the thing that was throwing me off on Rob's is that purple color there. That's because he probably had to do the F1 on the Coco Three. 
to get the uh, other colors. And so instead of it flashing green for the background, that's that phase shift yeah. to get the colors on the Coco 3. Oh, the purple's better it's than the green. It's a color. Color, sorry. The color. <laughs> Does anybody else have, anybody else have anything they want to say about the... Uh, with the game, or? I love this game. I do. I do regret not having time to get to it. There was a lot of things I was hoping to have time to get to this week, as far as projects and just catching up on stuff. And Coco wasn't didn't make it. Um, that happens. But this is in my definitely. If I have a personal top ten, this game's in it. You know. Yeah, I'd say this is one of the, one of the top tier games for Coco. When you think about Coco two games, this is one of the ones that uh, comes to mind. Yeah, and it's an earlier one. I mean, it came out in 83, so it's right. not even, you know, it, this is like a year before Sailor Man. And then just think they also did, like, Cash Man, you know, so these guys came up some really cool games for the Coco. Demon Seed, uh, yeah. Well, the Outhouse. TS-80 one came out earlier. Yeah, it came out in 82, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. 81 or 82. Anybody and, in and, chat saying anything? No. I can't. I guess I can't. I know earlier somebody was asking. Maybe it was in the dis on the uh, Zoom chat. But that commercial I have of the Tandy Australia does not have did not have men at work in the background oh. in the original commercial. <laughs> I it should have. I though. put that in there just to make it more Australian. So. <laughs> in fact, every time Nick Morenti's tossed, can you have that plane back yeah. there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks everybody for taking part. It was like I said, it was a great week. Fourteen is a, is a good uh, good number of participants. Mm, yes, sir. And uh, if there's nothing else, we're we ready to see what next week's. Oh, somebody's meeting? calling out asparagus. <laughs> I just wanted to do a big shout out to Erico for showing hey, you know, an actual mystery message getting done, and also the fact he's now joined our Discord and will yes. be partaking in the other games. Yes, thank you. So Erico. we'll see if he's if we have Bucks actually got some permanent competition on all the games or or not. <laughs> All right, and I try, and Mr. Asparagus, hey, I'm trying to keep this moving, so don't blame me. Uh, all right, so uh, the next game, then, if we're ready. We are ready. Drum roll, please. Is, so I wanted to do an arcade uh, cover again this week, because we kind of did one a couple weeks ago, and then an original game, so, well, kind of original. So, because uh, this came out before buzzard a lot bait. of the ones. I, I'm buzzard uh, can't do buzzard, buzzard bait. bait. Nope, nope, can't do buzzard nope. bait yet. Buzzard bait scheduled, but not, not yet. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the game is sorry, it's kind of small. Quicks, quicks, the Tom Mix version. So, so is this kicks with a K or quicks with a Q I X? Q U I X. Q U I X. Okay. Q U I X by Tom Mix, not the spectral Q I K S. Okay. So I looked at both versions, and I did like the other version in some ways. I liked the the quicks better in the other version. It was more true to the arcade. But the one thing that I think it lacked is you can only have one speed. For drawing your boxes mm. whereas in this version if you this has a more of a risk factor if you choose to go slow you get more points so i, right. kinda, I like that like and, also, and also this kicks is a little easier to predict where it's going which kind of at my age i think is probably a little better so <laughs> this uh, is the best quicks this is the best quicks ever yeah? i don't like the arcade one i don't okay, like okay that's good that's the that's the real quicks for me. I know that I I knew that first, and I never liked that the arcade. I one. think I knew that. I think I knew that when I was picking. I was like, you know, <laughs> which one? <laughs> so so this is going to be our game. Oh, my internet's unstable. So this will so this will be the game for next week. The Tom Mix version, Q U I X. I think the other one is Q I K or something. Okay, like Q I K S. Yeah. So and this it's is, meant to be. A PMO three game, or it's a, yeah. So you can apply pallet oh, hacks. Yeah, to right. this thing is yeah. screaming for a pallet hack. Yeah. Even just changing green to black was yeah. quite a bit. Green, 
Satan screaming for vengeance. Yes. Yeah, so. Judas Priest. <laughs> and uh, if you want to be guaranteed to be in the video, uh, have your score done by noon Eastern time. Please uh, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Game On at Coco Talk. Yeah. Please send it six <laughs> to eight weeks ahead of time. That's right. And then it's last uh, six yeah. to eight weeks for delivery. Tax tag and title not include included. four box tops. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that does it for the Game On segment. Ah, very cool, Nick. I think I can get into quicks. Good. The arcade had the same thing. The, the real arcade game had that same speed factor where if you yep. did yes. it slow, it would... And I uh, really like that because yeah. it, it adds a risk-reward factor, which is really... Uh, I think games that have some sort of a risk-reward thing to it are more fun to play. Yes, kind of so. like doing a Zoom call and risking letting a bunch of 10-year-olds come in and troll <laughs> your uh, show. So We should be the immature 10-year-olds <laughs> so doing that. That's uh, our domain. We had like a half a dozen 10-year-olds dropping N-bombs and drawing swastikas, all kinds of stuff on the screen. It was, yeah. it was a real hootenanny. So, yeah. It's, it's yeah. going to be in the, in the recording, right? It's yeah. in the recording. I will cut it out for the podcast version of the show. That would be good. If yeah. You could. Uh, so the audio and video podcast, we will we will clip that part out. But the YouTube replay, and it's there. They it's... called us old men. Oh, which, well, we say that, that about ourselves. That part's right. So now that really hurts. Exactly. Now, the yeah. end, I was completely okay with the end bomb, but call me an end. Call me an old guy. Oh, oh that's yeah. that's offensive. You right, so. kids. Shake <laughs> my fist at you. Yes. Oh. <laughs> So, hey, uh, so do you guys well, ready for Curtis. a couple little game on stories too? Uh, oh, for the news is that is it time? Well, the game on news. How uh, did you call it? Game on news. Game really game news. On. All right. Yes. So back to you, Curtis Boyle. No, breaking the law. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. Judas Priest breaking the law. Yeah. Still have to make sure my computer sounds on. Hey, first up, <clears throat> Henry Reitveld uploaded two videos. Um, running on his real Kogo 3. I have never seen these light gun games before, so this is yep. cool. The DICOM light gun games with the actual DICOM light interface and the Sega Master gun. So there's two games produced for this that were actually released. There was a couple others that I did see prototypes from Dave Dies at Rainbow Fest back in the day before he left the Kogo market. So he actually has videos here of the two games in question. So the first one is Iron Forest, which is the first one that actually came bundled with the gun. Oh, there was a pack-in. Now you can even hear the floppy. David, are you having a floppy gasm? Oh, wow. That was not at all creepy. Speech. That was like creepy David Ladd voice right there. <laughs> <laughs> Inspired by. <laughs> oh, yeah. Snap into a slip gym. <laughs> And this was an early Coco 3 release. This came out in 87, which is like, you know, the Coco itself finally got released around September of 86. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive to have uh, light gun stuff going on. Shoot screen to start game. And some well-done gra graphics in the background, too, as you'll see. Oh. Looks like they got the brightness jammed up. That monitor's got a, uh, a badge and a door. It's got a door and a badge, yeah. Yeah, it's probably worth about a million dollars on the market then. Now, do you <laughs> run out of bullets in this game? No, but you can only fire so fast and you have to protect that bird. You have to so protect the other yeah, things. I was are wondering why he wasn't shooting the bird. Okay. Yeah, both, both the games that Dave Dies did, you're protecting a certain character from everything else. Ah, uh, okay. 
You know what would be cool is a version of shooting gallery that uses a gun. You could actually point at yep. those sons of bitches because they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just killed the duck, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody step on a duck? Oh! <laughs> I've never seen these games. I've heard about them. Now, where's your main crosshair? You can emulate them properly. You can use the mouse as your. Yeah. I know. I'd, I'd kind of. I mean, it's 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 an elaborate amount of things to have to make this work, but it would be cool to see the real setup, you know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like the next time we do have the Coco Fest, uh, if if Henry can actually bring down his his Sega gun for people to try, because a lot of people have not tried it. It was an expensive add-on. I think the game itself, when you bought it bundled, was like eighty-nine bucks. You got the gun. You got the adapter interface. What's that? He did that last year. Level oh, I missed complete. it if he did. Level complete. Yeah, and each each level has its own screen background, too, and I can't remember how many levels there are. I know I played this game at Coco Fest last year. Oh, look at that. Pretty you got, sure you Henry have, hosted uh, it. some mountains in the background now. And you got to love those nice floppy noises, too. Oh, yeah, I was wondering where you were, David, if you are having your floppy-gasm or not. So. Really? Really? And the explosions are good. Nice digitized gunfire and explosion sounds. Yep. Yeah, he went all out. They had really good graphics uh, designers here. I think if I remember, Kevin Hoare did most of the graphics for this one. I think David did the program. Can you blow the bomb off? <laughs> no. Okay, cool. I think we've seen enough. I know okay. I have. Yeah. Asparagus. Um... Well, let, let's let the floppy drive finish so David can, too. So, <laughs> Here's the second game, Medieval Madness, which was released a year later. This one he did with his sister. Uh, this one actually has a little bit of digitized sound loop that it uses in the intro as well. Um, and this one you're protecting uh, a defenseless warrior, I guess, and you have to actually rescue a princess. Now, this one I've actually won. So at the very end, I don't know if I should do spoilers, but what the heck is most people don't have the game or the hardware to play it. At the very end, you have actually have a dragon that you have to defeat, and there's a beating heart, and you have to shoot the heart enough times to kill the dragon, then you rescue oh, wow. the princess. Rob is asking. Lori dies is Dave's sister, who did a lot of the artwork for their uh, manuals, and also did some of the artwork for the oh, game. Oh, neat. Rob Inman is asking, "Will this work in Mame?" I think you've already said it will, right? Yes. Looks like they took Minotaur off and put. Oh, the madness of the Minotaur title screen? Yeah. Yeah. Medieval madness. Wasn't there a game um, in the arcade like this where you had the villagers walking around and you had to shoot everything else to protect the villagers as they walked by the screen? This is kind of what this is, yeah. Yeah, okay. Trying to think of crossbow is what it was called in the arcade. Yeah. Yeah. And this one had three discs that had more background oh, scenes. You can hear him whipping it out of the sleeve as he slides it in. That's what she said. Um, so, oh yeah, David. See, we don't need other people coming in. But yeah, we don't need ten-year-olds trashing up our show. We can ruin our own show. <laughs> what is the cart cartridge there? That's an Arc ninety, but it's not being used for this game. Oh, insert disc number two. Wow, could you fast forward to the part where he's not 
reloading multiple floppies. Exciting, <laughs> disopping action, action. That was for David. Oh. And you can't oh. really see on the screen, but there's actually some animated rainbow pallets going off in the border during that intro. That was a very chip tuny sounding sound loop there. That's not using the York 90? Nope. They did have their Studio Works thing that I think they might have used for digitizing it. Now, is that pixel distortion down there on the bottom of the tree? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, his copy probably got good. This was heavily, heavily copy protected. Yeah. So that little uh, guy walking from left to right on the bottom there, that's you're you have to protect from everything else. Yeah, that's kind of like crossbow. Yeah. <clears throat> and this one is a bit different than the other one. The other one, you're just hitting shapes like monsters. These, Some of these monsters throw rocks at you, and these plants shoot things yeah. at you. So you have to take so care of the shots. you have to shoot the rock that's heading towards the guy and stuff, too. Yeah. And this one, you can also see the objects go in front and behind the trees and stuff. So it's ah, a bit more 3D-ish. Layered. Multi-plane graphics. You know, yeah, using that two-layer gimme. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. I've never seen these before. And this one, he got into a couple screens. So let me see if I can fast forward to the second. Now, can you rewind it? We can listen to the floppies churn for a little while. That was music to my ears. <laughs> let's let's swap the discs again. <laughs> oh, I guess he didn't get up to the second level on this one. But this one, now the second one, the first one, he actually just used the gun for the gameplay. And this one, all the selections, like what monitor type do you have? You know, oh, yeah. insert and compress the keys, all done by shooting the gun. That's cool. Including your high score. You have to shoot all the letters. That was a bugger if you're standing far away from oh, the TV. Oh, wow. Sons of biscuits. Hopefully there's a back, like rub and end and stuff on here too. Because Yeah, it, but it's hard to hit that too because they're small. Uh, you could kind of cheat on these games too because if you walked right up to the TV and you were literally like, a foot away from it, it was pretty easy to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You can kind of faintly see the rainbow effect behind the high scores there on the edges. Yeah. But anyway, that was really cool that he put those up because most people, as you've mentioned, Stevie, didn't didn't ever get to play these or see these. So yeah. And this this was the same video that Nick already showed, so we'll skip that. Sorry. <clears throat> um, next up, this is on. Cuthbert Dragon, who I mentioned last week on Game On. It's just started, like, literally two weeks ago, putting up Dragon uh, gameplay videos. In fact, there's some new ones here that have shown up since I checked this morning. Um, How dare he? <laughs> yeah, jeez. So, and the nice thing about some of these is he actually got the original... Um, tapes and the original documentation, you get to see those. So like, you know, Talking Android Attack down here actually has a picture of the tape artwork for the Dragon version of it. Um, Coward. <laughs> yep, that's the one. So I won't play all these because we've done a lot of these time and ironically enough is one of them here too. You can see the nice, you know, pastel color version of it. As was meant to be viewed in the shitty green background. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a couple of games here that I had not seen before, so I thought we'd play those. So the first one I'll do is Dragon 32 Creepies. Oh, is David Ladd in it? I like how he's doing it off of a TV too. So this is like you get the staticky picture of the. You even get the reflection of the, yeah. the window sill in the background. Ooh, I like that sound. Like very Ken Kalashi sounding sounds there. Yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of too. 
kind of reminds me of like Spider Hyper meets Galaxian or something. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a Galaxian Space Invader thing. They just come in from the top. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember if they start dive bombing you or not. Getting all these games mixed up now. Oh, now they're flapping their wings, so now they're getting more like Phoenix or. Oh yeah, yeah he's dead. There's a dive bomber like a spider. Yeah, the dive bombers look like spiders. Yeah, for you people that hate insects, this is your game. All right. You can hear him clicking on his fire button and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The raw experience. Yes. Full. Probably air. heard the floppy going earlier too. And these ones that come down. Oh, leave now, their they're, now they're leaving candy. lines. So if you bump into the line, will that hurt you? That explosion did, huh? This is neat. But, yeah, it's, it's a game I've never seen before, and it's actually, I thought at first, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's another Space Invaders game. It's insanely game, fast, though, too. So this gets to be breakneck speed pretty quickly. Yeah, and it does introduce, like, it introduces the Galaxian-style dive bombers, and all of a sudden those things with strength, you know, the, the spider webs come down, The too. top moving back and forth is kind of centipede-ish, you know, how it's kind of moving yeah. from side to side. So it's kind of a genre-fusing. So, like, that's the uh, scorpion going across in centipede right there. So, yeah. It's kind of a mixture yeah. of Centipede, Space Invaders, Galaxian. Yeah, it looks interesting enough that I'd like to find a copy and, and actually try that. Maybe, Nick, you can put that in the long lineup ahead for yeah, uh, legally obtained a game copy, online. of course. We don't condone piracy on <clears throat> this show. Yeah, I, I haven't got a hold of this author yet to get permission yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. There's that is that, that truly unique. Uh, well, I don't know about unique, but a game I've not seen before, anyways. So. Star Swoop. Ooh, I like the title screen. You can see the blinking in the upper left corner there as it's loading off tape. Ah. Oh, a semi-graphics. Ooh, parallaxing. Starfield. Ooh, a scrolling semi-graphic Starfield. This I have not seen before. I have not either. I am hmm. intrigued and excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, look at the animation on those things. I have to say that some of the Dragon Guys did as good of demographics animation. I thought originally Guardian Protect was two of the only super good games, but the Dragons proved me wrong. There's other television game, which is high, which is a good thing. Like it's yeah, it's a compliment. Yeah, those things are flipping around and all it's like Astro Smash or something. I like this. This is impressive. Is this drag- Wait, so this is Dragon only? No, it should work on a Coco one and two. Fine. Coco 3, you can probably hack it, but you'd lose the star field in your score. you just see the aliens. The star field is the impressive part. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, the animation for a semi-graphics room, this, this is amazingly good. No, especially knowing the hardware like limitations. A, it looks like an early console game. Which I'm saying in a good way. Mm-hmm. I love the pew 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 sound. Very arcadey. Yeah, Ben Drake's mentioned that too. Love the arcade style sound in the chat. Seems like, I like one the fact sound that the stars blink too because the, the period when you're doing semi graphics you can't control what scan line it's on. So this way he actually just turns it into a space and then it alternates down and then basically you get the blinking stars too. Oh, good, As I say, the uh, it seems like the sound routine interrupts itself. So 
I'd like to hear the sound of the bad guys materializing on the screen, but your lasers cut that off. It's not like two-channel sound, you know? So. Yeah, and the person just firing constantly. So. Yeah. But the sound of those guys kind of warping into screen is pretty cool, too. I'm quite impressed, though. I'd like to find a copy of this one and actually try All that killing, he's got a 590 points. <laughs> it's a high-scoring game. Okay, my ears are going to die, Curtis. Muted or something. It's killing me at this point. Oh, we're just about done anyway, so... So that, that's the, a couple new ones there that I've uh, never seen before on our really cool. previous reviews. And I, I, that one I really want to try. That is yeah. a, visually stunning for semi-graphics. Yep. Nick, Nick Marentes, you're, you're another semi-graphics fan here. What What's your opinion of this one? Yeah, ranked, that one looks you, good. I noticed like, Ranked up a Guardian, et cetera. What, where would you place this up in the pantheon of semi-graphics Yeah, games? no, they look good. It is. We lost you, Nick. Nick is Scrolling uh, smoothly, pixel by pixel. Pixel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still here. Okay. You you kind of muted for a second. How's that? No, uh, you're fine for me. You're good. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah I, I'm not muted. Um, yeah, that one that one looks good. It's well designed. Um, the, the only thing is the star ba- background, though. Um, he's using characters for the asterisks, and that's on a black background because to put the asterisks on there in text... It has a dark green background yeah. on the asterisk. Yeah. That's the only thing that spoils it. Yeah, it kind of spoils the illusion of it falling through space. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it, it looks good. Yeah, but the, uh, only, the, only, the only other option would have been to use a semi-graphics character, and that would have been much wider. It wide. would have been blocky Wine. then, yeah. exactly. Um, what year did this come out? Do you know? Uh, it said 83 or something at the beginning, didn't it? Yeah, and we never saw this in the US or, or Australia, for that matter. It says copyright 83. 83. DK. Yeah, because he's done a good job. He's got a nice, colorful title screen and everything. Yeah. This came out the same year as Time Bandit, just to give you. Okay. Obviously, a lot of software we didn't (laughs) see back in the day that was out in in the UK. Yeah, it's a beauty. And now that we've got XROAR linked up to the World of Dragon, if this game's on there, you can just tell it to fire it up in the online XROAR and actually try it out right then and there, too, which I'm looking Mm. forward to. I don't know if this one's on there yet, but. And the last one, uh, Rob's Retro Rambles, who's one of our favorites because he has a lava lamp and the really cool looking TV and he has a very entertaining personality to describe these things. Yes. Tries to load this game and it doesn't work. Oh, (laughs) great. It doesn't work. Okay. But he's entertaining enough. I'll still play part of it anyway. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm going to watch just to hear him curse it out. Hello, you. This is Ooh, see his new added uh, feature That's, there for his is that voice activated from lights. Rider? Tray, kind of, yeah. After that, but this is just called and all because, uh, and the cover. I, I know nothing about this. I, I just saw the title and all because, and a bloke dressed in black jumping out of a um, a cable car with what looked like a box of chocolates under his arm. I went, oh my god, I've got to play that. Uh, what's that? I've got I've got no idea what it's going to be like, but they, 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 someone, good old B and H, B and H again. I, I couldn't believe it when I was like, hang on, who was this? It, it was B and H, B and H again. They have a bad reputation, games. or <laughs> just yeah, I, I, it, it's not going to live up to what's in my head. I'm sure. Um, 
I mean, from just from that, I'm, I'm thinking of that half the levels from Project IDI when you're on the cable cars and in the, the in the sniper in the snow in the mountains. Now let's fast forward a little bit here. What we found. Um, is this going to work? Copyright BNX software not lent, copied or resold without. Rent. Please do not press break. And all because the lady loves milky chocks. <laughs> not milky. one of the most ridiculous no, 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 game no, titles no, I've ever just heard. Generic. Is know, it can still you, loading? Can you actually see that? Because that's on the viewfinder here. That just looked on my phone here. And maybe play the next one. Um, Doug, and I'll save you. So there's his much, first problem. And um, we'll see where we get. <laughs> oh, FM is what? Back in a moment. A uh, file mismatch. So I tried to do a load instead of a load M or something like that. Okay. Or vice versa. Is there a reason why it couldn't have determined itself whether it was a binary? So no. Please, because I know nothing. <laughs> about Technically, it. they're all binary because they get tokenized. Extra points are gained for speed, but of course, this may. Well so it, the, the, the instruction program, because this is a multi-program right. load. The instruction program works. Doesn't really tell me how to play the game. Oh, though, does it? okay. Aha! Information on stage one. What? Well, this is a good comment from area at top of maze as quickly as you can. Time is ticking away. Use the following keys. Right. Up is up. Shift is move right. Well, of course it is. I suppose using right and left. Down arrows move down. Why didn't you use left and right? There are left and right arrows. Why are you using <laughs> shift and back? He's rage quitting. Bizarre. <laughs> up and down. And shift and right. Okay. Up and right and down. And the game sounds intriguing by the descriptions of the nine levels that are in it. Hello area at top of screen. Be quick or you may have to go right around the mushrooms. Ooh, okay. Hmm. Ride cross country over the hedges on your trusty steed. Be careful with the larger fences. Oh, Up so we have like some shift is uh, kind of uh, hurdles. Righto. Motorcycle safely past the dangerous drivers down to the ravine. You will need all your wits here. Up and down. <laughs> they actually got a. They've got a picture of an arrow there to move up. And then down arrow. Because there is no down arrow symbol. There is no there's, down there's, arrow. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no character set for a down arrow. They have to type down arrow. Okay. Whatever. Accelerate to jump the ravine on your powerful bike. Full speed is essential to succeed. Shift faster. So I guess just hammer shift repeatedly on that one. Stage six, you what hang glide to the light area at the bottom of the screen. This is like a triathlon on steroids, is, huh? We'll lose yeah. very rapidly and you'll get a horse. It sounds like an intriguing game. And he, I guess he, yeah, at the end of the video, after it doesn't work, he actually said he ordered it online and he's expecting a copy, Excuse so hopefully okay. he'll do a full review. <clears throat> hang gliding, we got motorcycling. Stage seven. My god, how far away is your beloved? <laughs> what do you mean he ordered it online? Is like he probably bought it on eBay yeah. or something. Yeah. Could yeah, you not like go that. and get some flour oh, okay. roche instead? Information on stage seven. Ski through the flags which mark the safe ice. Miss the flags and you'll be in a bit of a spot. Shift. Left and right and down arrow faster. Eight stages. Dear God. God. I can't wait for the rage quit. Jump to catch the ski lift as it passes. Then hold on. The ski lift. Till two reach the ledge on the right. Then let go. I'm never going to remember all of this. <laughs> Nine stages. Nine We've counted the stages and the stages are counting. You have to nine. parachute land on the light Nearly area there. of the building, Manoeuvre. and then you've made it easy, eh? Maneuver at your parachute. Crikey! You've made it easy, eh? Maneuvering. Right. 
Press enter. Well, lady can get her own press enter to shots. start. Well, let's give it a go. <laughs> press E to give up. These instructions are too complicated. <laughs> e to give up. <laughs> I that down give e up. Still deafening. And then boom. Ooh. And we tried multiple times to get it to work after this, and the tape is just corrupt. So well, the tape nah, image is corrupt. Bummer. But he, he's nah. apparently got the actual uh, copy of the original tape with directions on order. And once he gets that up there, I'll definitely play because from reading all those direction screens there, yeah, I want to see this Yeah, game. we got to see this. We got to see <clears> the follow-up to this. And since we actually have been keeping game on caught up all these last few weeks, that's it for this week. So. Yeah. Now, Richard Lorbieski just posted something in the YouTube chat about a Facebook link. Richard, Is Richard still with us? No. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, he is. I'm sorry. I didn't recognize yeah. you because you changed oh, your picture. Man. You keep changing your picture, Richard. Sorry. <laughs> What did you just link to? Richard's a good guy. You want Curtis oh, to pull you, it up? You got to pull it up. Curtis, you want to pull up the ring? You want me to pull it up or do you pull it up? Um, I already stopped sharing, so you can do it if you want. Or do you can want we me trust to... him? We can trust Richard. Oh, you can trust me. It's, it's nothing. It's That's what always say. It said video of the uh, monkey washing a cat. I've got insufficient permission. It's from oh. Facebook. Let's see. It's a Facebook link. Yeah, I don't have permission. Oh, uh, okay. I will. I will switch over. I will show it. This is. Hold on. Let me go to stage left here. Exit stage left. Press R to rage quit. Yeah. <laughs> that's what Explore VR said. That that's what should have been in that game. Okay. Here we go. This is Richard's posting a meme here. After watching one episode of Coco Talk Live. Oh, is that yeah, you, no you've, aged, you, you, you've aged that much? Yeah. Show, oh, I'm not sharing my screen. Are you guys not able to sh see my screen? I can now? see it. On, I can see it on the on feed. Okay. I'm not watching the feed, so. Oh, my God. Crikey's. Everything just came up. All right. Can you see it now? This is the show that never ends. It goes on and on, my friends. Yes. You see it? You wait till yep. the floppy talk caboose, man. Ah, uh, the floppy talk caboose. I started watching it five hours just because, and now it just keeps going. Yes, well, we, listen, everybody was warned. You were properly <laughs> warned at the beginning of the show. Yeah, so, this was news catch-up week, so. Yeah. This is Curtis saying, you're going to postpone my segment? I'll show you. <laughs> the, the next the next, the next, next show is going to be called Asparagus right off the bat to Brent. <laughs> I'll get you, kids. You meddling kids. <laughs> For God's sake, never preempt Curtis again. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Well, that was good. That was a lot of news. That was definitely a lot of news. And guess no, what? No, that was good, Curtis. We're, and and if you thought you had enough, we are we are just getting started because the next thing that we need to now get into is everybody's favorite part of the show, which is project <laughs> updates and acquisitions. Does anybody have them? We, we I have a lot to talk about. All right. Let me tell uh, you. Asparagus. Oh, yeah, asparagus. <laughs> uh, Actually, I have been doing some basic coding this week. Just a, okay. a simple little menu. Uh, <laughs> Take advantage of the. Grant says, "Isn't Stevie hungry?" <laughs> Yeah, where's your wife? She should be here. She should be here. you dinner's ready. Yeah, Stevie should be experiencing low sh uh, blood sugar now from oh, lack of sustenance. And, and what about what about Ron's bladder? Like, what's going on? I'm definitely experiencing low brainwave activity at this point. So <laughs> my mind has been numbed. So, uh, but Stevie, what's changed? You're normally like that. Uh oh, Mrs. Delvo has got both hands on her waist right now. She's saying, "Ron, get <laughs> See, off." Ron. 
your computer, Ron. <laughs> bye. Bye, Ron. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Bye-bye. 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 Asparagus. <laughs> Brought to you in shaky vision. All right. Uh, so who has a project oh, update or acquisition that they would like to share? Show and tell time. What's serious? I'm working on a basic program. Okay. I'm working on I'm working on a uh, because the SD card has the auto exec bass. Yes. Uh, so I'm creating I'm just creating a menu uh, that that will launch and that allow to do other things for if you choose to launch the SSD Explorer or you can do other things like. Okay. Uh, Paul Shoemaker says he has to go. Paul, is there anything you wanted to share before you run, or you just have to go go? Wake me up before you go go. Yeah. Eh? No, no, I don't have anything to share. Okay. Um, well, thanks for being here. No, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, guys. I'll ah, catch thanks. you later. Thanks for lying. Thank you. And Tom C. and Jeff said the movie Spartacus was shorter. <laughs> Which hour was, was the fun one? <laughs> that was your favorite. What was your favorite? I think it must have been the hour that I missed, the first part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Coco Talk, yeah, the director's the extended cut. Oh. We got hot. Yeah, that was actually the best hour. All right, I'll be back in about three hours and catch the last part okay, of the show. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Bye, guys. We got After Dark starting in about half an hour, so. I, I think when Zoom got hacked, I think that was the best part that of the show. That was the best. Part. Absolutely. We should thank old, them for ten year old racist that just adding content. Yeah. Send them a bouquet of flowers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Why don't we just send them like an edible arrangement? Yeah. So <laughs> a eat, food eat, eat shit, you little turds. <laughs> eat shit to die. That's what I would say. Yeah, I'm, I'm building a time machine because I'm, I hope I can get my three hours back. Lost. <laughs> Only three. Sorry, no refunds. Yeah. You missed so, half the show. So then. what are you? So what are you working on, Nick Marota? <laughs> Four hours. Just a simple, like I said, I just, I'm, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I've, I was a programmer, lost my interest, but I've, I've been interested again in last week in programming. So I'm kind of happy about that. Okay. So okay. I'm just, just, just a menu that comes up and it lets you, it'll, you know, it'll set RGB mode for you, whatever. They can say I'm RGB. So it'll do the RGB command. It'll boot from whatever MPI slot you want. Just things, little utility things okay, like that. Okay. That's cool. So some palette, What's that all about? some palette manipulation. So you can create palette names and stuff. Nate, 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 yeah, because I'm thinking I want to. I'm I'm Jones in the breakout my Coco VGA, and and now that we have the Quicks game, I need to now learn how to do palette hacks on the Coco VGA because I don't exactly know how to do it. So it's just uh, for fun, just yeah, like a skunk yeah, work cool. project. Uh, who else has got a project update or acquisition they would like to share? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Please, no. Before so. Yeah, actually, I can just the floppy caboose. Richard, I think you're you're bringing some echo to us. Am I? Not anymore. No. I think we're both talking at the same time. No, actually, I was just gonna just uh, I, I'm working on that DMA little hack to where uh, it's just like I said, it's gonna require two sockets, and then you could put the board on there, and and if you want to switch back, you can switch back the the DMA mod. Okay. It's a it's a very easy hack. Maybe you could partner with Coco Man and put a toggle switch on it. Sure. Called the DMA Aru or something. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm looking at incorporating it as part of the uh, DAT board. Okay. Cool. Cool. But will it have a real time clock? Oh man, that's going to be a challenge. And what else? Does anybody else have a project update or acquisition? Anyone? Anyone? I do have one. I'm going to save mine for the end. Give everybody else a chance to share. No? 
the 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 uh, awkward silence. It's you, Robert. Robert, Robert, we're hearing echo from you, Robert. I think the sounds coming in your ears and coming back out your hollow head and being picked up by your microphone, possibly. So, um. yeah, I'll accept that apology. By the way, <laughs> you're you're welcome. Um, Stevie really appreciates the panelists. <laughs> yeah. He treats us so well. Oh Lord! Oh my! All right. That's well, why we keep coming back every. Week. I have. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make myself bigger so I can match uh, Nick Morota's ego. Um, so, I have a care package that I received from David Ladd. And, oh shit! Um, so, um, what? It, part of what it is. Part of it, I was completely surprised about and not. Um, so. What this is, is what I'm assuming this is, is this is a button for a deluxe joystick. I've got all the parts for uh, 3D printed parts for a deluxe joystick. So this looks like this no. is the button. No, those are actually the buttons for the Black Beauty. Oh, the for the covers. Black Beauty. Okay, yes. so this is a Black Beauty button. That's okay. a nice big button. I, like I, that. Thought, um, I thought for a moment it was an orange starburst. Okay, it could be. Or a very awkward tic-tac. Um these are the um, little toggle flippy thingies, right? Where you go from loosey goosey to self centering. Oh, so we've got nice. some new new ones of those. I like the colors. Yeah. Oh, so this must be. And this is another Black Beauty button. So I got two Black Beauty buttons. Uh, they all came out in stunning orange. And then this this next pack here. By the way, very good packaging, David. Too. So these are the arms that go inside the deluxe joystick, right? So the internal replacement arms that we had some discussions about these a week or so ago. So um, I've got some of those. And so I will be playing with these. Can't get it open right now. <laughs> he wrapped them too good. They're right. not impervious. Yeah, but no, they're, I, I can just tell by holding them that they feel pretty solid, um, the pieces. So these are some of the internal arms that go in those deluxe joysticks. And David has 3D printed these with his new thingamahooji widgets. And uh, these are pretty cool. They feel pretty sturdy, right? So Do they come in other colors? Uh, you come in your choice of orange, orange, or orange. Now, this next thing here was a complete unexpected surprise. But what he sent me was the acrylic original case for the coco sdc i remember having those conversations saying i'd love to have one of these this is what tim lindner made when the coco sdc first came out so there was a limited run on these and while supplies lasted some people got them um so i'm looking forward to redoing my coco sdc in this plexiglass two-sided case because um you just you just can't do that every day right so that, yeah, I hope all the rest of the pieces for that is in in the box because I think there should have um, been three. Yeah, there's a bag. There's a bag more. of like some riser, jumper, spacer thingies and some screws. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I got a, a care package from John Strong, which of course was one of his prototypes for the SDC, and I, uh, um, you know, it's like I don't need like. 20,000 cases for only one SDC. So I figured I'd just send you what I had. Well, I appreciate that. Very cool. All right, cool. Anybody else have an update acquisition story to, story to share? 
Anything? Anyone? Anyone? Going once, going twice. I don't think we need to have a caboose since we've been going on uh, going on five hours now. So we're going to oh. skip the caboose. We're going to roll the credits. And um, then maybe later on we'll come back tonight for uh, a, a, a twilight show because it's already after dark in most time zones as it is right now so uh cool well thanks everybody for being here thanks everybody for watching we still have almost 40 viewers right now live we peaked at closer to you know high 50s at some point uh, in time so we had a we had a good turnout so, so unfortunately we didn't have the content to match the audience but um well you know uh, there's no the virus nobody has anything else better to do, right? <laughs> there's so plenty else, better to do trust me you can cut um, your hair oh, speaking can... of virus um uh, thanks for reminding me um oh, no. so there were was a few people that had um, asked me about the uh, the schizo disc related to Nitrous Nine and auto booting um, on the SDC and that video that Curtis showed when I was showing the uh, um, the floppy disk stuff. I, I I'm surprised Curtis didn't even notice that it went straight from the three the three Stooges straight to booting Nitrous Nine and going straight into it so that was the example of well that's what happens when you add the uh, auto exec to the nitrous nine boot it just goes straight into it okay all right my life has been forever changed with that information all right so oh, we're gonna welcome. run the closing <laughs> credits and we'll be back after these uh final words this concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Ron Delvo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Different Daffer for making my head explode. help support the coco community by visiting some of its various contributors a list of resources is available at imacoconut.com that's i-m-a-c-o-c-o-n-u-t.com the coco talk theme song is copyright 2008 by d bruce moore and greg sheeler mixed mastered and produced by d bruce moore
All right. So we just had a little uh, discussion during the credits. Should we close the show with the world premiere of the breakout single Nightmare Highway, which debuted yeah. this week on this show that is now available for audio downloads from the Coco Talk podcast feed? The answer unanimously was we need more Nightmare Highway. So here we go to play us out. Let's do it. Nightmare Highway. Bruce is a genius. Got some time to kill, might play a little Zaxxon. Might double back to play a little Temple of Rum. Dungeons of Daggerith, color baseball. But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Sailor Man and Firefall Go on a rampage force and super pitfall Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack But sooner or later you know I've got to come back Nightmare Highway He's a he's a genius. Oh, well, he put it so he put a bit of a uh, he put a bit of, bit of an effect on the ukulele too. That was uh, oh, okay because I noticed it also sounded very stereoscopic. It was kind of panning back. He gave and forth. It, yeah, he made, he gave it a bit of echo to reverb. Yeah. But, but reverb, but reverb yes. might have done a little bit of balance between stereo channels. Yeah, yeah. the bass line was sick. Yeah, yeah that was that was Curtis's. Uh, uh, Curtis, sorry. That was me. That was, uh, that was uh, Bruce's. All those Canadians look alike. Yeah, it's easy to get. Yeah, you know, I can't keep it. <laughs> who, sa- who sang it? That was that was Rick Adams. Yeah, Rick Adams. Oh, awesome. And, yeah. then, uh, right. and then Bruce in the background doing the uh, falsetto. <laughs> falsetto. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was, hey, that hey was did classic. you know that this was Jack Torrance's favorite song? 
<laughs> I did not know that. All right. Yeah, it was a blast anyway. We so. are. It's like having a blast with a new math tutor. And with rising <laughs> entertainment costs, this show has been a real bargain. So um, say goodbye, oh, everybody. Yeah, We're going to press the button, hours? Frank. Say goodbye, yeah. everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, Frank. Say goodbye, everybody. Good night, everybody. Press the button, Frank. All right. Yes, I